Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Finally doing the show this weekend. I told you maybe a funny schedule this weekend. And First it was going to be Friday, then it was going to be Saturday, then it was going to be Sunday. But here we are on Monday. We're actually doing the show. And I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. We're going to have Trader Ruski on tonight, my co-host. And we're going to do a normal show with a free roll, everything like that. What happened was that uh, I had some plans for... Friday, not even related to Valentine's Day. I actually was not with my girlfriend on Friday, but I had plans on Friday, so I couldn't do the show. I was back on Saturday in time to do the show, but I was really tired and worn out for, for various reasons. I wasn't sick. Then I expected Sunday I would do it, but I, I still felt kind of low energy. So I said, I don't feel like doing radio tonight. I just don't feel like doing radio tonight. I could force myself to, but I don't feel like it, and that wasn't our scheduled night anyway, so I stalled it one more day and said, no matter what, I'm going to do it on Monday, and here I am on Monday, so we're going to do the show. We have a free roll already going, a $65 free roll, a $50 anonymous donation. We actually got $100, but I'm splitting it, so $50 anonymous came in. I thank that person, and Gordman, who is not anonymous, gave $15 from what he won last week, so that's a $65 free roll. 33 for first, 20 for second, 12 for third, 33, 20, and 12 this week. Started at 9.35 p.m. Pacific. You have until 10 p.m. to get into the free roll Pacific time with a full stack. If you do not have an account that's already validated and registered on the No Fraud Online Poker Room where it takes place, then you will not be able to play tonight. You'll have to register and then play next week once your account gets validated. Make sure to understand the requirements to win the free money. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase exactly as it sounds. And you will understand everything there. If you want to call the show tonight, the phone number is 775-FRAUD55. 775-372-8355 is how that number translates. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. We have an old rotary Telephone from the 1970s, sitting on top of Mount Charleston in a cabin there. It's a separate line into the show. You can't text it, but you can call it. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808, the Mount Charleston line. The main line to the show, 775-372-8355, can also be texted. You can text that number, and I will respond to you. You can text anytime, before, after, or during the show. Just know that I might read your text on the air unless you ask me at the beginning of the text not to. But if it's really obvious, I won't read it. Like if we're in the middle of a conversation, I'm not going to just pick a portion of the conversation to read. But just a text that comes in out of nowhere, I may read on the air, especially if it comes in during the show. I want to give a shout-out, by the way, to somebody who's listening, actually on vacation in Colorado, on a ski and general winter vacation in Colorado uh, at least one, but maybe two people in that room are listening right now. So I want to, I want to give a shout out to them. I always appreciate when people listen, even when they're on vacation. Uh, so we're going to have a, a guest on the show tonight, which you will hear about when I give you the agenda. It'll be very interesting. It's related to a previous topic we did fairly recently. And that guest will be on not too long from now at 1030. Pacific Time, which is about 40 minutes from now, if you're listening in the archives. So here's our agenda tonight. Before I give you the agenda, actually, I want to tell you about the call to listen line, which I'm sure you know about by now, but I'm going to tell you anyway. 
It's a number you can call up and listen to the show anytime. It does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require the internet, nothing like that. You can have zero bars of service as long as your phone can dial and complete a call. It will work and it will never buffer. Benjamin was watching a YouTube video and he was very frustrated when the video buffered. And he told me he hates buffering. And I said, well, do I have something for you? That's the call to listen line. Never buffers, just plays the show. It has no buffer guarantee. Once you connect to it, it will just play the show without ever pausing, ever buffering, ever stopping. I promise you. Try it. The number is 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736. There is also the alternate call to listen line, 641-741-1095. These are a lot of numbers to remember, but you don't have to. Just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com. And all these numbers will be listed there. You can listen in the archives if you don't catch the show live by using the iTunes app, the Google Play app, the TuneIn app, the Stitcher app, the Bullhorn app. But if you don't want to download an app, no problem. You can also just play the MP3 of the show directly from the Poker Fraud Alert server. Just click on the MP3 button that you can find on the radio tab of PokerFraudAlert.com. If you just scroll down a bit, you'll see a bunch of little... Symbols there you can click on. One says MP3. And you can play the MP3 directly from there. And it does not require an app or anything else on your device to play. Even computers can play it just directly. So there are many ways to listen to the show. Even Amazon Alexa can play the last recorded show by saying, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it will play you the show. A lot of different ways to listen here. Anything that you want me to add to allow you to listen, let me know. And if it's within our show's very low budget, I can make it happen. If you want to call into the show, please do so in between topics or when I ask for calls. Otherwise, I may not take your call. You also have to show your caller ID to get through. Finally, there's a chat room that you can go chat in during the live show only. Make sure you have a flash-enabled device. If you do not, you cannot chat in there. You also need a forum account in good standing. iPhones and iPads can't get in. So I'm sorry about that, but that's the way it works. Here's the agenda, and then we'll get going. Phil Galfond has finally semi-thrown in the towel against this mysterious Veni Vidi guy who's just been torturing him in their heads-up match, part of the Galfond Challenge. Venny Vidi continued to crush him, and Phil Galfon has suspended the match. We will talk about that, and we'll also talk about an upcoming interview that Phil's going to have. Not on this show, sadly, but this week. I'll tell you about an interview that's going to take place and some questions I suggested to the interviewer. John Audie. You may or may not know that name if you've been following the Poker Mavens thread on the Poker Fraud Alert Scam Scandals and Shadiness forum. You will see an interesting discussion between John Audie, who is the one who created the hack for the Poker Maven software that anyone running the software can have a little side program running to where they can see all the whole cards or they can give it to their friends to do this. John Audie created this little uh, exploit and he and Ken Briggs, who are the uh, who's the creator of the Poker Maven software, which is commercial software you can buy to run your own poker room online, uh, they've been going back and forth on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum, in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum, we're going to have John Audie on this show, all the way from Lebanon. He's not just Lebanese, he's in Lebanon. 
And he's the one who created that tool I talked about. And we're going to talk to him about his tool and about uh, other vulnerabilities that might be in online poker software. We're going to have a discussion with him about all this. And I think it'll be a very interesting segment. That'll be about 10.30 Pacific time, about 35 minutes from now. That'll be the second topic we do after we do the Galfon topic. I'm going to give an update about the Kevin Racks $500. The $100 donation I got for the free roll from that anonymous person was actually in thanks for getting this $500 out of the scammer who stole it from Kevin Racks shortly before he died. So this person was so impressed by that he donated 100 to the show to be used for the free roll. And I thank him for that. But I have an update regarding that situation of where the $500 is going. Small update, but I, I'm going to keep you guys updated so you always know what the status is with that money until we end up uh, sending it somewhere. Former Poker Fraud Alert guest Mark Klang, you can find a previous episode he was on. I forget the date, but you can Google it. Mark Klang, K-L-A-N-G. He claims he's broke after having $5 million to his name. So I will read you the tweet. We're going to discuss Mark Klang and his uh, terrible gambling problem that has left him in a situation that's not particularly surprising. Ray Davis's trial for child, uh, I, I don't, I, I guess it's not child. It's a sex with a minor under 16. Child to me sounds like it's someone who's like eight years old. So it's a, it's a trial still for a serious matter of sexual relations with a minor under 18 or committing a lewd act, I think, was exactly the charge, forgetting the exact charges he's facing. But it's along those lines. We've been covering this on Poker Fraud Alert by far the most of any other outlet, even though Ray Davis was someone who was always on good terms with us and with me personally. I said, we're we're not going to shy away from this just because uh, I know him. We're going to cover this factually, and we are. So I'm going to give you an update on the trial that was scheduled for February 10th, which is now a week ago. A new member on Poker Fraud Alert is claiming that he is going to go after serial America's cardroom scammer Brian Wojtek and force him to pay up. I'll tell you about that. The Lucky Dragon Casino, remember that? The ill-fated Lucky Dragon in Las Vegas. It's going to reopen under a different name. I will tell you about what name you can expect to see it under and whether it has a chance. The Hard Rock Atlantic City has debuted live slots. Now, you may say, well, big deal. Aren't all slots live? Haven't slot machines always been live? Well, yes, but that's what they call them. But it's a new concept what they're doing where you can play live slots while you're in your house. You can play actual slot machines sitting in a casino when you're at home. I'll tell you how. MGM CEO and chairman Jim Murin is going to step down despite a very successful run at MGM. I don't believe this is any kind of scandal that's forcing him to step down. I think he's just done, but we will talk about that. We'll talk about the things he's done for Las Vegas in the past 20 years. He actually has been very influential in modern Vegas, which you will hear when we get to that segment. Virginia does not have any real casinos. There are ways you can gamble in Virginia, but it's kind of like this weird, unregulated machines and things like uh, gas stations that uh, they're trying to put an end to. But there might be some real casinos possibly coming to Virginia. I will tell you about that. And finally, Macau. 
which has been losing a lot of money every day because all its casinos are closed due to the coronavirus. They have been cleared to open their casinos again, but not quite yet. I'll tell you when the casinos in Macau will open as our final topic. Let's get Trey Ruski on the phone. You've got one minute left before you get in that free roll. One minute left. And then you'll be shut out for this week. So you got to find Trader Ruski on this list. Skype installed a new version without my permission. It just, I went to open it and it, it's like, okay, uh, installing now. I was like, I didn't say I wanted this, but that's what it did. And of course, now it's making it harder for me to find contacts. It's, every update, they find a way to, to ruin everything. They find a way to just ruin it a little bit more. They'll, they'll add something back they took away, and I go, oh, good, they're making progress, and then they find a way to ruin something else. It's kind of like, maybe Caesars is in charge of the development of Skype. They, they do the same thing. What's happening, Jeff? Trader Ruski, I'm glad I was able to find you, to add you on here, because every new update of Skype is an adventure. Here you are, and I'm glad to have you here, especially with a short notice. But uh, how, how late do you think you'll be able to stay up tonight? You know, I should be good for the next uh, at least a couple hours. Okay. Well, at least you'll survive through the uh, the John Audi call, provided we reach him all the way in Lebanon. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I haven't discussed with him about what's required for him to have as far as headphones and stuff. So hopefully he has that all mm-hmm. squared away. Obviously, the guy's very technical, given that he's developing uh, cheats for poker software. But still, it, it's kind of a different thing with Skype. So hopefully, uh, he's got all that set up. I, I have a feeling he does. But we're going to call him uh, now. I don't know how thick his accent is. He 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 writes okay. Uh, you know, he, he the the English he writes is decent. But I've I've spoken to people before who like they're a lot harder to talk to than to write to who are foreign. But we'll see. Hopefully, we can understand him pretty well. Uh, what's what's all the beeping in the background, by the way? I mean, bing bing. Sorry, Trump. I thought I was muted. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the the poker fraud alert. Oh, the poker fraud alert tournament. Okay, it. I guess I guess that's a reasonable excuse here to make noise okay uh we're going to talk about phil galfond here as our first topic i want to squeeze this whole thing in in the next half hours before we get uh john audie on here so uh phil galfond we've been reporting the last two weeks that it hasn't been going well for him for this uh, galfond challenge now a quick review the galfond challenge was where phil galfond offered to play high stakes plo heads up against uh, people who wanted to challenge him. I think he had to accept the challenges, like there's certain people who might challenge him that he could say no to. But when it was all said and done, he set up six matches, and he's in progress right now playing the first of the six matches against an unknown online person named uh, Venny Vidi, 1993. I guess he was known to some people online, but nobody knows who he really is. Maybe Phil knows. But... uh, That's what he's been doing. The reason he's doing this challenge is to bring awareness to the fact that he even runs a poker site called Run It Once. We've talked about that a lot on this show. It's been a fail site. It's been losing money every month by Phil's own admission. He admitted this when he came on to the DAT Poker Podcast, the one that uh, Daniel Negreanu, Adam Schwartz, and Terrence Chan do. Uh, Phil was on there with an interesting interview a while back. And admitted that uh, in not so many words that the site is a fail, which we we knew. And uh, in what seems like a a desperate attempt to get people over there, he's doing these challenges on the site, 
all but one of those six are going to be on Run at Once Poker. And he's hoping that will bring awareness to the fact that it exists and make the site work, which I don't think is a good idea, but I haven't agreed with much that he's done regarding that site. Now, he used to be a heads-up PLO crusher about 10 years ago. Nobody wanted to play Phil back then. If you played Phil back then, you were probably losing. Phil made a lot of money at heads-up PLO back then. But that was 2010. This is 2020, and the game has changed a lot, especially at the very highest levels, especially because people have incorporated computerized solvers to figure out heads-up PLO and what is optimal. And people have learned from the solvers. People sometimes use the solvers in the background as they play. It's a very different game than 10 years ago at the very, very highest stakes. And some had thought maybe Phil is biting off more than he can chew because just because he was a great player 10 years ago doesn't mean that he is a great player today, even if he brings the exact same skill set, which he may not even have either because it's been so long since he he actively played heads-up PLO. So the first match has been going on, and as we've reported, he's been getting his clock cleaned by this Veni Vidi 93. And... uh, Every time he thinks, okay, I'm just running bad, I'm going to turn it around, it just seems to get worse. He did manage to have a winning day where finally, like he basically had all losers in one break-even day. Finally, he had a winning day where he won 88,000 euro, but still left him way down overall, only to lose the most he had ever lost the following day, or the following session at least, where he lost almost 270,000 euro. We covered all this last week. You can go listen to last week's show if you want to hear all that in detail. But uh, it's been uh, a disaster for him, and the disaster has continued. And he's finally uh, about done. He's finally uh, – he may be quitting this match against Veni Vidi, and he may not be. And we're going to talk about in a second what I mean by that. Where he was left last time – and we, we discussed a lot of things about the last time. We discussed him. We discussed his uh, poker – uh, mindset coach, Elliot Rowe, and uh, we, we discussed a lot of stuff related to a statement he made about how he's going to be trying to approach this differently, blah, blah, blah. But uh, since we last had the show last week, it was now 10 days ago, we last did the show February 7th, today is February 17th. Since we did the show on February 7th, he had two more losing days, and it just keeps getting worse for him, and finally Phil realized that he's not playing well anymore. After losing that 268k euros prior to last week's show, he then lost, uh, like, another, like, 60,000 euro and then another 102,000 euro. And that left him down about exactly 900,000 euro, which is very close to a million dollars. It's like 980-something thousand dollars. So he's pretty much down a million bucks in this whole thing. Plus... Another 200,000 euro he's going to lose on the side bet if he either quits or finishes overall down against Veni Vidi 1993, which looks highly, highly likely. Even Phil is admitting that at this point. Now, they do have a lot of hands still to go. They actually have about uh, 60% of the match remaining. They've played almost 10,000 hands, and they had 25,000 hands on the schedule. So they have almost 15,000 to go, I mean, more than 15,000 to go, like 15,100 to go. So he's already lost almost a million. So this is the disaster. He's played about 40% of the hands and has lost almost a million bucks. 
plus he's got the 200,000 euro side bet. He is 112 and 2. One win, 12 losses, two ties as far as the 15 sessions that he's played. The ties, I call them ties because they were super close regarding who was ahead. So for all practical purposes, those are ties. Even Phil calls them ties. So he's only had one session out of the 15 where he was a winner. 12 losers. And not just small losers. He's averaging over these 15 sessions 60,000 euro loss per session. He's about $15,000 away from having a loss which totals... One million dollars. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, and finally Phil realized it. After going through the delusion, which I read you his statement last week, after going through the delusion that he has an edge, he's just not running well, or that he still thinks he has an edge. He didn't say he has one, but he thinks, hey, you know, I still think I have an edge. I always think I have an edge. I, th- I think I'm just running really bad. Just How bad am I running? Am I running like... Like bottom 0.2% or bottom 15%? I was like, no, maybe you're running like average and just getting cl- killed here. Or maybe you're running badly and getting killed. Maybe you're you're going to lose no matter what. Maybe just not at this uh, rate. But they've played 9,900 hands, and he's getting his clock cleaned every single time. So it's it's obvious that uh, it's not just run bad. It could be, but it's, it's pretty unlikely. So finally on uh, February 11th, he decided that he's going to step away for a while. This is what he he tweeted out. As I mentioned in my last downswing post, a big consideration during any downswing is when it's time to give up and play elsewhere, as is figuring out when it's time to take a break and regroup. Up until a few days ago, I was very proud of the way I handled, I handled a very unfortunate run. I think that I played well and remained as level-headed as can be expected. After a seemingly endless streak of losing days, I managed to find a winning one. I won 88,000 euros over a session where I felt great about my play, which had been true for some losing days as well. I got a taste of the downswing ending and was excited about the future. That was followed by my biggest loss yet, 268,000 euros. I felt some tilt during that session, but managed to play my B game. Again, I was proud of myself during the cir- uh, considering the circumstances. Let me stop right here. When you think you've played your B game, and when I say you, I don't just mean Phil... I mean, just any of you, you personally, the listener to the show, if you think you're playing your B game, you're probably playing a lot worse (laughs) because it is often hard to see when you're not playing well. So if you think your game was B, it's probably more like C or D. If you think your game was maybe A minus, then it was probably B. It's only when you think your game was really, really good and you can't think of anything you did wrong, that's when it was probably A. And that's only if you're not delusional. So there's no way he played his B game when he was losing that. If he, if he felt some tilt during that session and lost that much, he wasn't playing his B game. Going on. The next two days, unfortunately, I can't say the same thing. In my last couple of sessions, I could tell that I'd abandoned my game plan for plays that felt better emotionally, and I couldn't seem to gather my thoughts coherently or to make reads like I normally do. I was playing scared. I was expecting to lose. I, I simply couldn't get my brain to work properly. I, I can relate to that. I've had that happen too, especially against certain opponents who always seem to beat me, always seem to get there. Always seem to know the right thing to do. If I, if I, uh, semi bluff, raise them, they three bet me. If I raise them with the nuts, they fold. It just, it just always seems like, like they, uh, they're knowing what to do or, or even if I'm doing the right thing, they're going to get there. And I start feeling like, well, okay, there's no point to raise them now. He's either going to re-raise me with a better hand and, and know that he's got the better hand or he's going to get there on me. So screw it. I'll, I'll just check all down. Like you start getting in that mode. 
and you're going to really lose. So he writes, the most difficult thing about an extended downswing isn't the loss of money, it's the loss of hope. It's the gap between the result and your expectations and how it changes your vision of your poker future. For example, I've lost 900,000 euros, but when comparing my expectation for how this year would go to my new expectations, I've lost much more. For some people, they question whether or not they'll ever be able to win again. What he's saying here is he was expecting by this point, by mid-February, that he'd be crushing it in the Galfon Challenge and up all kinds of money. So it's not just that he's down 900,000 euros. It says he's down instead of being up. And for him, that's very hard to handle. I'd kept my composure through loss after loss, focusing just on playing the best I could. When I experienced a winning day, I started to believe in my high hopes about the future of the challenge. Remember from my last post, right or wrong, I felt like I had an edge and that things were reasonably likely to turn around. And that, that was a pure delusion. I think he was the only one in the world, other than like the biggest fanboys, who thought that he had an edge. <laughs> but his last post, he's really thinking, yeah, I've just run really bad, but I still think I'm better than this guy. Now he's like, okay, I'm not better. Okay, I figured it out. I'm I'm the, not the better player of the two of us here. Afterwards, I was quickly and forcefully shown that it wasn't going to happen. I lost that hope, and it was replaced by depression. I'm proud of the way I kept it together for so long, but I found my mind's limit. I've experienced downswings of this size before, but this is the first time that one has begun precisely as I kicked off a high-stakes public challenge that I was incredibly excited about. I don't really know whether it was the gained and lost hope, fatigue from day after day of intense poker and study, or something else, but I know that I've become unable to play my A or B game. Regardless of where we stood at the start of the match, I'm confident that my C game is a big underdog to Venny Vitti's A game. I think we can all agree on that. And I don't believe I can realistically expect to get back to playing my best soon. Well, yes, but I also don't think your A game can beat his A game. I think you just can't beat him. I took my one allotted day off yesterday to think things over. I guess they had an agreement that they can skip one match that's scheduled without any penalty. I didn't know about that, but apparently... That's something they agree to. I've been seriously considering throwing in the towel on this first challenge, accepting defeat, and taking a break to reset my mind before heading to the next ones. The idea feels awful to me, but so does continuing to play poorly against a really good opponent. What I've decided to do for now is to see if I can get my head on straight before making a big decision like that. Vinny Vidi and I only had six more challenge sessions this month, ending on the 19th due to travel plans. I plan to play part of another challenge at the end of the month, which I still hope to do. I'm going to to pay the predetermined penalties to not play these sessions, roughly 3K euro per day. Wow. So he and Venny Vidi had six more sessions scheduled between when he wrote this and February 19th, and they had agreed that after that one allotted uh, skip you can do for free, that after that you have to pay 3K euro every time you delay a session. So he said he had six sessions scheduled through the 19th, and then he's actually going to just not play any of them and just cough up another 18k euro to Venny Vidi, which is isn't that nice for Venny Vidi? He doesn't have to play. He, he just uh, sits around and collects another 18k euro. Life's pretty sweet. That also pushes him above the million mark, by the way. Once I can get my brain working again after a little bit of recovery, I'll decide whether I feel ready to continue on March 1st or if it's time to regroup and move on to another challenge. I've had a session win-loss record of 1-12-2 over these first 15 days of play. I know it has been hard for some of you to watch. I've, I hope I feel prepared to come back and put on a good show for you all, but I know that realistically, as much as I don't want to, there's a chance I'll just have to take the loss. 
Thanks to everyone who's been part of the challenge, everyone who's been watching, creating content, and talking about the match. I'm sorry for the little break in action here, but I promise that either way, there will be plenty of challenge play ahead. That's a pretty uh, big downer of a message there from Galfond, and he's saying, I, I have to take the rest of February off because I'm getting killed, and I don't think I'm going to come back. I think every time I play Veni Vidi in February, I'm going to get destroyed. But I'm not going to just quit right now. I'm, I'm going to pay another 18,000 euro, which is more than $20,000, to buy myself some time to make a decision, which I think is not very smart. I think either make the decision to quit, which I think is the right decision at this point, or go on. In fact, he, he wouldn't just give them time drop or did he offer them the money? Or was no, that no, no, no. That, that was, that was an, that was an agreement. Now what he should have done, with Vinny Vidi basically printing money off Galfond, Galfond should have come to him and said, look, I know we agreed to the 3K a day, but I'm giving you two choices here. You can either give me till March 1st to make a decision whether I want to continue or not, or I'll just end the, the match now. So I, I don't want to pay you 18K euro. So I know you're killing me. You'd probably like to keep playing me. But the only way I'll continue playing me is if you give me till March 1st to decide if I want to continue or not. But if you don't feel comfortable with that, we can just end it. He, sh- he should have dropped that on him. I bet Venny Vidi would have said, okay, yeah, see you March 1st. <laughs> I think Venny Vidi doesn't want the Galfond ATM to stop uh, dispensing. But you, you, but you really think he thinks that he has no shot to turn it around? Well, I, I know that Venny Vidi thinks he has no shot to turn it around, probably. And, well, what? Uh, no, I'm just saying, Venny Vidi might be damn. I mean, I know I'm better. I'm also, you're up a million. There's got to be some amount of run kit. Yes, I'm not saying Vinny Vidi's uh, running worse than average, but it, it could be running average or close to average. Who knows? Uh, I, but I, the thing is, I'm sure Vinny Vidi would be happy to just keep playing and playing and playing him, especially now that he really got in his head, as, as Phil even admits here. So, like, if I had an opponent that I, w- I just had their number and they we had preset penalties and stuff, I might consider saying, hey, you know what, fine, take your extra time. If, if, if my choice was to give him some time to decide what he wants to do or end the match for sure right now, I would probably let him out of the penalties, just given the situation. So Phil should have tried to negotiate that, but uh, that's just what I would have done in his shoes. But but absent of that, I would think that just ending it is probably the better decision to pay almost twenty thousand euro just to buy him an, himself an extra few weeks. I, I think is a mistake, or at least not. Don't do that without trying to negotiate it, which kind of looks like he didn't do. It. Maybe he thinks eighteen thousand euro isn't that much compared to the almost million he's already lost. But uh, th- this has been a bloodbath. And I, I think he realized that he just wasn't going to turn this around and that he'd end up losing close to $3 million if he continued this all the way through as, at this pace. Like I think I think Galfon realized that he, that he may not be running bad. He may just be getting outplayed to such a high level that he really may be expected to lose at this pace the rest of the way, the rest of the 60% of this match. So I think he's trying to figure out, maybe through the help of friends or just analyzing hands, maybe he's trying to figure out how bad he's really running or if this is just being outplayed. And maybe that'll be what goes into his decision. Now, people have talked about the Bill Perkins match. Bill Perkins is a recreational player who is probably much inferior to Galfond at Heads Up PLO. Perkins has a ton of money, just wants to be part of this. The problem is uh, there's no way that Galfon can win back that money against just Perkins because they have a 400k euro stop loss, 
and a uh, and the most he could win from Perkins. They have like a four to one side bet, but the most he can win from Perkins is two hundred fifty k in the side bet euros and four hundred euros in the actual match. So at most he will beat Perkins for six fifty k euro, and that's not going to erase uh, the entire loss to Veni Vidi. If he quits Veni Vidi right now, he will have lost one point one. 18 euro million euro so that's uh, 1 million 118,000 euro he will have lost to Veni Vidi between the side bet the 18k penalty and the 900k he's already lost so even if he got back 650 from Perkins in the best case scenario that would still leave him uh, almost 500k euro in the hole furthermore he really has to be concerned now about the chance Cornuth match I'm not sure when they're going to play that, but there's a four to one side bet where Cornuth will win a million euro versus 250 that uh, he'll have to pay Phil on that side bet. And then, of course, that's in addition to whatever uh, Cornuth beats him out of if Cornuth beats him. And who knows how good Cornuth is at uh, heads up PLO. Chance Cornuth is a, a great card player. So just because he doesn't have as much experience in heads up PLO as uh, Galfon does, Maybe Cornuth has been studying his ass off, and maybe he will be a better player. Maybe he's been practicing and studying his ass off. And what if he wins another million right there on the side bet off of uh, Galfont? So he has to worry about that one now, too. And, of course, the Action Freak match, which is only 7,500 hands, but Action Freak is said to be even better than Veni Vidi. So imagine what a disaster that's going to be. Uh now, I can empathize with Phil here. As I've said, I, I've had periods of time where I can't do anything but lose and where nothing goes right, and during such streaks, even the fish beat me, and my play starts to suffer. I, I can't keep playing at my highest level if I'm just getting beat time after time after time, especially like multiple sessions in a row. It's like like a streak that Galfon's having here, if I have a 15-session streak like that, I, I have a hard time handling that, as do a lot of people. I don't have a hard time handling like one streak where I'm getting clobbered, but but when it's over and over and over again where all I do is lose, that really makes it tough for me. And it, it is for him, and I can empathize with that. And all the stuff he says he's feeling, I can totally feel it too. And I have felt it before. And I don't think any of that is exaggeration or BS. Now, one thing I never had to deal with was the fallout of getting my clock cleaned in a public challenge because I've never played under the circumstances. Yeah, one time we had a... Kind of a joke challenge between me and Yebsite, where I actually lost heads up to Yebsite, which is embarrassing. But, uh, you know, aside from that, I, I've, I've never had a, a real public challenge, oh, especially like a long-term challenge where you can't just blame it on variants like I can with Yebsite. And that's going to be the most difficult part for him. It was long seen that Phil Galfound was, was the top heads up PLO player of all time. And now compared to Veni Vidi, he looks like a fish. His personal reputation, that is Galfon's, it's still excellent, but his reputation of being one of the top players in poker has been severely damaged. He's His reputation has changed from this crusher to a has-been. And he, that's got to be really bothering him, perhaps more than the million dollars he's lost. Especially because some of that probably wasn't his. Last week, he said in his update, I absolutely love this shit. And I said that was insincere. And from this week's update, or this past week's update, uh, it looks like I was correct. Uh, it looks like he was quietly battling situational depression over this whole thing and self-doubt. And 
I figured that was true because I've battled that before when I've been on a long-term losing streak. Now, what has to be really tough is that Phil is now failing at everything he's doing, which is the opposite of how his life has gone up until about two years ago. So prior to when he started Run It Once Poker, think about it. He had an excellent reputation. Everyone thought he was a nice guy, a good guy, a friendly guy. Everyone liked him. He's one of the few poker players who everyone liked. He ran a successful training site that made good money. Run it once. He married a hot soap opera star. He even managed to win a bracelet, a 10K bracelet, at the World Series of Poker in a game he didn't know very well, which is 08. He was a great PLO player, but he admitted he barely played 08. He, he quickly took some tips on, on how to play 08, sits down at a 10K event at the World Series and wins. Unbelievable. He was living a charmed life. Everything he did just always fell into place. He just always kept winning at everything he did. Poker and outside of poker. But the run at once poker site was the start of his problems. It was a questionable idea from the start. It was badly mismanaged. And then he created this Galfon challenge as an ill-advised attempt to market it. And uh, he overestimated his skill against these uh, great online crushers like Vanny Vitti. And who knows, these guys could be using solvers in the background. And the whole thing is just one disaster after another. This this marketing idea has turned into another disaster. He wouldn't be doing this challenge if it wasn't for the fact that Run It Once Poker has been failing. It's been like one problem is leading to the next. One bad decision leads to another bad decision. So it went from a guy whose life was charmed and everything worked out. He never seemed to face adversity to everything he tries fails. And that's got to be tough. One of my favorite quotes from former Dodgers manager Tommy Lasorda was, the worst thing about success is that it doesn't prepare you for failure. And I think it's a great quote because it's so true. If you're constantly succeeding, it can be hard to handle when you inevitably fail. Whereas if your life is uh, peppered with a combination of successes and failures, you learn how to deal with failure much better. In short, sometimes it's good to lose just to have the experience of losing. It's not good to lose all the time or to lose more often than you win, but it's sometimes good to have the experience of losing under your belt so you can handle it when it happens in the future. And it looks like Phil Galfond, uh, he's not used to this. So this has got to be tough for him. Uh, now, Luke Schwartz, very brash uh, British player who likes to talk trash. He, the, the thing he's been doing recently on Twitter is these solve for why tweets. Now, if you remember, solve for why is the name of uh, Matt Berkey's uh, training program. It's solve for W-H-Y. But uh, Luke Schwartz has adopted that phrase to talk about something that he doesn't understand or something that he thinks is uh, either not true or weird or something he wants everyone to think about. Usually it involves bashing someone or something in poker. So this is what he wrote on February 12th. Solve for why. Galphond is writing these pigeon-fucking notes after he got his ass handed to him every session by someone who's five years and 14 advanced solvers better than him. Forget you talking about an A game, B game, C game, your A plus game will lose to him at close to the same rate you have been. Whilst you're sitting there posting these long ass bowl notes about mental game running bad, etc., 
Mate Vinny Vidi's absolutely chilling, thinking, wow, have I stumbled upon this massive spot. Truth is, you're a washed-up nice guy, everyone has their time, and you certainly can't beat the top guys in PLO anymore. It's clearly time to wave the white flag. As for all these fanboys and other players leeching onto his post-session notes and thanking him for sharing his delusional run-bad theories and heartfelt thoughts, seriously, grow the fuck up. He's a fucking spent force. He tried to do something to make his poker site more relevant. It stung him in the ass, and now he's either got too much ego or too stupid to quit. You basement boys living in the past of full tilt days. Phil was good then, but the game has passed him by, and you really shouldn't care. As for those of you who do, who do care, then while well, you need help. Phil is no LeBron James. He's a nerdy little nice guy who is trying to extend his poker money making by getting some traction off his failing site. This is almost painful to watch, is what I hear people say. Painful, why? Because the egotistical, hey guys, it's Phil, is getting bashed up the unknown hum- by the human robot? Time to get a new poker hero, lads. Curtain calls horrible business decision to go play an unknown solver that no one even knows its real name is your first challenge. Listen up, save your side, come play me. We're the same age, have similar egos. I've never studied a hand of poker in my life. Let's level out the playing field. Give the fanboys a proper rail. And on a side note, uh, Mike Gorondisky, while you're a nice guy, you're one arrogant ape-looking skinny-ass mother. There's a line of people waiting to bet me if you want your pigeon 10k Twitter side bet, and if Phil Galfon sticks his chest back into the tiny frame of his and declines my challenge, me and you can crossbook every single time we both play in your treasured little Bobby's room full of self-righteous wankers. Wow. <laughs> That's some statement. Phil responded, come on, Luke. Call me a delusional, outmatched, wash-up, nice nerd all you want, but don't act like I'm dodging our challenge. We'll play when I'm done with a few of these, probably after World Series of Poker, as we've discussed and planned. Do I have to post our texts? So then at that point, uh, Luke backed down a little bit, saying, ha, oh, you really are a nice guy. I'm just hyping it. Uh, it was more of a slander about the post-match essays and the miserable fanboys worrying about you and your bottomless pit of money. Rest up, go get some Perkins money, and avoid Action Freak. Be well, Phil. Luke Schwartz still claiming he wants to play Galfon, saying, I'm a better opponent for you. I don't study, and I just play by feel. You're never going to beat these guys who are either running solvers or been studying solvers. They're going to kill you. Play someone like me. We're the same age. We play kind of. We both kind of play by feel. Let's just do this and know you're, you're not a favorite, and it's not about your A, B, or C game. You're just getting killed, and he's way better than you. That's what uh, Luke Schwartz is saying. Believe it or not, despite all the Galfon fanboys, uh, Luke Schwartz's little essay there got mostly a good response on Twitter. People saying that uh, Luke is one of the few interesting characters left in poker, that they love when he writes stuff like this. Uh, it, it got a good reaction. I thought people were going to get all over Luke Schwartz, but I guess people uh, enjoyed that little essay. And, thought, and some even said that Luke gave him the best advice that he's received yet. Now, Chicago Joey is going to have Galfond on his program on Wednesday. And that I'm going to listen to. That I am looking forward to hearing. Uh, Galfond, I don't know what kind of questions he's going to face from Joey. Now, when Joey announced this, I asked Joey, do you take questions? Because I want to submit some. I can't force uh, Joey to answer the questions. Or ask the questions, and uh, but uh, and I guess he can't force Phil to answer them. But I would love to have some of these asked of Phil, and it's the best way I can ask Phil questions. Phil thinks I'm too critical. He hasn't said that directly, but uh, 
believe me, he thinks I'm too critical. He doesn't want to answer me. That's why some of you may wonder why I don't have him on this show, why I don't ask him on this show. I already know the answer. He's not going to come on here because he's kind of bitter that I've been critical of his poker site the whole way. And I've seen that on 2 Plus 2. Phil's never going to directly confront anybody. He's uh, Even if he dislikes you, he will be passive-aggressive or just ignore you. He will never come at you directly. He'll always keep the whole nice guy routine up. So he's never attacked me or anything, but I, I can tell right now he doesn't care for me too much because I uh, I was critical and I was never mean or nasty or, or mocking him or anything. I was uh, I, I was bringing up like legitimate things about the way they were running run at once poker that I thought were mistakes. But yeah, he had an ego attached to the whole thing, and he didn't like that I was one of the more vocal critics of it. And I guess he also felt that I may have been help, holding the site back when people like me are posting criticisms maybe people don't want to show up there and play he didn't say that but the, that's what i'm assuming anyway he he would not come on this show i can tell you that in the past before i did that he might have but but not now so the best i can do is feed questions to joey which i did so privately and hopefully joey will ask these i even said to joey you don't have to say they came from me just just ask him i don't care i don't want the credit just just ask the questions please and i know it's your show so i'm not demanding you ask these but here's some suggested questions from me and Use what you wish. Here's the seven questions. Actually, it's kind of eight questions. Number one, how are you sure that Venny Vidi is not using a solver or some other form of computer assistance in the background? Number two, how much of yourself do you have in these matches? Number two, A, if not 100%, do any of the investors in Run It Once Poker have a piece of you? If so, much, if so how much do they have? Number three, how much of an overall traffic increase has in- resulted from you having this match? Now, by the way, I looked this up. I've been looking on Poker Scout to see what the answer to that question truly is, and it's very close to... Zero point zero. But I want to hear what he says, because he's been acting so optimistic that this has, been, you know, this has brought people to the site, he's thrilled with the traffic, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's all a bunch of BS. So I, I want to hear what he has to say about that, and then compare that to... What poker stats or poker scout says. Number four, do you think that it would have been smarter to invest the money into more traditional marketing of your site and perhaps hire additional programmers to add tournaments to your site more quickly? Because the site still has no tournaments. I always felt that any kind of real heavy marketing expenditure should come after the site is ready. And any site in 2020, which does not have multi-table tournaments is not going to be a successful site. So I don't even know why they're doing this whole match series and risking millions of dollars and so far lost $1 million when they don't even have the tournaments ready yet. But I'm saying, do you think it would have been smarter to take the same money and invested it in improving the site and marketing the site? Number five, how far will you take the match against Action Freak before quitting if losing badly? Number six, are you concerned now about your million euro four to one prop bet against Chance Corn Youth, given the Chance is an excellent card player and maybe tougher than expected, just like Venny Vidi was? And finally, number seven, what percentage chance would you give it at this point that Venny Vidi isn't better than you and the results are strictly due to running badly? So I want to hear from him at this point. Uh, what, what percent does he think that it's just all run bad and not a difference in skill that's causing this? Those are my seven questions. I don't know how many Joey will ask, but those that's my suggestion that he's received them, and we will see what uh, Joey ends up asking. I know Joey uh, personally likes Galifond, which makes it a little tougher to ask 
tough questions, but I, I hope that we'll get uh, hard-hitting Joey, not softball Joey. Though Joey's gotten better in recent years than not being a softball tosser. He was once a softball tosser, but he's he's not really anymore. He's He's gotten a lot better at asking the tough questions, so hopefully he will ask those questions. And if not the ones I submitted, hopefully he'll ask other tough questions and we can get the answer to some of these and find out a bit more about this match. Okay, so that's it for the Galfon topic. But I see we got a message from John Audi that he's not quite ready for the phone call yet. He's going to message me when he is. So in the meantime, we're going to kill time, maybe read some texts, figure out some stuff to talk about. And when he's ready, we will bring him on. I'll, let me ask you something real quick. Yeah. I saw your uh, tweet about your uh, rare game piece site. Yes. Have you been watching that uh, McMillions documentary on HBO? I have not, but I plan to. But yes, it is uh, awesome. Th- that's I good just to watched hear. the third episode tonight. I was affected by that because I was playing that McDonald's game a lot when that was happening because I happened to work really, really, really close to a McDonald's. Let me just say that. It was a walking distance for me. So I didn't go there every day. But if I didn't feel like driving anywhere for lunch, I would uh, just walk out the door and take not too many steps and uh, wind up at the McDonald's. And at the time, what I always ordered was the uh, the big and tasty and the fries. And I, I liked that because the big and tasty was a uh, it was a quarter pound burger, and I think it was ninety nine cents. And then I don't think that. Uh, Many places were offering a 99-cent quarter pounder at the time. The Big and Tasty actually was done away with exactly because of Jews like me, because they realized that the other quarter pound products they had, which were much more expensive, people were deciding not to buy because the Big and Tasty uh, was available, available for 99 cents. I mean, yeah, it didn't come with as much, but I didn't. I don't eat that stuff anyway. So a lot of people said, screw it, I'm not paying four bucks for a quarter pound burger with extra stuff on it. If it's just a, I can get a quarter pound ver- burger with like just lettuce and tomato for 99 cents. So I would order that and the large fries. And I had my own drinks there at the office. So I didn't even need to buy a drink. So it was a cheap meal. And the Monopoly game, what I really liked about it at the time was that it often had little coupons you'd win. So even though I didn't really ever win anything on the Monopoly board, I got so many coupons of like 50 cents off next meal, 25 cents off next meal. It may say, okay, big deal, but this added up. Like every time I went in, I buy a meal for like $3.50 and then I get a, a ticket saying 50 cents off next meal. So I liked that. I liked getting that in addition to some prizes I'd win. I'd win free shakes. I'd win free burgers, free fries sometimes. So I liked the food prices the best. I wasn't delusional I was going to win the million dollars. It turned out that I really shouldn't have been delusional about winning the million because, of course, uh, the – people who were running the game were cheating and stealing the pieces for themselves. So they did this uh, documentary about it, which I, I've really meant to watch. And in fact, my girlfriend said that she has an interest in watching this. So we're going to watch this together. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it was well done and the Trader Ruski enjoyed it. That's the high praise there. I'm definitely going to watch that when it come. Well, it's come out already, but I'm, when I, I have the time to do so. Well, it's not out. I mean, it's, oh, it's, not it's out? only one episode. Well, it's one episode a uh, week. I oh, I didn't six know that. episodes total. Oh, I thought it was like one documentary. I didn't yeah. know that. No, oh, but okay. it's good because you guys are – there's three in the can now. You oh, okay, good, good, good. When you're ready. See, this is good sometimes when you come in behind like that because it's all just ready for you. Got a text from the uh, 410. Uh, you are better than that St. Mason. Yeah. Mason – He'll, he'll ban you if you uh, look at him the wrong way from all the way across the casino. 
So uh, now somehow I'm not banned on this site, but I think it's because two plus two has become a fail site, and Mason realized that I post good content there. He'll never admit that, but his lawyer, when when I was having the issues between when I'm talking to his lawyer about the content that was being reposted on Poker Fraud Alert and copyright infringement, which wasn't really happening, and uh, somehow part of the whole settlement, which there was no financial settlement, by the way. I gave them uh, not a penny. But the, the whole settlement of the matter involved allowing me back on the site, which I didn't ask for. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Mason says, uh, you know, as part of this whole thing, you can come back to the site, which I didn't ask for. So I think what was really going on is they wanted me back on the site. He just didn't want to admit that. So I, I post there sometimes. But uh, but it's funny. You can tell Mason is, like, still very bitter towards me, like if, if I'm involved in a conversation which he's in. He tries to find a way to find fault with what I'm saying and makes little uh, references to things like over 10 years ago that I supposedly did wrong to him. Like He just can't get over anything. He'll say, well, you wrote this about me. Uh, you wrote 11 years ago that uh, Mason is not known for his uh, charitable giving. And, and look at my tennis charity. See, that shows how wrong you are all the time. I'm like, oh, my God. He just... The guy doesn't forget anything. Forget, forget. He's so fucking strange. Yeah, he's, he's, he is really strange, and I, but I, I call him out on it. I, I, I will not kiss his ass there. Like if he wants to ban me, and now I was promised as part of our little settlement that he's not going to ban me over anything flimsy. I said I will follow the. I, when I said when I came back, is I'm only going to come back if I am left unbanned, provided I follow two plus two rules. I'm not going to break your rules, but I don't want to be banned just because Mason's annoyed with me or annoyed with something going on on my site or whatever other flimsy reasons he's used in the past. Like, I've been banned there before a few times, but never because of anything I did on 2 Plus 2. One of them was because of something I posted on Poker Fraud Alert they didn't like. Not even about them. It was really stupid. It's like a matter that uh, like someone was like partially falsely accused of something. I was told some rumor. I posted it. It turned out it was only half true. And Mason banned me because he didn't like that I hadn't apologized yet to the guy. It wasn't even someone he knew personally. It's the weirdest reason to ban someone. Then I, I was also banned because of something Micon did back in 2008 that had nothing to do with me. So, like, there were different reasons for banning me, always just something that Mason was annoyed about but never had to do with anything that I did wrong on the site. Whenever I've been on the site, I have followed the rules, and any, like, petty thing I don't follow, if they warn me, I go, okay, fine, I won't do this again. Like, I've been... I've been a good user there, and I've posted quality content. Everything, like, look at my post there. My name is Kilowatt there, K-I-L-O-W-A-T-T. Uh, you, you can look at my post there. You'll see they're all good quality posts. I don't troll there. I, when I, I only post if I have something really dis, of value to say. Even if you don't agree with me, you can see the posts are good and well thought out. And that's why they wanted me back, because they knew that. And the site has been dead. It was once so busy on 2 Plus 2 that uh, you couldn't read it all unless you did nothing else with your day. It was that busy where you had to choo- pick and choose what you'd read on there just in, in the NVG forum. Now the NVG forum is actually less active on some days than Poker Fraud Alert's Flying Stupidity forum. I'm not kidding. And some of the other forums are just on there are completely dead or super, super slow moving. This is just a tremendous downswing on there. And it's a lot of it's because forums have fallen out of favor. Forums are just not cool anymore. People like social media. People like Reddit. People don't like forums like they used to. That's why I'm proud of the fact that Poker Fraud Alert has kept basically the same activity level the whole time. 
That's why I laugh at people say, oh, look, the, your site is dying. It's not as active as it was a few years ago. I go, the fact that my site is even close to as active as it was at its peak is a victory in 2020. Because forums just don't have uh, – they're, they're just not what they were. And any forum that can keep up some level of activity, you're doing a good job. What else can we discuss here? Oh, I missed for the first time in uh, a few years the – Limit Hold'em and 08 events at Commerce. These just took place. Still staying away from Commerce, still staying away from the bike, still staying away from Hustler. I was in the area of the Hustler, and I totally would have gone this past weekend, but I did not go. I'm staying away from all these Southern California card rooms until I really have a better understanding of the coronavirus risk. And when I say the risk, I mean not only the risk of getting it, but also the risk that it would kill me as a healthy male in my late 40s. The flu doesn't scare me. I don't want the flu, but it doesn't scare me. I'm not terrified of getting it. I know I'm going to survive it if I get it. Maybe in 30 years if I get it, I won't survive it, but uh, I know right now I'm going to survive it if I get it. The flu doesn't kill people like me. Coronavirus, who knows? Something else I wanted to mention, another poker room has has opened in Las Vegas, the first poker room to open in a long time. They've been closing, but not opening. But uh, the Sahara, the new Sahara has opened a poker room. It's been like a soft opening, I think. It's going to have its official opening, I believe, on the 20th or 21st of February. People are saying good things about it. I had criticized it before for not having a cashier. But it turns out you actually can buy chips and cash out chips right there in the front where you register for the games. So that's pretty much like a cashier. That's fine. I take back that criticism, and I hope the new Sahara Room does well. It's good news that a new poker room is opening in Vegas after so many of them were closing. Oh, and look, the wait is over. John Audi just popped up on my Skype here. He's already connected to us, so let's start. Hello. Hello, how are you? You just you just you just popped up here. I added you to the conversation, and then you just you just yeah, here. Sorry, I just pressed join. Exactly. Sorry about that. I uh, just woke up, and uh, sorry for being late as well. No, it's okay. How are you? Is it bad timing? Shall I come back? Later? No, no, no. You you can say we no. We've been killing time waiting for you. We're sort of this this it's it's all revolving around you here. So uh, th- anyway, thanks for coming on the show. I, I I have to say I didn't expect this when this whole thing started. And, and yeah. I got that message, and I, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to jerk around this guy who's trying to sell this thing to me, and, and see how much I can get out of him, and then I'll then I'll make it public what's going on. And I I I, ne- I got an idea eventually that he probably wasn't the one who designed it, but I I said I, I I would never have imagined that the creator of this exploit would be on this show. So the fact that we even got to this point is great, and I I think this is yeah, it's pretty good. And um... The thing with that is exploiting furthermore would just ruin uh, Poker Maven's reputation because you see the poker community right now, they don't really look at um, the details. They just see like Poker Maven's has been exploited. Then they just go for uh, Poker Maven's is a bad, what, uh, bad software, the Bricksoft isn't that good. Well, in fact, it's actually pretty good and Poker Maven's has some security features built in. But it's the exploiters that are the ones ruining it. So, uh, right. well, we'll, we'll, we'll get, so we'll get into this. I've got some questions for you, as as I, uh, as you know. So yeah, go, go for so, it. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and uh, you can uh, 
give your answers, and then, then we can just have more of a free-form conversation after that where you can uh, talk about whatever you'd like to talk sure. about, and hopefully people will understand this whole thing better. So, and, and so uh, some of these questions, I, I don't even know the answer yet, so I, I will learn as the listener does too. So, so first of all, and by the way, this guy's in Lebanon. You're actually physically in Lebanon, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're, you're, Lots of you're the things fir- happening right now, but yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the you're the first guest we've ever had on the show from Lebanon, so uh, congratulations uh, to that. I, well, I for some reason I'm not surprised, uh, but yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> because yeah, we're not very yeah. Well, okay, wh- whatever. I'm, I, this is an interesting segment. I'm I'm glad you're coming on here. So okay, here's the first question. All right. What made you want to create a tool? to see people's cards in the Poker Maven software? Were you doing it to make money to sell it, or were you doing it for fun or, or, or for both? Okay, uh, so this is not an advertisement for myself or in, in any way, but uh, I've, had, I've had experience in this field, especially in reverse engineering as a hobby, uh, back when I was young. And uh, perhaps if you search me up, you can see that I've used to do it for several games. Uh, at first, for for the few games I've started with, for example, Counter Strike. I'm not sure if you you know it exactly, but yeah, I, I know of it. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. It, I don't Daisy, know it very well. Uh, yeah, it's several games out there. So I've worked with. Uh, it was more of a hobby or a passion. Then I've been told that I could sell them, so I've went ahead and started selling these types of cheats. And uh, then I gained some experience. Eventually, when someone comes to you and tells you, "Hey," um, I want, uh, I've been searching for someone to be able to, for example, show me the hands of the cards in poker in this specific game. So uh, the first thing that comes to mind, you're like, okay, um, why why are you going to use that for? Eventually, he just wants to cheat his clients, but he's going to pay for it. So might as well take it because someone else would have taken it. And uh, I just noticed that actually there are, some freelancer posts about this and yeah so so i i said why not and then just resell it later on that's mainly for the, the there was no specific uh objective on creating this sheet it, it actually came from a customer's demand nothing else okay so now, now when you say that uh, this freelance post you're saying that uh, are, are other people like you posting that they're willing to do this and you're just one of them uh, I was not one of them, but I've I've uh, been emailed about this topic. But when you say freelance posts, what posts are you talking about? I'm not sure what you mean by that. No, usually it's like a freelancer job. I mean, uh, usually there's a website where everyone goes. I want someone to make me a freelance uh, a uh, what is it? Poker Ravens hack, and then someone comes in and um, requests. Okay, I'll do it for you for uh, X amount of money, for example. So it's it's more like a let's say auction house thingy. I'm pretty sure you've been through freelancing uh, at some point of your life. So well, yeah, yes, yes. I'm just trying to. I was trying to understand what you meant that it was either that that freelancers were yeah, offering to do this, or if it, or if, it, or if it's just yeah, a exactly. freelance board where people post, uh, "Hey, I want this done," and then people such as yourself say, "Yes, I can do it," and then exactly. you negotiate. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty much that was it. Even though I was emailed once, I was uh, my request was emailed, but I've started searching to see the price ranges the so it was pretty actually i went to bricksoft forums 
the one for Brickstop, and I even saw some guy that wanted the feature, but Kent was like, uh, you don't need that feature because it's a, uh, that, like, there's no point of it unless you want to cheat your clients, and that would ruin uh, Poker Maven's reputation. Yeah, he's right. So eventually, yeah, he, he is right, actually. Um, but, you, you, you know, you can't really stop someone from doing what he wants with his own software, so... Yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, so somebody hired you. So the guy who hired you, um, so, so you created this and obviously it worked. I, I ran it myself, uh, not, not on my poker room, but I saw a demonstration. Even uh, though it, uh, that's quite the uh, lag I'm driving around. I'm sorry. Can you, can you repeat? I say I, what you created worked. I got to see an example of it running. And, uh, so, so, so how did this, uh, person, who contacted me? Get a, was he the client? How did he get a hold of it, and why, and why was he trying to sell I'm, it to me? Uh, actually, the interesting thing—I'm pretty—that's sure, my theory. I'm pretty sure he went around asking different people for to, for his uh, for his version to be sold. For example, the, I gave him a trial version of the of the Poker Mavens hack, and he just went around. I think show it to other people. While I, I, he even contacted me several times to open my website server, and uh, I think he went around just to fund his own project because he thought probably the price tag was a bit too high. Perhaps he was trying to sell it to someone else so he can pay his share and the and the uh, seller the other person's share. So you're saying your theory is that uh, he wanted to buy a full version of this. I guess the trial version expires at some point and he can only use it for some uh, limited length of time. Is that what the trial version was? Um, I my theory would be he was trying to show off his trial version to other people. Uh, making him, making the other people pay for his version. Yeah, yeah, right. And, but but the trial version you're talking about, how is it a trial version? Does it expire after some time? Uh, okay, well, basically, I just... Okay, so the hack, how does it work? How does it happen? There are several ways to do it, and one of them, the one I gave the user was uh, you patch the executable. So you have, like, a file. I don't want to talk technical terms a lot, but uh, you take the file folder or whatever you have Poker Mavens in. There's an executable that you have to change a specific string or text inside uh, to be able to expose that vulnerability. It's not really a vulnerability since you have actually exploited something, but um, yeah, you just have to patch it and give it away. So what I have given him, I have had given him was a trial version. As you know, you can go to Poker Mavens right now and download the 30-day... No, not it's a 500-hand uh, version of the game. So you can only get 500 hands to play. That That is also known as the trial version. And that's what I fetched for him. I did not oh, give I him see. a pro or a gold version of the game. I, I see. So, so you gave him a version of Poker Mavens that's going to expire itself. And then at that point, yeah. the, the yeah. So I didn't, not I didn't really bother. Plus, yeah, exactly. And plus, uh, it was connected to my website, so all the data was going through my website, and uh, so I could, I could have blocked it once I wanted to, like in case he doesn't pay, in case he doesn't, he doesn't finish anything. I, I can just simply delete the page on the website. Yeah, I saw. I noticed that because when I, when he was offered to me, 
Um, and this is where I came up with the theory that the guy was from Lebanon, because what happened is he sent me two different uh, IP addresses to connect to. One was just uh, just some IP address I didn't bother to look up where it resolved to. Uh, yeah, actually, was... actually, both IP addresses are on my server. Okay, I'm okay. Sure so, because so... One, one IP address is uh, – he also requested it for me. One IP address is from uh, – did you join the game hosted on my server? Was it was no, it a Poker Maven's uh, trial version? It was, I don't know if it was a trial version. I played a Poker Maven's that was uh, on just some IP address, not a domain. And then I also connected yeah, yeah, to I also connected to your your domain was... to, to to actually see the tool running. Yeah, I'm pretty much assuming it's uh, it's the both IP addresses. Okay. For some reason, it wasn't working on my host's name, so he was. He was. I gave him the IP address. So, so he wasn't an affiliate or anything. He was just. He was probably just some guy no, who, no. who want who want, who had a just trial version. He was an, an affiliate. Um, I don't think he would be. No offense. I don't think he would be stupid enough to go on a PokerFraudAlert.com to try to sell hack to. <laughs> well, I don't think he understood yeah, it. I, that's I a, think that's the right. I don't think he understood it. I don't think he understood what Poker Fraud Alert was because even after I posted the whole thing, he's still offering me other things. So I, I think that was a, a mistake he made there. And also, believe it or not, he offered for me to become an affiliate. <laughs> All right. Well, probably expanding his circle. Then I'm not sure. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, but he, but he was trying to sell it to me for uh, ten thousand dollars, and uh, and yeah. but then yeah, I said I, so. Then I was trying to deep, negotiate. Yeah. I wasn't yes, going to so. buy it, but I wanted to see what he negotiated. So I said, "Well, that that sounds like too much. Uh, the, let's come down some." And he says, "Well, what do you want it for?" And I, I never continued, but it looked like he was willing to negotiate. Uh, now, are, are you willing to say how much does this type of thing usually cost to have done? If if I said I want this version that's not on a trial version, which I don't, but if I did. Um, would you be willing to quote a price here? So a really complicated thing to say. Um, it really depends on what, how many clients do you usually have. Usually, these are small questions to know what is what do you expect from the client's budget. But I would have said uh, for such a hack, maybe. It wasn't something much, if you think about it. It's just redirecting or like a small spyware on the patch the executable. Uh, less than $5,000 for sure, but okay. I would not say anything above. Uh, the, the expensive stuff starts with um, predicting cards, with uh, changing the values of cards, with a nice interface and stuff like that, but it's still it's still a I, I think it's still steep. Quite five thousand dollars, I think it's a bit too much for a few hours of work, you know. Well, people will pay for it but, though. I mean, the, the truth is that if people are running one of these yeah. rooms for real money, they can recoup uh, that five thousand yeah, really definitely. quickly. Uh, it's not even about about the amount of work. It's that's that's why when he was saying ten thousand, like that sounds like a lot, but uh, I could see people. Is it really these, though? If you think about it, people make with real money. They can make up to, to let's say, ten thousand dollars a day if they have huge servers running Poker Mavens, for example, and they can just go ahead and see their cars, know what if they're gonna win or not. So oh, yeah. it's, it's really unethical, if you ask me. But uh, if the client wants to cheat, I'm guessing he will be able to cheat, no matter the client he's using, Poker Mavens or others. That's the thing. That's the thing I want to say from the beginning. So, so your your attitude is that uh, if if the guy wants to cheat. He's going to find uh, someone to program it for him. So, so you don't mind being the programmer because if if you were never born, he'd no. still find a way to do it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not only that. It's not because of getting paid or anything like that. It's because like 
what you have here is is especially in poker mavens it's a server it's an application on the server which doesn't let you give doesn't give you the uh, the ability to see the cards for example but what happens is on other programs open source programs exactly that run poker software you you don't really need someone to reverse engineer anything you just have to go in the code and just either enable a feature or show the cards or this makes the job way easier you don't even need a reverse engineer you can just get some freelancer that uh knows some bit of what depends on the code c sharp c plus plus and he'll do it for you so um the thing the, the small thing that happened in poker fraud alert was more of a let's say it attacked more on poker mavens than the idea that it represented that it was if you have bad hosts or bad operators you will have a bad game with them you will eventually know that you're getting cheated no matter what even if they were using a million dollar uh software it does not matter at all because even million dollar softwares can be exploited at this point so that's what i was going to ask next it says is it your opinion that any poker software can be reverse engineered or exploited in some way to where the a, a shady operator who wishes to cheat can see people's whole cards. Yeah, well, if the software runs on the server of the operators, yes, they are able to to get someone to help them cheat. Okay, this is this is not my opinion. This I think this is a fact actually because what you have is pretty much the. Uh, values available on the server eventually they have the values shown on the other end it's quite complex but they will always find a way or at least they can try to find a way to exploit a cheat at some point perhaps just seeing the cards you can know that but it really depends on what type of software but for example if you want to take a software that has that doesn't run on websites just like poker mavens poker mavens runs on websites if it doesn't run on websites but on applications then you're going to have to find another way if it's not through um through what is it injecting a spyware you can find it by injecting something else but perhaps 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 injecting a dll in the memory of the server software perhaps um you can scan for web sockets going out and in from your server and there are several ways to do it but again i would suggest just 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 you know you can't really know whether an operator has been shady or not thankfully the one that i have given uh this the uh sir was easy to detect but again if i wanted to hide it and i meant to hide it i could have hide hidden it somewhere else that's the thing that's what i'm trying to say you can as a client you can never know whether you're getting cheated or not yeah, that's. I mean, I believe that to be true. Now you're saying that you don't feel that. Now, how hard do you think it would be to create one that, uh, for example, runs as an executable? I know that, uh, and people may not realize this. The Poker Maven software, which we use, there's in fact a free roll running right now on Poker Fraud Alert that is using Poker yeah. Maven software. Uh, so. It is run through a browser. If you guys think about it, when you guys play, you actually uh, are, are connecting through your web browser. You're not running uh, a poker client on your computer. So, so exactly. you're, you're saying that first of all, it's, it's easier to exploit those, the ones that are run through a browser, rather than ones that uh, are clients that you run. Uh, well, it, I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying it's a different approach. It's just a different because the browser browsers have different types of exploits, whereas the applications the given to users you can also ex- exploit them in the same way. You can just I, if it's if the code is available you can do whatever you want. That's a. If the code is not available you have just have to reverse engineer the server file. If it's uh, if uh, for some reason you didn't want to reverse engineer the server file because it's a bit too hard for you, you can just um, sniff the packets going out and going in from your server file. If you if the packets are actually encrypted very well and you cannot really decode it that easily, you're gonna eventually have to reverse engineer something. So yeah, there there is a way. Like I would say, 99% of the time there is a way to do something. Okay. And that other one percent of the time is either too complicated to do it within a time frame, or it's something quite shady, or it, it's really complicated to explain that point. Okay. Well, let, let me get to another question related to it. Uh, yeah. w- let's say something like Poker Stars, which is not a browser uh, poker room; it's one that you run a client on. But uh, that's that's the biggest one out there. Uh, let's say somebody who worked at PokerStars did not have access to the code, could not uh, modify anything that's running in the server, but they do have uh, they have access to it running there. They have access to PokerStars. They have access to the server it runs on, but they they cannot change uh, the executable that's running. Uh, okay, on the it server de- side. really depends who works. Who who is the one that works in PokerStars? So if you're telling me that the PokerStars developers are the ones that want to implement the hack, then yes, they are able to. But if you're telling me if there's a, I don't know, some operator that checks the uh, server every now and then, yeah, and like he that. wants to try and give it a shot, I don't think that is possible because he will take lots of time to try and reverse engineer the game and eventually make it very obvious to the uh, Poker PokerStars, uh, PokerStars engineers or whoever runs the server. So, so, it's not, so unless you know what to exploit, I don't think there is quite the an easy way to do it without having to do intensive research. Okay, so you're thinking someone someone with that access just wouldn't have the time. It would be difficult enough where they'd need to take a lot of time to eventually be caught that they're uh, they're messing around with it so much. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, exactly. And for, I'm pretty sure Poker Stars would not. I don't think it's a just a single executable that you run. And even in case it is, I don't think you are able to run it on another PC very easily, so you can do reverse engineering there. So it's not as easy as Poker Ravens, where you, have, you can get a trial version for free, try on it as much as you want, then you can get the pro or gold version and uh, just change some pointers for it to work or change some... You know what I mean. So it's not as easy. But it's doable in case the operators want it to. So if the PokerStar operator wanted, hey, uh, I want to be able to see my cards, I, I'm pretty sure this is this is going to be even easier than Poker Mavis because it's uh, they have the source code for. Well, it. yeah, and I'm not I'm not talking about in. someone on in the inside, and this has already been done uh, in the 2000s with, uh, with with Ultimate Bet and with Absolute Poker. So that it's already happened. We've seen it, and it was done. It was done by developers uh, under direction from from the owners who wanted to cheat people. So that's it's already happened. Exactly. Uh, so, exactly. so I wasn't asking, but I knew that that canon already has happened. I was w- more wondering if someone who doesn't have access to the code, how how easy it would be for them, uh, since you did it without uh, access to the Poker Maven's code. But I know that's different because that's run on a, through a browser. So uh, yeah, it's not it's not forget about the browser part. Let's say Poker Maven's run on an application. 
the whole exploit can be done through reverse engineering poker methods itself because you have the whole software in front of you. Yeah. So you have lots of you have plenty of time to guess what values are changing, to know what is happening, uh, to uh, pointer scan everything around the addresses that you want to look at. There's several ways to do it. It just requires a few a bit of study, a bit of time. Uh, I, I would not I would not imagine myself opening cheat engine on poker stars while the operators are looking at the server. If you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying that you can't just someone can't just take PokerStars home and try it on their home computer and and, and examine all the values that are yeah. being written and to memory. Especially if you if you mess up one small value, you can just sh- perhaps shut the server down and yeah, you can you can get lots of value yeah. I see. So now, there sense. is a way to there is a way to sniff the memory address without anyone looking and send it through a Wi-Fi network or something, send it through the internet. But it's it's quite the intense work, so I'm not sure how secure their servers are. I'm pretty sure they are, though. And uh, yeah, for for PokerStar, I'd say forget the idea unless the operators are shady. That's that's my conclusion. Okay. Uh, now, do you know of other poker software like Poker Mavens that uh, have been that have exploits exploits that have been created for them already uh, by either you or others? They're just uh, not not whether they could, but whether they actually have been done. Well, it would be I would assume anyone running it, any anyone running it on real money would have done it so far, or at least there is a minority who has. So in case in case for example there are there's what. Um, Got the names though. Um, I think it was iPoker, Poker TH. I'm not well, sure there, about there's, the names. There's Kings Club. There's Neighborhood Club. There's ones I, I don't play on them. These, but the- these are yeah. The thing with these ones are you cannot again you cannot install it on your computer to start reverse engineering at the slow pace unless they sell you their software, which you can just add the feature to yourself. But the I'm, I'm talking about the Poker Mavens lookalike, and yeah, I, I would assume. It, it already exists there, and I I would assume it's even easier to reverse engineer than Poker Mavens because uh, you know an open source poker game is just the source code of which you can access and change something in. So yes, I would say there are lots of softwares out there which have that <laughs> vulnerability, but I would not think they would have to reverse engineering the reverse engineer the same way Poker Mavens had because the owner of Poker Mavens did not want that so you will have to just go let's say bypass that order from him yeah well otherwise uh, yeah well I was yeah. going to say that now of course if, if there is proprietary software that uh, one room wrote for itself then uh, if the op- operator wants to be shady they can just write that into their own software obviously they don't need any yeah. exploits uh, but uh, now if it's only software that is sold that is not Written to be exploited, like Poker Mavens, that uh, that someone were to buy, and then uh, either it's easy to acquire a version of it, uh, either easy or cheap, like like with Poker Mavens, or or someone just decides to hire someone, like uh, you know, so let, let's say they write proprietary software, but then sell it to some other people. Uh, maybe the people who buy that may hire someone like you then to and then send them the copy of the software to, to attempt to play with it and, and find a way to to do it to, to get through it. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the guy who contacted me, going back to him, he later claimed – I never responded to him about this. I, but he claimed that he also has the ability now 
to and he was offering to demonstrate to me to use the same tool to not only see the opponent's whole cards but to see the entire board before it gets dealt. Uh, did you write the, that? And yeah, is that true? The, in the version I have given him, no, I did not on the trial version because the way of exploiting this does not work in the same way because now you're looking at the program's memory and you're no longer looking at the what has been sent through packets to the user. So, for example, let's say I have given uh, you're playing on my server. What data does my server give to you? It's going to give you what cards you have, and that's it. It's not going to give you what other players have. It's not going to give you uh, what what's the flop, what's the turn, what's the river. It's not going to give you anything unless it has been shown. Like, you're going to send a command, say, show the river, which is, uh, uh, let's say, king of hearts. So, what is happening here? In the version I have sent him, I'm just telling the client, show me what you can see. So if you cannot see the board, the flop, and everything else, you will not be able to get any information from that user about those. Now, to be able to receive this information, you can always just reverse engineer the memory itself and simply show what you can see. Now, I did not give him, I did tell him that I will try and will do it. When, when when we're done with the first phase of the cheat, I'm not saying it's possible or not. I'm, it eventually may or may not be possible. But uh, he, he, seemed to be indicating, again, he seemed to be indicating yeah. that, that he could do it already. He could show me. So is it, maybe he got someone else to do it? Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, if in case he did, he, did, he has a, quite enough chance. But I don't think he did. I, I would say... Go for it. If you can still get some, I don't think I, I don't think you can get some uh, info out of him right now because he's not answering my emails. But in case you can, I would like to know that as well. But I think I think it is actually indeed possible now that I think about it because everything's in the memory. And in case you cannot you cannot see the flop and the turn in the river, you can for sure you can change them. Yeah, that well, is that. Oh, that's I, I am changing. sure about because the variables will exist at some point. Yeah, changing. I didn't even think of that. I've never thought of changing it before. I've thought before. I've thought of. I always thought. It's funny you mentioned this. Just thinking about the types of cheating in online poker, I, I always thought. Well, the very worst you can have is to where not only do you know your opponent's whole cards, but you know what's going to be on the board too. And, and this way, uh, you, you never have to put any money in. When uh, when you know you're going to lose, even if, if if even if you know you're going to flop a set, if you know you're ultimately going to lose to a flush, you you fold pre-flop. So I, I I always thought that's the ultimate way of being cheated. That's the where you have the absolute worst chance of winning because you can't win every time your opponent's going to lose the hand. They're going to fold pre-flop. But this is even worse. There actually is one step above that where the the cheater can actually, actually change a the step cards. Above. You can yeah. change the values. You of can the change the cards, and the yeah, river, and you can also change the values of your cards. So, so you there can, are lots of things you can do. Yeah, so you can you can actually change things around to where you'll win instead of losing. That's even, that's even better than just avoiding playing hands where you're going to lose. Wow. So that I never thought yeah, of that, yeah. but that's pretty bad this, too. The reason the reason I am sure about that is because okay, so some. Poker software do not know what the river and the flop is so beforehand, unless they want it. Like for example, some some softwares just go ahead and say, "Okay, this is my hand. These are the cards on the table. This is gonna be the river. This is gonna be the flop. This is gonna be the turn, and that's it. That's my hand." 
some other type of software would just generate those numbers as soon as you want to show them. So if you if you want to show the flop, they will generate the numbers. You cannot you cannot predict it. They will generate the numbers and send it to the user. So okay, guys, this is the flop. Okay, guys, I just generated this is the turn. I just generated this is the river. Now, the thing with this is once you generate them, you're going to have to store them somewhere. So why not just change that value that is stored? Do you know what I mean? So if yeah. you're going to you have the uh, what is it? Uh, the three of clubs stored as a river. They just generated. As soon as they generate that number, I can just tell them, "Hey, I just want the ace of spades." Okay, so you just change that value, and everyone gets the ace of spades. This is a, an even more scary, or I would say, scarier approach because you're you're able to select the values that you want. Yeah. So all that I'm pretty sure, almost, almost all, uh, at least easily reverse engineering would help uh, with this topic. It would be it would work at most softwares that don't really have much security or obfuscation against reverse engineering. And, and uh, that, that's a good question, though. So what if software is created here that, with this in mind, that there's people like you who, who will make these tools? Uh, could, with this in mind that this could happen, do you think software could be developed to where it just uh, uh, enough is encrypted and it makes it tough enough to where it won't be able to be reverse engineered and it's just simply uh, unbreakable? I, I I really don't think this is in the operator's interest. Why would the operator, a shady operator, operator no, no, not a shady operator. Someone, someone like no, no, no. The operator wouldn't develop it that way. I'm saying if if they're buying commercially available software like Poker Mavens that says uh, yeah. we don't want our software to be used by cheaters, so we're going to make it really tough for even people who buy our software to then uh, exploit it. Uh, we, we just don't want that done. So do you think that could be done to prevent this? That would require... Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit technical. Perhaps I'm not sure if Kent is hearing this or not. But several ways to do it would eventually just make it a bit hard, a tad bit harder on the developer, on the, on the hacker, I mean. Because, okay, so um, back in the days, there was the game called DayZ. And they have something called an anti-cheat, which does not allow you to cheat or hack the game. And what it does is it just scans the memory of the game and checks whether someone is tampering with it. Okay? What was this so for? Now, what this was this for, though? What, 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 what program I'm was sorry? this for? What program was, was doing this? What program was this for? It's, it's, a, it's an anti-cheat called BattleEye back then. And what it used to be is, so there's a small function in coding that tells you, okay, go to this memory and change it, or show me what is hidden in this memory. Now, what BattleEye used to do is to scan for the checks. So when you tell the, your computer, go check what is happening in this memory, BattleEye Battle would get notified, okay, someone's checking your memory, watch out. And then it will ban you or something. Okay? So that's one thing that would prevent, as a first step, of uh, very, let's say, beginning, beginner level reverse engineering, then eventually what, what they did uh, is went into a driver mode. So the memory was kind of hidden, let's say, from the user. 
so you can't see any memory unless you go in the kernel of the of the your computer. So what you had to do here was to create a driver that contacts your computer's memory. So it was quite quite a hassle actually. It took me quite a while to get through this, but eventually I did get through this. So it's still not a uh, let's say foolproof system. And there are several ways that you can just it just will make uh, Mr. Kent's life harder just to try and changing the type of values he's using to hide the variables to do all these protective work. It will not only make his code really hard to understand in case he wants to go back to it and update something. It will also just like, let's say, 10 hours of work from his part will take a 30 minutes more work on the hacker's part. I would like like to give you that idea. I see. If you know what I mean, yeah, you know, I, I I understand what you're saying here. So, so, you, so you don't think that uh, this could be done that it, in order to just completely shut out anyone from exploiting it, provided that they have access to uh, to the software itself to spend some time on it. The only way to stop it from getting exploited is not to sell it publicly. I would yeah, say, yeah. I would well, aside from that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if they don't sell it, then aside from that, it. <laughs> it would be. In, if I was Kent right now, I would really... I'm not quite sure how he can find a way to stop this from people. But it's really not the people. He, he would probably just uh, scare the people, people off. So in case you just cheat on my software, you will get... Uh, what what your license gets terminated or something like that. But even that, it never really worked because the cheating makes off way more revenue than, than the software itself. So... I'm not really sure. Well, yeah, the software's cheap, so that's not gonna losing a license is not gonna be the end yeah, of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it never really works. Plus, it just makes them more angry, so they they would pay a hacker to crack his app instead of buying the license. <laughs> it's a really, yeah, it's it's quite weird. Yeah. So 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 overall, your your opinion is of, of the of this any poker software that's running uh, that uh, just. You always just have to trust the operator because uh, if they develop their own software, of course, they can put in whatever they want to cheat. And even if they're buying it yeah. from from a reputable source, such such as uh, the Brig software for Poker Maven, like things like Poker Mavens, if they buy the software from a reputable source, once the software is in possession of the person who's running it, then they can give this to somebody yeah, to, to it. hack it and 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 always find a way to exploit it anyway. So uh, so either way, uh, if the operator wants to cheat. He can or can pay someone else to assist him on learning how to do it. Uh, yes, I would assume that as well. Yeah, so I, I would assume that there is also a small thing that I wanted to add. Uh, in case you want to, for example, just one thing that I wanted to add on the part where you can generate your own cards, or or just yeah, the, the turn and the flop in the river. Uh, there is also you can. Several software use the standard Windows randomizer, which in something, this is called like, for example, when you tell your computer, give me a random value, it usually gives you a, a value based on the computer's, so several variables on your computer. So what, can, what, what a hacker can do also is disable the randomizer that is available on your computer so it always returns a certain value, for example, zero or one or two. And then he can note down what the turn and the flop and the river are. So he would predict eventually 
what so he's playing this game and he, he without even knowing anything he can just predict the flop the turn and the river from the randomizer it really depends how your system works there are some variables that come at play but this is a very scary thing to because in case he can know that okay so this turn i had this turn this flop this river and that uh flop so next turn i'm gonna have these ones and the turn after that i'm gonna have this one and the turn after that i'm gonna have this one so he can just predict several several games ahead what is gonna happen you're saying well yeah if so this actually happened about 20 years ago on a on a site called Planet Poker, one of the first – actually, I think it was the first real money online poker site where someone did crack the randomizer in that way and were able to know oh, always right. what was coming. And but this per, the, I, these, I, I these people – probably wasn't born yet. Yeah, I, yeah. I was, was going to ask you how old you are. You sound pretty young, but uh, how old are yeah, you? Yeah, I, I kind of am. <laughs> I'm 21 years old. Okay. Well, you, you were born, but uh, you, you were – Pretty young. You were little, you were a baby when this happened. This was happened. I yeah, think, exactly. This happened in uh, in 01, 19 years ago, and I was yeah, playing. I was so playing so. on there. I'm 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 nowhere near 21. So when <laughs> when this occurred, uh, the people who did it actually came forward and told them and said they were just doing this for like an educational project, and they told them about it, and and they were able to fix it. The problem was they didn't push the update correctly, and no one could connect to the server anymore, and that really hurt Planet Poker's activity and it never recovered from that, which was a, a weird side effect of the whole thing. But uh, someone did crack it through the, the random number generator. So what you're saying here, though, is that... Uh, yeah, it's very similar. You, you yeah, say some of these is... sites are actually ju- are still just using the, the uh, standard Windows uh, random number generator? Uh, the thing with this one is the what, what a developer does with his random generator... Usually, a random number generator starts with a seed. So you have to give it a seed, like yeah. a number yeah. that it needs to get based on. And in case the the seed is always a constant, for example, 0 or 1 or 2 or 20. Yeah, it's always, it's always the same string. Yeah, it's always, always the same the numbers. Same, yeah, sequence. Yeah, exactly. right. But what, what computer developers usually do is go for, I want the seed to be the current number of milliseconds in today, for example. So this way, every time you launch the program, you're going to get a different seed, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So what time is it? Okay, it's whatever. It's 2 billion milliseconds, 200. Well, that, that's so how they, the and that's how they cracked that. it. That's actually how they cracked it on, on Planet Poker is they were able to tell that they were doing it based on the time and, and were able to figure that out. Oh. But, but uh, now Poker All Stars, right. I know they do it in a very advanced way. They, they are even using like lasers and watching how the lasers reflect and using that and a combination of that and, and mouse movements of all the different uh, people connected to their client and uh, all these things together that are going to add up to being something very random that's never going to duplicate and nobody can ever figure out exactly is uh, uh, what's happening at once, especially because it's... Yeah, but as you reverse engineer it, again, I'm saying you can disable the whole randomizer in case you want to do the cheat. That's what I'm saying. So the randomizer it becomes obsolete in case you're not doing your own randomizer. I, I think Kent has his own randomizer inside, which is good. Yeah, that is good. I'm <laughs> not completely sure, but I'm assuming so. And just just through a few minutes of testing, I'm saying that. And uh, yeah, I would say I would say to be to just say in case I haven't yet, Poker Mavens is way safer. Uh, considerably safer than other poker clients that are especially open source at this point. He still updates it regularly. He goes to he even goes to support his clients. I'm pretty sure it's it's something, all right. But 
yeah, he's he's doing a good job. Okay, well, you I'm, guys, I, I'm not here to ruin his reputation. No, no, anything, you, you guys, but. you know, it's the opposite here. Look, the, the guy who uh, created an exploit for the software is actually saying that uh, he's doing a good job with with keeping it secure. And uh, and, and by the <laughs> way, you guys, you guys out there, who, if you want to go look at the thread in the scam scandals and shadiness forum, which I created, and I said this last week, I created it not to bash uh, Kent Briggs or or Poker Mavens. I did this just so people understand if they're playing on any real money room that is running poker mavens that this thing exists it was created and and a shady operator could be running this so just know that before you before you deposit any real money on a site like that that you could easily be cheated because a lot of people just they just deposit and play and just assume everything's going to be okay they don't uh that's that's they don't really consider it as more dangerous than playing on something like poker stars or something like bovada and and i've i have not played on any of these sites for real money for the exact reason I that I can't trust really, the operator. I would really be worried about the big sites that make more money than smaller ones. Like, well, but you were saying that the big that, sites... That's the, just the, like my two cents the, thing, there. the thing is, the big sites the big, so like, like, like Bovada and PokerStars, as you were saying before, for some individual to do this, they'd have to... Uh, if it's not one of the developers, it's, it would be a lot more difficult for someone to even get enough access to... Uh, to, to develop some kind of exploit, and I, I agree with that. Yeah, but it does not necessarily need an exploit. Uh, you, most, if at least some poker sites that I know, uh, required a generation of the flop and the turn and the river to let some people win a higher percentage than the others. So it would just randomly generate... Oh, generate the numbers. It would generate the numbers in such a way that will help some users win instead of. Well, okay. Well, I want to hear about that. Which sites which may is, or may not be affiliated with that website. Well, no, which, which sites? Sorry? Which sites are doing this? There's, there's been suspicion of this for years. No, or... I, I, no, I'm not saying which site. I'm pretty confident this is a better way to cheat than to see the cards and to manually change the river. And well, it, it, well, that that depends on what their goal is. If the if the goal is to help certain users to just survive longer who aren't that good, uh, then yes. But uh, if if the goal is just to directly steal off people. And that's that's what the scandals of the 2000s proved is that uh, yeah. they didn't I do would it. Go they, with the latter, but they, they didn't, I would go with the latter. Actually, yeah, they didn't do it in a any complicated uh, fashion. In fact, they just they just were playing their own players directly, seeing their cards and killing them at high stakes. And and some of them were so stupid they were blatant about it and didn't even try to sometimes lose. They just it, they were playing in in such a fashion to where anyone who were to, who was to analyze this would see that something was completely wrong, and that's what happened, that's how they got caught. If they had done this in a more reasonable fashion and intentionally lost sometimes and didn't make these crazy plays that they otherwise never could have made, then uh, this could have this could still be going on today. They, they would not have been yeah, caught. Not, not only this, there's also one small thing that would be, some, some clients would notice. Uh, in case you ever played and saw two same cards, a game glitch, actually, it's also known as a game glitch. If you see, for example, a... Uh, uh, the two of diamonds in your hand and the two of diamonds on the flop or, yeah, whatever. This is a glitched game. Usually it occurs when you try to change the flop and the algorithm breaks. Ah, so, interesting. So, yeah, in case you ever see that, expect you're getting cheated. I wouldn't say expect. Be sure that you were getting cheated. So Now, softwares are usually perfected before they're being sold on the market, so you will never get this issue. 
Well, there's there's been display Some... issues that have happened over time where it's not you're you're seeing the same card as in your hand as on the flop, but it's actually not really that card. It's just there's a display error, and it's not even that real card. Yeah, the the fact that it glitched would make me wonder something. To be honest, there are there are ways to to know whether it's true or not because you can always see the variables that are running on your client, and, and I don't think an average user, an average poker player would be able to differentiate them. No, they but wouldn't. You, you are able to, yeah, you, you, sh- you are able to scan whether he is, it's actually screen glitch or not. Yeah, well, you'd already, have to, have, you'd already have to be scanning at that point. You can't just do it the second it happens, though. You'd have to be uh, already looking for yeah, this. You, you, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, w- I always open a poker website with my scanner on just in case. Okay, now, now you... Uh, so you're 21 years old now. Do you have a regular job, or is this what you do for a living here? I'm I'm still at university. In fact, you're I'm still, still a student. You're still a student. So it's like a thing, a thing you do on the side to make money. Uh, yeah, it's actually quite fun. This is not even my major, to be honest. But yeah, it is kind of something. Okay. Well, so your major is nothing to do with computers. Uh, I already have a license in computer science, but it, I have double majored it with a uh, electrical and en- electromechanical engineering. So yeah, and <laughs> something are, else. Are, are you planning to stay in Lebanon, or you you're thinking you're going to leave and go somewhere else? Uh, like I've had, I have a business. My father at least has a business here, but I've been thinking of going some several problems right now in the country so it really depends how how the outcomes go how the outcome goes but yeah i was thinking maybe perhaps germany just in case i have no idea i'm still <laughs> i still have a lot to think about especially yeah there's lots of things to do I see. i'm still young yes so i have time and, and and this uh this name john audi is, is this your real name or is this just a a screen name you use uh um, let's say um, that's my real name. <laughs> I'm not understanding. You're saying it is, or you're not answering, or it isn't, or it is. <laughs> nah, it, it is my real name. I've used several names before, so yeah. Okay, I, 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 I'm not really hiding anything, so you can clearly see my identity as my name, last name, John Audi. So yeah. No, but if I wanted be... to hide something, like my name would have been different. No, but it could have been a fake name. That's what I'm asking. It could be a, f- a phony name. <laughs> nah, yeah, yeah, it's not. It's don't worry. Uh, several hackers usually use a uh, that's, use a right. Name yeah, that's, that's, well, believe it or not, I was actually part of uh, of a hacker community in, in the 1980s. So, uh, so okay. I, I, I know all about that stuff. So uh, that's pretty interesting, actually. Were you were you uh, reverse engineering applications? Were you going through? Uh, website reverse engineering. What is it? Uh, it was it was more more te- more uh, a lot of telephone related stuff back then. Tell you were snooping. There were no telephone? websites back. Yeah, there weren't. There were. There was the thing. There, were, there weren't any websites then. Uh. Was, uh, websites were far far way off at that point. Several right, years, several years away. There, there was there was no web at all until ninety three. So uh, yeah, so it was a lot of, a lot yeah. of phone stuff. <laughs> so the stuff stuff with computer bulletin boards and. Uh, uh, cracking video games and stuff like that, but uh, anyway, uh, but uh, there's a whole community surrounding this that that existed back then. So I know all about you know, everybody using uh, aliases and, and not saying who they are, and, and in fact uh, guarding their personal information. In fact, uh, back then it was a very very early awareness of what you can do with people's personal information. Back then, people were very free with their personal information, where nowadays everyone's worried about identity theft. 
I was worried about that over 30 years ago because I, I knew that would be a problem. I was, I was always very uh, private yeah. with personal information, exactly fearing what would ev- eventually happen in, in modern times, which uh, I know you have no memory of that then because you weren't, you weren't alive. And, and you were a little kid, too. <laughs> even 20 years ago, you I were was a little kid. kid. Yeah. So, anyway, so, you know, hey, do you, do you I just p- wanted to add another two cents just in case yeah. uh, I forget that. So I just want to tell the audience or whoever's listening to uh, also not only just be afraid or, or just take caution when dealing with online poker websites, uh, they should also, like at least here in Lebanon, for example, they have something like a a poker room. Let's say they use the these machines, these old machines with the CRV screen that you can pre- press, check, fold, or uh, or raise, uh, like with three, four buttons. It's like a small casino, electronic casino that is very, I would say, shady in my part. Lots of them here in Lebanon, and most of them just have a variable that they can edit. And this variable simply says, how much do you want to win? So it's basically a percentage. How much do you want? When do you want us to give money to the client? After you make, what, uh, $300, $400 per machine? This is an actual variable in the assembly code. And you can easily change that. You don't even need reverse engineering. And concerning that part as well, uh, online roulettes, online uh, casinos, other than poker, for example, uh, I would not say football betting because that's a show you can see and you can bet. But I would say the games that, such as roulette, such as... Yeah, uh, all, all the online casino uh, games. Yeah, the- yeah. I, I, I've never trusted any of those online casinos either, other than ones that are... Uh, uh, the ones that, that state governments in the U.S. Uh, inspect the code and, and see that this is all being uh, uh, run in an honest fashion, That's and, and also where the company would have a tremendous amount to lose if they were to be cheating, uh, those you can trust, but the online casinos are just the just private ones that are run all over the place. Uh, I would never trust those. I've said for years that that's something you shouldn't do and that they can cheat you whenever they want. Yeah, this is this is the easiest way to cheat someone. By the way, this is I think this is way above anything else, poker or not poker related. This is the this is like just going on a website and saying, "Take my money." Oh, yeah, it is. It Don't is ever. Perhaps they make you win once every what every few months, maybe, so you can just come back and put more money. But that's. That's what I saw so far. Yeah, no, I agree. You, you should never, you should never uh, trust on, online casinos. But you're saying there's there's actual physical machines in Lebanon, like some kind of machine where you're playing poker against the machine. It's not really poker, poker. It's like a five card thing that you're playing with the with the shop. Yeah, it's it's actually machines. Well, are, like are, are you talking about are you talking about, are you talking about video poker where you're you're trying to make hands from uh, yeah. from, yeah, from yeah, yeah, jacks yeah. are better and, and up. Yeah, it's video poker. These machines are very easily alterable, and they even have that variable set up for them. So you don't, they don't even need any reverse engineering skills or anything. It's just in the code, embedded in the code, and everyone can change it. Because this, this didn't in – in the U.S., you can't – there's no such thing as this. You can't there, – there's video poker all over the place, but there's no there's nothing in the machines that allow people to set something so they can rip off the, the customer. So, <laughs> You're going to have to see the assembly code before – doing that statement because I did not really expect it to be there. That's the problem. So these machines actually came coded from China. Well, okay, that, that there answers are some right machines there. from the U.S. <laughs> and some others from somewhere else. Yeah? Well, no, the, Chi- the Chinese, I could totally believe doing this. In the, in the U.S., there's a lot of uh, gambling <laughs> regulators, especially in, in Nevada where Las Vegas is, but there's a lot of gambling regulators that uh, 
would would really. No, I'm not saying it's happening there. I'm saying well, this. I would assume this is an international channel. So I would assume some other countries, especially in uh, Eastern Europe, um, in Middle Eastern areas, and probably some third third world country, they're probably doing that as well. Yeah, they probably they could Lots, be. Yeah. I, I'm still worried about the amount of people that still go in there thinking they're gonna win the next jackpot. This this really pisses me off, to be honest. Yeah, in the, in the, but you're I can't these, really say anything eventually. So, are these legal to to run in uh, Lebanon? What the value value? No, no, the, which, these uh, these video which, po- video poker machines are they running in in Lebanon and, and what? Yeah, because you're not playing next against each other. Yeah, I know. That's it's, the thing. You can't. Yeah. So, so they, you, they are okay. I didn't even know that existed there. So, well, that's uh, that's interesting. No, I, I wouldn't. I mean, it's a good point that if you're in a place that does not have a very strong. Uh, Gambling, re- gambling regulator, which a lot of uh, venues outside the U.S. They actually do. do. Um, just wanted to to send it here again. We actually do have very good regulators here, but what are you, what do they want to regulate? That's the thing. When you go to an arcade and you know the game is rigged, it will only let you win once every ten games. Well, so I'm, I'm saying in, in the, well, what they can do is they can inspect the code. They can have a lot of requirements to make sure that the machines are fair. And if they're just accepting whatever machines are sent over from China, then the regulator has a fault, and they're, they're they're not doing the job properly. Well, yeah, you're expecting a yeah. I'm assuming you're correct, but you're expecting a few hundred years old government to take over. I don't think they even know how these things run in the first place. It's assembly code itself, so. I wouldn't say the regulator would be able to analyze the code. Anyways, that would be that would right. be another topic. Yeah, we, we we talk about things like that all the time on this show, yeah. as, as you might guess. So, all right. Well, um, you said you have a meeting at, at uh, like in twelve minutes, right? In in an hour. An actually. hour and twelve minutes. Okay, that's right. I got a little bit confused with the time here. So over there, it's yeah. it's uh, right now. It is uh, nine forty eight a.m. Right, nine forty eight a.m. Okay, and it's eleven forty eight p.m. here. The previous day, we're about to get to the eighteenth. I know you're on the the eighteenth over there. I'm I'm already on the eighteenth. Yeah, yeah. I haven't slept though. Okay. That's yeah, I was surprised. At six a. I saw at six a.m. your time. You were messaging me, and I said, I wonder if he stayed up all night or if he just gets up really early. No, no. I wish I could. I can get up very early. Anyways, uh, it was very nice meeting you, uh, Todd, and the group. I'm not sure. Well, we have, we have a Trader Ruski. Yeah. This, Trader is, this is Trader Ruski. Yes. I didn't, uh, I nice meeting you. Time in. When, yeah, and um, yeah, that was great info you gave. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And right. it's, it's always interesting to hear about things like this and uh, goes very well with the theme of the show and you can feel free to keep posting on the forum and discussing this matter or whatever and uh, thanks for your time coming on here. Thank you, thank you. If you need anything related to this topic, uh, just message me on Skype. I'll let you know, okay? Okay, all right, thank you. All right, see you then. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Thanks, bye. That was, that was interesting. Got to hear uh, a lot about uh, the safety of online poker sites. And like, if you want to take one thing away from this whole conversation, it's that you just have to trust whoever's running the room. And if you can't say the person running the poker room is someone that you definitely trust not to cheat you, then don't play. And as tempting as it is to play, if you don't know them, like let's just say you're offered to go be part of some, uh, to go play on some poker room, and people say, oh, it's good, I enjoy playing on there, oh, I win here. Like, just know that there is a decent chance you're being ripped off. 
I'm not saying for sure you're getting ripped off, but I'm also not saying it's a small chance you're being ripped off. I'm saying it's a decent chance that you will be ripped off. Even if you're winning, you, you may go on there and win, but there may be somebody winning even more that's stealing from you. So uh, that's something to be aware of. Okay, we have a call coming in. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, Dan. This is Tyrone Ken. Oh, Tyrone. Hello. Welcome to the show. Uh, I've been listening to your show all the time, but uh, I don't have a chance to call in because uh, because the hour is rather late. <laughs> the hour is late. Well, it's pretty yeah, late right now. It's, it's 11.53, I'd say. So, uh, but you're, you're in Vegas, though, right? You're in Pacific no, time. Not today, but in, in the past. Okay, so... Uh, in the past. Oh, in the past. Okay, so so what would you like to say tonight? Uh, well, I, I have a, two or three things I want to say to you. That one thing... One thing most important is that I really enjoy your show because you, you're quite a renaissance man. That's why I classify you, basically. You know uh, all the subjects and everything else. And then the first topic I wanted to, to say to, to you is that I 100% agree on you on tipping. Tipping. That uh, uh, this is a very bad culture. For example, when you talked about cruise ship tipping, I've been to about 50 or 60 cruise ships, and uh, the late, uh, last five or ten years, they they just automatically add the tip on. Yeah, yeah, right, uh, right. They they add the tips I'm, to the cruise ship, and not only that, they keep them. They, it's not even going to the people who are uh, working there. Yeah, but uh, but the but thing is. Uh, a reckon cruise ship, cruise, uh, guy like me, I basically just say, take out all the charges. Then I take a white envelope, uh, give it to, to the dining, uh, guy and, uh, and the, the guy to take care of my cabin. Yeah. I said, the hell with that. Because, uh, because uh, I'm not going to pay, uh, your salary. To me, a hundred percent on this, uh, agree on the scam. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a scam. Uh, it's a scam. Also, it is a scam, yes. Also, also that I, I, you know, I pay lots of limit poker. I don't tip, uh, I do not tip if the pot is less than $10. Uh, the pot is less than $10. I do tip if the pot is over $10. Also, if I'm running back, I don't care because that's just my point of view, you know. I have one guy just uh, uh, little bit about that. Why are you not tipping? This is the United States. <laughs> well, but you anyway, know. I sort of agree with you. Yeah, well, you know, with the dealers, I, I understand that the dealers are working expecting tips and they're taking a low-wage job knowing that it's going to be made up with tips, so. Uh, so this, what I do here when I when I play is uh, I don't even go by the size because I play a bigger game than you, so every pot's more than ten dollars. But what what I do is uh, if if it's a very fast hand or like I raise preflop, everybody folds. I'm not going to tip. Or I, I raise preflop, I get one caller, I bet the flop fold. I don't tip then either. If if it's if, if the hand goes like if there's at least some action, even if they fold the turn or something, as long as there's there's some action to the hand, then I'll tip. But I'm, I'm only tipping a dollar, and uh, and that's because it doesn't matter. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter to me 
how large the game is. It's it's still the exact same effort to deal it. And and the truth is, as a pro player, you can't you can't uh, tip gigantic amounts, or otherwise you're going to tip away whatever edge you have. So so you know that's, uh, that's and, and the and the rakes get the rakes getting higher and higher. So you got to deal with that too. You got to beat the rake too. And uh, so I, now I don't if I'm losing, I still that doesn't affect me. I still will tip the same way. But but as I said, if the hand goes very fast to where it was just uh, there's no action or very little action. Uh, then, then I'm not going to tip, and and also if the dealer is either just not paying attention to the job or is rude, and I'm not talking about rude to the people who are rude to them. I mean like just rude in general. Um, then then I don't tip them at all. But that's rare. Usually it doesn't happen. But uh, or if they're rude to me at all, then well, definitely they're not getting it. I told them that dealer was rude, but the thing, the problem is that the dealer. If I come into a dealer who, who uh, really are not paying attention, they're not good at the job, you know. They're not good at the job, and uh, and uh, I give them much less. Yeah, well, if they're not paying attention, yeah, right. If they're not paying attention and they're messing everything up, then yeah, they they haven't earned it. I agree with that. Uh, so, so okay. What was so, so? You so you agree so far? You agree with the tipping and the cruise ship and the the uh, the, the with the poker. So, what what other things did you want to talk about tonight? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I basically want to talk talk to you about the. That's one thing I I, I disagree on you with the inherent tax. Because because you realize we are not we are not charging people you know, double time because because. Take, take the case of my father there. Yeah. Oh, is that the ice cream man there? I hear something in the background. What is that? It sounded like the ice I'm cream sorry. man. I have a, I, I'm really, really sorry. I have a clock. That's oh, a clock? Sorry, okay. sorry. It, it, it sounded like the ice cream man is in your house. <laughs> I, I, it's I, like I'm Mr. Really Mercedes. Sorry. Okay, so so go on. So you so you you disagree with the with with what I'm saying about the inheritance tax? You think there should be one? Uh, yeah, because I'm benefit tremendously from the inheritance tax because most of the money is coming from they own the government. They have not they have not died. They have not died. They will not, they eventually gonna have to pay. For example, stock. You buy them, uh, Microsoft for five dollars, all of a sudden they went up to one hundred fifty. And you wait till, uh, uh, one hundred fifty. You wait until you die, you pass on to your son. You don't have to, you have a step up basis. The property, uh, the property, there's so many things they have not taxed the, the federal government and not tax, tax them. It's not a debt double tax. Uh, and uh, double tax. I benefit tremendously. You take the about Canada, uh, the inheritance tax is, uh, you don't have to pay any inheritance tax, but you have to pay the stock dividend, you have to pay the property, you have the evaluator, everything else. But the United States were much more liberal. 
But the inherent taxes, to me, I disagree with you. I'm okay, sorry. well, you, you, you can I disagree with me, but, but I say anything that's, anything that would have been taxed, I know you're saying that some things that are inherited may not have been taxed yet, but, um, the, the, the point is that, uh, the, the, it would be, it's, it would be at some point anyway when when the when the person who inherits it eventually sells it, um, they, they'll pay the tax. I see. The thing is, I don't feel that somebody who dies, which is not unless you're committing suicide, it's not voluntary. And also, everybody has to die. There's no way to around it. At some point, you're going to die, and 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 at some point before 120 years, everybody dies. It, and for most people, it's before 90 years. So, uh, since it's involuntary. And the money has to go somewhere. You can't continue to own anything once you're dead. A dead person cannot own anything anymore. So once you're dead, the money has to go somewhere. And because it's not voluntary, and you also don't know when it's happening, I, I could die tomorrow. I don't know. So uh, because it's not voluntary, you don't know what's happening, you often can't plan for it. Um, it I don't think it's fair that money that passes down, that it's being taxed only for the reason that the person died. That if the person didn't die, that money would not be taxed. And it has to. It's one thing if you're voluntarily changing the owner. If you're saying, "I want to give all my assets to my son," well, that's a voluntary thing. You're you're voluntarily transferring it to him, and then it's income to him. It's something you've chosen to do. Death, you don't choose. Death is going to come, and you're going to have some assets when you die. And I just whether it's a lot or a little, I just I feel it should just pass down directly, and that's it. And because because it's involuntary, because it's something you're not choosing to do, it's something that has to happen, and that you can't continue to own anything. So it's, uh, and not only that, the the I, I feel it's just a penalty because it's not actually it's going into a general fund for the government. It's the government really just taking it. It's not like it's uh, directly going to help poor people. It's not. I just it's just directly going into the government coffers. The the government's just taking it from you. Why? Because because you died. And I've I, I've said I've said on the last show where I talked about this. I said you should be for example. For example, I personally benefit from that. My wife is much younger than I am, and all, all my stock and uh, all my, uh, my my property, everything else. If I would have sell it today, I'd pay tremendous amount of tax. Yes. In there, but if I pass, my wife will get the whole thing. We are taxed. We are taxed. So that's why they say we believe that. So that's why they say so. In this country, we are much more generous than Canada. Well, Canada is a different story. I, I I disagree with a lot of tax policies in Canada, but I don't talk about it as much because I don't live in Canada and and I don't plan to. So it it you know it doesn't affect me. Uh, but uh, I I just I think this is of all the taxes that exist. I think this is by far the most unfair, and I feel it only exists. Because most people don't have to deal with it, so they go, okay, well, screw the rich people, let them deal with. It. They don't think about the fairness of it, and and that's what I I think it should be fair, and I just don't think it is a fair tax, and uh, and not only that, the way it's currently structured, uh, people it, with a lot of planning can get around it. it, it the the ones who are screwing are the ones who don't try to plan around it, and and who just try to play directly by the rules. They get screwed the worst. That's very, very true. That's the we're talking about all the billionaires that basically they plan ahead of time. They don't have to pay tax now. When when they die, most likely 
that people inherit as a thing, inherit as a thing, are much more richer than they are because they avoid all the taxes. All the taxes. They should pay those taxes eventually, but they, they get rid of it. So instead of pay double on the taxes, I, I argue that inheritance is avoiding taxes. But but they can be avoided too. The, the, the inherited tax can be avoided too. And and, and I and, and I've heard your argument before. I've heard people saying, "Well, these people have been dodging taxes their whole life, so this is finally getting them taxed uh, the, what they should have in the first place." I said, "Well, don't use this to fix problems with the tax code. Go fix the taxes they're dodging. Go fix those loopholes. Go go tax them properly in the first place and make it harder to dodge." And and that's that's the solution, not not to hit them with an unfair tax because they've been unfairly dodging other taxes. I think that's that's answering something unfair with something unfair, and then all this ends up doing is screwing those that were following the rules. And I think that's even worse. I'm I'm just I'm very against the whole the whole inheritance tax. And you may not agree, but that's 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 my reasoning for that. But that's fine. Yeah, you can call up and uh, you're welcome to disagree with me. I know not everybody listens to the show has the same point of view as me, and sometimes they agree with me on some things, sometimes they agree with me on uh, a lot of things, sometimes not. There's people who listen to the show who have texted me that they, they agree with nothing I say. That they, that, that, that I've had people who've told me that they personally dislike me, but they listen to every show. And I go, okay. <laughs> I, have lots of, I have lots of respect for you. I don't agree with you on everything, and uh, uh, we are saying this yeah, but I think most of the subjects you're talking about are very intelligently, and uh, I, uh, I, I haven't missed the show lately, you know, but uh, I, I, I truly enjoyed that. And, uh, oh, another quick thing, i just give you a tip in here. Yeah. You know, according to CD, the most important thing to avoid is flu, is wash your hands. Uh, that's true. Okay. That, 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 that. So that's one of the solutions I give you is you, you bought a small bottle of hand sanitizer. You, this is what I've been going to pay poker. Yeah. Fifteen minutes. Yeah, I know. And, and there's people who do that, and and I understand. Like like I. I there is some benefit to it. The problem okay. is, you, it's it's hard to put that on. Like after every time you touch chips. So you could put on the sanitizer, and then and then uh, you, you could end up uh, getting germs on your hand anyway. Because it, it, wore, it wears off eventually is the problem. So yeah, every ten or fifteen minutes, I think you can avoid tremendous amount of uh, tremendous. Yeah, it's just it's a matter of it, it's a it's a trade off. You know, it's, it's whether you want to constantly put hand sanitizer on and have the. The, the pain in the butt of that, and uh, and also having to worry about getting it on the cards, and 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 uh, and and trying to lower the chance you're going to get sick there. And casinos have gotten me sick before, and that's uh, it's always unfortunate when that happens. But uh, it's it's kind of something uh, in, in between there. Okay, it looks like we lost uh, Tyrone somehow, so uh, we're just going to move on. I, I appreciate his call though. I don't know how we lost him, but we lost him somehow. And uh, for some reason, his phone quality wasn't very good tonight. I was I was able to understand him, but I had to like listen closely. It was kind of muffled tonight, but I I was able to understand it. But I was thinking the call's been kind of long call, so we had to move on to our topics. We've only done two topics so far, so we've got to move forward. But thank you, Tyrone. I always enjoy hearing from you. Moving on to our next subject, we'll give you an update about the money that came 
from the scammer who uh, paid $500 after stealing it from Kevin Rax, Kevin Roster, the guy who died of cancer very shortly after playing the World Series of Poker 2019. Uh, this was money that was stolen from Kevin that I recovered. I can't pay Kevin back because as we just discussed with Tyrone, a dead person cannot own anything. So I have to f- see what to do with this $500. It should not go to me. So I contacted Kevin's widow. I got her email address from another poker player, a respected poker player, who, who wasn't screwing with me or anything. He gave me a real email address. And I said, okay, great. So I sent her a letter, which I, I, I read you guys 10 days ago on the last show. And surprisingly, she didn't respond. I know I mentioned that on the last show, but she still hasn't responded. And I sent her another email. And I still haven't gotten an answer. So it's possible my messages are all going to her spam box. Or I don't know what else could be going on. So I, I went back and asked this poker player what could have happened. I, what, like I said, she's not responding to me. Can you please get a hold of her and tell her I'm trying to email her about this? Maybe she isn't getting my messages. And he said, I'm not getting responses from her either. And they had been talking a good deal because I think there was going to be some kind of charity tournament that she was going to be involved with or something like that. And she hasn't been responding to him recently either. This is about five, six days ago when I last talked to him. I'm going to have to message him again, and we're going to try to figure out how to get a hold of her. Hopefully nothing happened to her. Now, she's young also. I mean, Kevin was only in his early 30s when he passed away, so that would be especially tragic if she something happened to her too. Of course, I can't assume that right now it's possible she just isn't able to get online and get her email or something. She got locked out of her account. Who knows? But uh, something will happen to this money. I'm just doing this small update so you understand. I'm not uh, not going to just haphazardly try and then give up and keep the 500 bucks. I promise you I'm not going to keep the 500 bucks. I promise I'm going to give a very uh, accurate accounting on what's going to happen to it. And I'm not going to forget. And if for whatever reason I just can't reach her, which I'm going to keep trying, but if it turns out she's just unreachable, then we will make a decision of what to do with the money. And it'll be some, something will be done with it that will be some kind of good cause. If it doesn't go to the widow, it'll be some kind of good cause for the money, hopefully one related to something that uh, Kevin himself would approve of, such as uh, sarcoma research or something like that. So he he can never get the money, but at least I've recovered the money. It's a lot better in our hands than a scammer's hands, and we can at least do something good with it. And I will give you updates on this as it continues, and if we do end up deciding, like maybe the wife will also say, hey, just do what you want with it, then we will all decide together. It won't just be me. Well, I'll decide with the community what is best to do with that $500. Just wanted to give you guys an update on that. Another update about someone who once appeared on this show, Mark Klang. Now, he had a a pretty fascinating story at the time. I think we had him on about three years ago. In fact, I think I remember I had him on when I was in Lake Tahoe in early 2017, and I did the show from there. But uh, Is that the blackjack guy? Yes, this was, uh, uh yeah, okay. yeah, John, this was, uh, Mark Klang was a guy who got ripped off for $500,000 by various poker pros in Florida, including John Raisner, 
who finished second in the World Series of Poker main event at, at one point, uh, that basically he was drunk and high on drugs and he was totally out of it. I'm talking about Clang. And a very, very high-stakes, addicted gambler. And they were trying to take advantage of him in that state, just letting him play insanely high-limit blackjack, figuring this is a gigantic fish. He doesn't even know what he's doing, and he's playing a negative EV game. We're going to crush him. Problem was, Clang ran super, super well and won $500,000, just kept increasing, increasing his bet as he was running hot to where the poker pros who are bankrolling this game as the house, of course, this is a very illegal game. It was an illegal casino they were running there, a little home casino. Uh, they realized that they couldn't continue this, that they were about to be tapped out. And they you have to decide at some point, even if you have the edge over someone who is playing blackjack in your house, if they're on this just insanely hot run and they are betting very large amounts of money that they keep increasing as time is passing. Even if you want to put a limit on it and say you can't bet any more than this, at some point you've got to say, you know, this has to stop. We just don't have deep enough pockets to deal with this if he continues to run hot. It's not like a giant casino where they have very deep pockets and nobody can win for long enough to bust them. Here, it's just a few poker pros getting together, bankrolling this. They were afraid. So they finally put an end to it when it got to about $500,000. And then afterwards, they tried to find excuses not to pay him. Trying to uh, say that he cheated them, trying to say that uh, a, a bunch of crap that probably wasn't true of why they should not have to pay Clang. And uh, they only paid him 43000 of the five hundred k, And this was after Clang put a lot of pressure on them. They still only paid less than 10% of it. And finally, he went public with it in January 2017. This game occurred, I think, in October 2016. And going public did help, especially because Raisner and one other guy involved with this game had become sponsored pros for some poker room in Florida. And uh, this sponsorship was at risk, as was any other sponsorship that Raisner may get in the future. And this whole thing blew up pretty big. And Clang was on a number of shows, not just this one. But he explained the whole thing very well. And it's a pretty crazy, degenerate story. And if you didn't hear this, you can go back. This episode was in uh, January 2017. And what ended up happening, when we had him on the show, it had not been resolved yet. But what ended up happening was that... uh, there was some kind of settlement made. I know that uh, John Raisner and Justin Zaki coughed up uh, 200K and uh, then I think the rest was dropped. But uh, this, then, and then uh, Clang came out and posted something that was uh, claiming the whole thing was a misunderstanding, which wasn't true. The truth was that Raisner, Zaki, and the others involved just wanted to rip off Clang because they just couldn't afford to pay that much money. And uh, they were trying to get away with not paying. And then when they realized this wasn't going away and this might actually cost them more in sponsorship opportunities than they're going to save, 
they they, they finally said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll give you 200K if you come out and say that we're okay, it was all misunderstanding. Uh, there was someone else involved who still owed and didn't pay it, but the, the part that Raisner and Zaki owned was, uh, was 200K, and they coughed that up. Uh, so uh, this is the statement back in January 2017. And there's a reason, by the way, we're talking about all this. I'll get to that after all this. The statement that Klang eventually made about uh, a week after he brought this public was both John Raisner and Justin Zaki have fulfilled all their obligations and have resolved all, all items in full. There was a miscommunication in the beginning and a disconnect from them in the group, which wasn't true at all. If you listened on the show, it was this wasn't a miscommunication or a disconnect. They were trying to find excuses not to pay him. As soon as it was brought to their attention, the situation would resolve promptly and in a businesslike manner. These guys have been above board the entire time, again, not true, and came to me right away to resolve this. I appreciate all they've done and truly hope that we can still call each other friends. So it's obvious what happened there. They, they said, look, we'll pay you, but we're just afraid now that our rep's ruined, that you've, you've trashed our rep, and we don't really have a lot of desire to pay you now because you screwed up our rep. So if you can somehow repair our rep, then we'll pay you. So he's like, okay, fine, I'll make this statement, uh, provided you pay me first. They paid him, he made the statement. That's pretty much what happened. It was not a misunderstanding. They also may have been worried that he was going to go to the FBI or something on them because they were running an illegal casino and then stiffing him on what he won, which is pretty bad, especially for the amount of money involved. So they may have been afraid that they were going to go to prison for running that game in the first place and not paying him. So uh, that's the way this was left. And... uh, there is this one other guy known as Zima who, who uh, still owed him. And uh, that was not part of the deal with uh, with uh, Justin Zaki and uh, John Raisner. But uh, it was later posted that uh, on Twitter, it was posted then deleted – that uh, he made a deal with Zima. But uh, I don't know why he deleted the tweet. He said Zima paid him and owed him more money. But uh, interestingly enough, that tweet came right after I was mocking Zima, who was posting about something else, that he still owes money to Mark Klang. Like I saw Zima on Twitter, and I was making fun of him for still owing Mark Klang money. I I forgot what the tweet was about, but I I was... hassling him about that, and then shortly after that, Clang posted, oh yeah, Zima paid me. So it was probably because of me that tweet was written in the first place. But then the tweet is deleted for some reason. And apparently that announcement from Clang was the first public announcement ever that Zima had paid him. But that was all years ago. Even the Zima thing was also in 2017, just a few months later. Here is the current update with Mark Klang, who, remember, by his own admission, he did drugs, he drank a lot, he gambled crazy amounts. This was someone you were not going to expect to hold on to a lot of money, or hold on to any money. This is what he wrote. This is kind of like a public service announcement. At the height of my sickness, 
I had $5 million in an account nobody knew of. Sole control of of Bitcoin miners and access to the best games in the U.S. I think he means the best uh, poker games. Now I'm at home with parents, five stepkids, two ex-wives, mound of debt, and grinding 80 hours a week for a Ultimate Texas Hold'em match bet, or max bet. Stay in school, don't gamble. You may not understand all of this, uh, but what he's trying to say here is that uh, he actually had uh, $5 million in an account. I don't know if he means a bank account or like in a Bitcoin wallet. That he actually had uh, 20 like Bitcoin miners that were uh, working on his behalf to mine Bitcoin. And uh, also, he could play a lot of great poker games, like home games that most people would not be invited to. And now he's saying not only is he living with his parents and has five stepkids. I don't know why that's his responsibility, by the way, if it's the stepkids that he's not with the woman anymore, but uh, two ex-wives and a mound of debt. And he says that he's been grinding poker, presumably at lower limits, for 80 hours a week. But still he hasn't learned his lesson. He's still so sick that he takes that money and gambles it all on a casino game called Ultimate Texas Hold'em. That he goes in the casino and says, how much can I bet here? And slams down that amount on Ultimate Texas Hold'em. So he's still not better. Even though he's grinding lower limits now, his $5 million is gone. His Bitcoin is gone. He's grinding just to earn enough money to slam it on casino pit games. In this case, uh, Ultimate Texas Hold'em. Someone asked him, uh, it may not be a gambling problem. Could two exes or five stepkids have anything to do with it? That kind of drama would cause anyone to gamble. Sincerely, guy with two exes, two kids, and three stepkids. So Mark Klang said back, 100% it's gambling and impulse control. The above is a huge leak, referring to the kids and and stepkids. But happiness EV is through the roof. This is my current view. How can I not smile? Then there's a picture of a little baby. I, I don't understand. Is that baby his stepkid or his kid? Because the baby being so young, you'd think that would be his kid. Usually stepkids are a little bit older than that. So he's saying he doesn't mind the fact that he has the stepkids and he has the ex-wives that claims he likes all that, even though it costs him money. It's, it's the out-of-control gambling he doesn't like, and he still can't get it under control, even after everything that has happened. And there are gamblers like that who just want to keep gambling for more and more and are never satisfied. And, and I'll tell you, if you're one of these gamblers who no matter what you win, you want to just raise the limits and then bet bigger, you're going to go broke. And you're not going to be the exception. It's going to happen. Even if it's in poker and you're the best player in the game, if you move up in limits too fast, you're going to go broke. Just from variance. I always recommend to people, if you want to gamble, to stick to an amount you're gambling that, number one, you can afford to lose. Number two, that you'll be happy enough to win so it's not meaningless. And number three, that you're not going to deviate much in limits. You're going to stay roughly around the same limits you're gambling. Because if you move up 
because you're winning or because you're losing, it's just going to be a disaster. You're you're never going to be satisfied because uh, you can always find higher action. So even if you get really lucky and run it up, if you just keep raising your bet, eventually variance is going to get you, especially if it's negative expectation. But even if it's positive expectation, variance is going to get you. The only way that you can continue winning is, number one, if you're positive expectation, and number two, if you're betting an amount to where variance is not going to eat your bankroll. Otherwise, there's no way around it. And if you do have a gambling problem, then you need to look at it because it's going to make you broke and you're going to wish, once it's all gone, that you didn't let this happen to yourself. But one good way to prevent that is just to stick to an amount that you can afford to lose and don't deviate from it. Don't don't fall for the temptation to bet bigger. Some people have more of a temptation to bet bigger than others. Some people have a natural fear of the second I step up, I'm going to run awful and get killed. You know who has that fear? Me. <laughs> I, I'm always so afraid to move significantly up in limits in whatever I'm gambling because I'm always afraid that's what that's going to be when I run the worst. I'm not going to be the guy who's so lucky that I, I run really well the second I make the bigger bet. Now, I, I'll have some variance. If I'm in a poker room and there's a I'm used to playing 60-120 limit hold'em and the, the really 200, good 200-400's running. Yeah, I'll play that. But what if it's a really good 1,000-2,000? I'm not, I'm not going to play it. In fact, I've even pushed away from playing things like 300, 600, 400, 800, even if the game's good, just because they don't run often enough and I am i don't want to lose badly in that game and take forever to have to make it back at the smaller games. So I really try, in all of my gambling, to stick to pretty consistent limits I'm playing for. I don't want to play much smaller than I play for, unless it's just for fun, and I don't want to play much bigger. If you play smaller, it, it feels meaningless. In fact, it can be frustrating if you run really, really well and win. And you go, why couldn't I have run this well at the, at the game I normally play? So I try to stick to approximately the same limits I play. Again, unless it's just a, a fun game with friends or whatever. And if you're not doing that, you're going to end up like Mark Klang. Mark Klang was someone who had to keep pushing it. And yes, he had his amazing runs, like when he won that 500,000 from I think what was originally like a betting for much, much smaller, betting for a few hundred bucks and just kept raising, 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 got to 500K. But most of the time you're not going to have that and you're going to lose or variance is going to eat you. So in one way I feel bad for Mark Klang, but in another way, like this was inevitable. He didn't get help for the gambling. He's continuing to gamble and that's, that's what's happening. That's what happened. And now he's living at home with his parents, who also must be very frustrated that this is just never ending with him. Imagine that's the situation with your kid. And they just can't stop. And then they're living with you, and you're watching them make money, but then they just run to the casino and blow it again, over and over and over again. And you don't want to throw your kid out on the street, but you, you start feeling like, crap, they're, they're not learning. They've got a sickness, and they're not learning from it, and they're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then you wonder also, what about when I'm dead? 
See, at least his parents are there and have a stable home and he has a roof over his head and they're feeding him. Like, what about when they're gone and he inherits their money? He'll blow through that in a week. So they got to think about that too. And it's natural for parents to always worry about what's going to happen with their children when they're gone. There's a lot of parents who just believe that once they're gone, their kids are going to go to pieces and will be dead within a few weeks. And Usually these are fears that are not rational and the kid ends up fine. But there are some kids who, without the parents keeping everything held together, will self-destruct. And I bet Mark Clank's parents must be thinking that. I don't know how old they are, but that's something you always have to keep in the back of your head, too. That you're decades older than your kids, and that they're going to need to live on their own without you at some point. So, good luck to Mark Clang, but it's too bad in, in three years he hasn't really improved. You know, gambling is a funny thing. I, I, I'm not going to run a gambling show and then lecture people about how it's bad to gamble or you shouldn't gamble. I mean, I'm not going to do that. And if you get enjoyment out of gambling, even if you lose overall, if you get enjoyment out of it and you can afford it and you're able to function in your life normally, then fine. But it can change. It can, it can creep up on you. And I've seen it. I've seen it a lot of times where people go, they, they bridge from I'm losing, but I'm losing not so much to where it's destroying me, so it's okay. I can I can live with it. It's just kind of entertainment. It's just kind of what I do, but it's everything else is fine. I see that bridge over to where it starts to become somewhat of a problem and then becomes a big problem. I, I've had friends come to me in the past and just break to me like, hey, you know, my gambling is much worse than I ever told you and I'm broke now and sad to hear. So just keep that in mind if you're gambling. Just keep in mind uh, you got to always have it under control. Otherwise, it will take control of you. And it has for many, many, many hundreds of years, for as long as gambling has existed. I'm not even sure when gambling itself first started, but definitely before any of us were born, people had gambling problems they couldn't control. And by, just because you're not as bad as Mark Klang doesn't mean you don't have a problem. That's the other thing. It's a, I once knew somebody who had a gambling problem and went to Gamblers Anonymous and walked out saying, well, I just realized I don't have a gambling problem because everybody there was much worse than me. So I realized I'm not that bad. Every single person at Gamblers Anonymous was worse than me, so, okay, I guess my gambling is recreational. And that, that was not the good message for that person who definitely had a gambling problem and a drug problem that came a little bit later, and that person is no longer alive, by the way. And they were not old. They were younger than me. All right. So uh, moving on here to our, our next topic. Uh, Trader Risk, are you still with us? I am dropped, but I'm fading, so Uh-oh. we have to listen to the rest in the morning. Okay. Well, thank you, Trader Risky, and uh, we will uh, talk to you again next week. Very good. All right, Jeff. Have a good night. Good night. I had a feeling we're going to lose him there. I just had a feeling. It's got quieter. Let's uh, talk about Ray Davis. Ray Davis, this is a topic I just, I have such a hard time discussing this with people because there's various camps in the Ray Davis thing and, and like none of them are happy with me. 
There's the pro-Ray Davis camp that thinks, I'm not doing enough to support him. They said, oh, you know, you were on good terms with Ray. He wasn't like a friend of mine. He wasn't, but we were on good terms, okay? We, we got along well. And real grinders and poker fraud alerts were, uh, they weren't associated, but they were also on good terms, the two kind of organizations there. So, um, some people said, you know, oh, you're, you're not being supportive enough to Ray in this whole thing. And then I have people on the other side saying, uh, why aren't you coming after him with a zeal? You would come after somebody else, blah, blah, blah. And it, this is what I tell to both sides here. I say, I'm covering this fairly. I'm not going to make this into a witch hunt where I'm trying to find every single way to make Ray look as bad as possible and go after him with a vengeance. And I'm not going to cover up anything. And on the contrary, Poker Fraud Alert is the site that comes up when you Google Ray Davis and this situation. We Google like Ray Davis case, Ray Davis arrest, whatever it is. Uh, Poker Fraud Alert is the site that comes up about it and has the most information. If you want information on this case, you go to Poker Fraud Alert. So clearly, if this is the site you go to for information on this case, factual information, not like information that's spun to make him look good. I mean like the facts of what's really going on in the case, good and bad. Uh, Obviously, I'm not covering anything here. I'm covering the story, but I'm not covering anything up or trying to do anything in his favor. But at the same time, the coverage is fair. It's not trying to uh, go on some crusade to ruin him. It's just a, a very neutral, like, here are the facts sort of coverage of it, which which is the way it should be. And when something notable happens, I'll cover it on this show. And when it just... When it's not really worth talking about, nothing really of note happens in the case. And the, you know how these criminal cases work. They're always very, very slow. Any kind of court case is usually slow. So a lot of times there's nothing to talk about, but whatever updates that I think are worth sharing, I share with you guys. And I've said the whole time we, we need to just wait to see how the case plays out and the information that comes out in court and then make our judgments about it. Uh, now, with that said, I don't think that it's looking very good for Raymond Davis. He acted as his own attorney for a while, and that was a disaster. And he got that $500,000 bail slapped on him, which is crazy, given that... Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this in my life, where someone who was right there in town and very easy to locate for years, for three years, they don't arrest him. They just <laughs> they, they just let him go about his business and don't arrest him, and yet... He has a $500,000 bail over the matter. Have you ever seen anything like that? Everybody else I've ever seen, people I know or don't know, anyone I've ever seen with a bail like 500000 they were arrested the second the cops were looking for them. They weren't allowed to go three years and not get arrested. The whole case has been very weird. And it wasn't originally set at 500000 I think it was said like 20000 25000 and it got raised to 500000 because he misbehaved in court. So, look, uh, there's a lot of weird things in this case, and that has to be taken into account as well. But because of his outburst in court, he was then not allowed – he was given that high bail, which he couldn't make. He couldn't make the $500,000 bail, so he's been sitting in jail from, I think, September all the way through February. And February 10th was his scheduled trial date, which – as you know, was a week ago. So that's why we're doing this segment. 
Now, he does have an attorney named uh, Mueller. I'm forgetting the guy's first name. It's not Greg, by the way. <laughs> it's a, it's a, Mueller is the guy's last name. You can look him up. It's somewhere in the thread, the guy's full name, but whatever. But uh, so far, there haven't been many victories for the defense. And between the judge not liking him and between their uh, apparently being uh, enough here to where it's not going to look very good for him in court, if I had to guess, he's not going to be getting out of this one. If I had to guess, there's going to be some sentence he's going to get and maybe even a substantial one. Now, he is fortunate possibly in one way with this inability to get out of jail waiting for trial. And that is, if it's likely he's going to be convicted anyway, it's probably less unpleasant in the jail he's in than state prison where he would end up if he is sentenced to any kind of time or any kind of significant time, especially given what he's accused of, any kind of uh, sexual crimes one is convicted of, you tend to be a target in prison, especially if it's against minors. So the fact that he got to spend this time in jail instead of prison actually could end up helping him. However, if he somehow gets out of this not guilty, then he can't get this time back. So that would be the unfortunate thing for him. If he is convicted, then whatever he has served in jail up to this point, which is getting close to six months, would be subtracted from whatever sentence he's given. So let's go back to January 17th of this year. I'm reading from the court website. Even though Raymond has an attorney, uh, he submitted a motion to dismiss his own attorney. And interestingly enough, his attorney submitted this on his behalf. So it says, Mr. Mueller... Raymond Davis's attorney submitted on the briefs a motion to dismiss counsel. Defendant made a statement regarding dismissing his case pursuant to double jeopardy. I don't know what he's trying to say. I don't see how this is double jeopardy, but he's been trying everything. Court advised the defendant that today's hearing was about his pro per motion to dismiss counsel. So <laughs> he's like, I, you got to dismiss this as double jeopardy. They're like, no, that's not what this hearing is about, though. It's just about the dismissing your lawyer. We're not talking about anything else today. Defendant argued that Mr. Mueller had only been in contact with him one time for 20 minutes and it was to hire a private investigator. Furthermore, he did not request Mr. Mueller to file a motion to recuse uh, to recuse the judge or for bail. Colloquy between the court and the defendant about his behavior during the last trial and use of profanity. Colloquy between the court and defendant about the defendant's competency and whether there, why there was a mistrial. Colloquy between the court regarding the defendant's bail and the defendant indicating he did not have a problem with his bail. Court advised the defendant that Mr. Mueller was deemed appropriate to file the necessary motions on his behalf. Court finds the defendant has displayed a failure to behave or follow procedures, and the court has an obligation to control its proceedings. Court ordered defendant's pro per motion to dismiss counsel. What do you think? you think it was approved or denied? Well, we don't have Trader Ruski to guess, so I'm just going to tell you it was denied. So it says trial date stands, and that was the date of February 10th. So, very quick summary of that day was that he wanted his attorney dismissed, and they said no. They said no, and when you didn't have an attorney, you went nuts in court. So, we don't want to try that again. We think you're 
defender's doing fine. We think uh, there's no reason to dismiss him at this point. And last time you tried to represent yourself, it was a disaster, so we're not letting you do that again. So, no, not happening. Six days later, January 23rd, 2020, the matter came on the court's calendar. By the way, when it says colloquy, it means like a conversation. So when it says like colloquy between the court and defendant about the defendant's competency, it means there, there was a conversation in court about that. So January 23rd. This matter came on the court's calendar on January 17th, 2020, after defendant filed two motions to dismiss counsel on December 26th, 2019, and January, 20, January 16th, 2020, respectively. The January 16th motion sought to dismiss counsel as well as the case as a whole. The de- as defendant is represented by counsel, the court heard the motions only in regards to whether or not the counsel should be dismissed or remain on the case. The other se- substantive issues were not argued due to this being a fugitive document to those points. Should counsel deem it appropriate to file any motions having to do with arguments defendant brought up in the fugitive portion of the motion, counsel's free to do so. So they're basically saying that uh, that other stuff is just not being handled here, that his attorney would have to do it. And if his attorney wants the case dismissed, that he should file the appropriate documents to do so. But otherwise, no, they're just uh, they're just ignoring the other stuff that Raymond tried to file. After hearing argument in regards to performance of counsel, the court ordered the December 26th motion denied. As such, the court also ordered the January 16th motion to dismiss counsel denied. And the proceedings regarding the motion scheduled for February 10th, 20, it says 2010, but that means 2020, are hereby vacated. If either party believes there are outstanding matters that this court has not addressed, please contact Chambers and the matter will be placed on calendar. So it looks like they're saying all systems are go. We're going to have this trial. Except for some reason, we're going back and having the trial four years before the crime was even committed and 10 years prior to right now. <laughs> yeah, four years. They want to do it four years before the alleged crime happened, February 10th, 2010. Okay, February 3rd, 2020. Upon the inquiry of the court, defendants stated that no new motion to dismiss counsel has been filed. Mr. Mueller stated he's not prepared, or sorry, Mr. Mueller stated that he's prepared to proceed with a motion to dismiss. Court noted the matter is not on calendar. Upon the inquiry of the court, Ms. Collins stated that, uh, and the Collins is the chief, uh, that's the uh, deputy DA, Stacy Collins. Ms. Collins stated that the defendant's motion was filed at 5 p.m. on Friday. They called about 3.30 p.m. to ask if it had been received. Court st- stated the motion can be addressed orally. Colloquy, remember that's a conversation uh, regarding scheduling of defendant's motion to dismiss, uh, Inenza case, I'm not sure what that is, and trial readiness. Mr. Mueller stated that he can be ready for trial next week if the defendant's motion is not granted. Ms. Collins stated the state will be ready and noted the defense filed a witness notice at 5 p.m. with no phone numbers and requested the contact information. I'll tell you about that in a second. Mr. Mueller stated that all he has been, all, that all he has will be given to the state. Court ordered case to trial February 10th, 2020. We're back to 2020 now, not 2010, at 1 p.m. Well, what about this witness? I think this is coming from Ray Davis, but there seems to be an attempt to get someone named Kendall Finley from out of state to testify as a witness. I'm not sure for which side, but again, I think it's for the defense because it does say here that uh, there was a defense that filed a witness notice at 5 p.m. with no phone numbers and requested the contact information. I don't know if they can reach this Kendall Finley, but there was an attempt uh, a few times I saw 
on the whole docket that they're trying to reach this person and get them to be an out-of-state witness. I'm not sure what they have to do with this case. I'm not even sure if Kendall Finley is a male or female. There have been females named Kendall. They're usually named ma- they're usually male, but I've also known of females named Kendall. And I've also found multiple Kendall Finleys outside of Nevada, so I'm not even sure which Kendall Finley they're trying to reach and why, but just that attempt was being made, I believe, by Ray Davis. Now, what about on February 10th? Well, not much. They canceled the jury trial. And the weird thing in the information on the court website, it says, canceled jury trial, firm 1 o'clock p.m. I don't see how it's a firm anything if it's canceled, but a firm 1 o'clock p.m. cancellation and vacated. But then it says, February 10th, 2020, reset by court to February 10th, 2020. (laughs) That's a little bit weird. Canceled motion to dismiss. Then on February 12th, it says, uh, recorder's transcript of hearing. Recorder's transcript of hearing, uh, re-motion of dismiss. February 13th, motion for own recognizance release, setting reasonable bail motion and notice of motion for reinstatement of own recognizance. That's about getting his bail lowered either from 500K to something lower or just to zero to where he can be released on his own recognizance. Uh, February 14th, clerk's notice of hearing, notice of hearing. Uh, to, to 19, which is tomorrow, but it's, it already says, uh, canceled motion to dismiss, previously decided, 219, defendant motion and notice of motion for reinstatement of own recognizant release. Don't quite know what's going on there. I, it, it kind of looks like it's being delayed again, but then there's no date that's listed that it's going to be actually taking place this trial. I'm not really understanding what's going on right now other than he's trying to get his bail reduced or brought all the way down to zero. And that was the last thing I saw. I can look one more time because I haven't checked this in several days. Yeah, there is one more update from February 5th. Argument in support of defendant's motion to dismiss by Mr. Mueller and defendant and in opposition by Ms. Collins, that's the DA. Court stated findings and ordered motion denied. Motion to dismiss counsel filed in open court. Defendant moved to dismiss counsel and presented argument in support thereof. Court ordered. Defendant's motion to dismiss counsel denied. Same stuff here. Case to trial, February 10th, 2020, 1 p.m. Defendant stated he had a couple of other motions to file. Court informed the defendant he could not file motions as he does not represent himself. Mr. Mueller stated he will be filing a Wittis motion, W-I-D-D-I-S, I'm not sure what that is, Mr. Ms. Collins advised that she's waiting on the phone numbers of the witnesses that she gave counsel a new return from Facebook on a disc. That's weird. Mr. Mueller stated that it's believed the court's ruling is an error and move for a stay of proceedings for an appeal. Court ordered stay denied. Counsel may fi- file for an emergency stay. And the jury trial is supposed to be on February 10th, but it was not. Maybe it's about that witness. I don't know what it means when it says that she gave, she referring to the judge, or she, no, the DA, Ms. Collins, gave his defense attorney a new return from Facebook on a disc. Not sure what that is. Kind of sounds like that they were 
consulting Facebook to find this witness, but I don't know what they mean by a new return from Facebook on a disk. Let's see what a widdis motion is. W-I-D-D-I-S. Not a Wittelis motion, by the way, a widdis. A widdis motion, it is something having to do with Nevada, actually. Wittis versus the state of Nevada. This is from 1998. I don't know. This is too long. I can't read this on air. Yeah, I don't know. It it doesn't seem to be something that's well known when I'm Googling it. It does have to do with Nevada, too. Everything about Wittis has to do with Nevada. That's probably... Part of the reason I haven't heard of it, I'm also not an attorney, but I'd never heard of one before. There must be something uh, on the state level in Nevada that uh, is called a Wittis motion, probably having to do with that case in 98. I bet even Eric Benzamokin wouldn't know that. I guess I'll get a text from him after he hears this. He can look it up and try to figure it out. doesn't matter that much. It just looks like the case didn't happen, or the, the trial didn't happen. On February 10th, Ray is still in jail. Ray wants his bail reduced. I don't think there's been a decision on that, but probably going to be no. It does also look like that Ray is a little bit confused about how court works. Like, Ray says, like, I want to make a motion for this. I want to make a motion for that. And they're like, "Uh, no, your attorney's representing you. Well, I don't want him to be my attorney. I want to get rid of him. Well, no, we already let you do that, and that didn't work out, and you flipped out in court, so... We're not letting him, we're not dropping him from uh, <laughs> from being your defense attorney. And then his name is Craig Mueller, by the way. Craig A. Mueller. Close to Greg Mueller, but it's Craig Mueller. So they, so he's, he keeps trying to file motions. They're like, no, we're, we're not hearing any motions from you when you're represented by an attorney. It has to be done by your attorney. And then he goes back to, well, but I don't want to be my attorney. But no, he has to be. So it's, it kind of goes around in circles. Now, his attorney is representing him. So his attorney is supposed to file motions that he wants to have filed. But who knows what's going on with that? Maybe what Ray is demanding is unreasonable and the attorney doesn't want to do it because he knows it's 100% to lose. But that seems to be what's happening here is Ray like isn't completely getting that he can't just go file motions himself when he's represented. And yet they won't let him out of this representation. It, it seems like he doesn't want to switch attorneys necessarily. He just wants the attorney gone and wants to represent himself, and they're going, no. This whole thing's a mess. He is still under several charges, nine different charges of a sexual assault with a minor under 14, of eight, years of 14, of, under 14 years of age, open and gross lewdness, and lewdness with a child under the age of 14. So there's three counts of each, actually, to make nine different uh, charges. The open and gross lewdness, that's gross misdemeanor, and the others are all felonies. So he could be looking at some serious time here. It's not going to be like 20 years, but like I could easily see something like five years or eight years, minus whatever time he served here. He could also get something like maybe two years minus time served. So he may not be away for a long time, but I don't think he's walking out of there in 2020. I just don't see that happening. I don't think we're going to see him at the 2020 World Series. 
I don't think we're going to see him back on real grinders anytime soon. And I do wonder what will happen to real grinders. Let's say he gets a five-year sentence. Well, obviously he can't run real grinders from prison, so what do they do with real grinders at that point? Does Terry King and the others who are running the show over there in Ray's absence, do they continue to run it with, with Ray in prison for five years, or do they finally give up and just close it down? I don't know. Because right now they're holding down the fort, assuming that there's some chance Ray will come back. Especially because those who are running the site are friendly with Ray and want to think the best of him. They want to believe that this is a bunch of BS over nothing. I know some of them believe that the girls who are accusing him are gang members who tried to shake him down for money and for a job at the Real Grinders Lounge, and when he said no, they invented these stories. I'm not saying that's what I believe, I'm just saying that's what some of his friends believe. So, and, and so some of the other friends are like, oh, well, let's see what happens. Like, some of them, they, they have kind of like an open mind either way, where they aren't saying that he's innocent, but they're also not saying he's guilty. But if he gets convicted, I don't know. This That may be the end of Real Grinders. It's already really slowed down a lot. The thing about Real Grinders that's allowing it to survive despite this is because even though Ray was the owner of it and he was the central personality and figure there, and he was also uh, really one of the driving forces in marketing it and getting people interested in joining, the site itself or the the group itself it wasn't really it's a site also but the site really isn't used very much it's really more of the facebook group the group itself wasn't really about ray it was just about people posting about poker and it was a big enough community with 17,000 members to where it kind of ran itself with the help of these moderators who were uh trying to keep it sane there which was a difficult task but uh that's that's what was going on there. So with Ray gone, yeah, some of the leadership is gone, some of the personality is gone from it, but it still has people talking about poker, and there's a lot of people there, so it, it continues. But I don't know. If, if he gets sentenced for several years for this, uh, that might eventually be the end of it, especially if the moderators are realizing that they're going to be running something with no head for many years to come. So we shall see. Also, remember Ray was accused of using different aliases over time, different social security numbers, different dates of birth. They were all modified forms of his own and that uh, it was done to prevent discovery of the fact that he's committed other crimes in the past. So so who knows? Like, all this can also come into play and make his sentence longer. This isn't just happening in a vacuum. This, is, this isn't someone with a super clean record who is being accused by two girls who might be lying. This is someone with some history of some form. So it's that's going to factor into it too. And, you know, it, it could also be somewhere in between. It could be that these girls are no good, that these girls are gang members, but that he did the things that were as charged. Maybe he didn't take their innocence and they had done plenty of stuff on their own before knowing him. Maybe uh, they were trying to shake him down for a job and then did this as revenge, but maybe this also really happened. <laughs> it can be both. 
maybe these girls are not very sympathetic characters. So who knows? But the bottom line is, if, if he did it, he did it. You know, if he can't uh, get around that if, if that's what really happened. And if the if at least one of the girls was under 14, obviously that's a big problem no matter what the circumstances are. If, you know, if the girl's 17 and already had a vast sexual history, well, in Nevada, it's not even illegal, but uh, take, a, take a place like California where it would be. If the girl is 17 and already uh, has been around and then has sex with a guy who's an adult and then the guy gets charged with it, I mean, he shouldn't do it. You've got you got to watch out for that if you're an adult male not to do things like that. But it's, it's a little harder to see the girl as a victim there. That's not really the spirit of the law of what it's trying to prevent. So so there's a big difference between that and, and like an older guy, a predatory older guy, like grooming a teenage girl for sex. That's uh, Those are two very different things. And what's especially different is is kids who are really young. But you get under 14, that's already a problem no matter what. You know, that's the, if, if this really happened. That's, now yes, yeah, like 13 is not the same as like 8, but it, it's still pretty bad. I mean, that's, and that's why they have that law in most states about under the age of 14. Because most states recognize that a lot of teenagers are sexually active. A lot of teenagers look old for their age. A lot of teenagers don't tell the truth to uh, adult sexual partners that they're not really 18, that they're under 18. And sometimes they don't say that, <laughs> or they claim they're 18. They claim they're 19, and then they're not. So they will often separate this to where when uh, the, the victim is under 14, it's a much more serious matter than if the victim is over 14. And then some states even have ages of consent that are below 18, some 17, some 16, some 15, so it varies from state to state. The best thing is if you're an adult, just don't mess around with anyone under 18, and that's that's just the best way to go. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. All right. Uh, speaking of crime, Brian Wojtek, he, just, he never quits. Brian Wojtek is still scamming using America's card room as a premise. And people always ask me, well, who is he on America's card room? Now, before we get to that, let's take this call. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, it's Brett from Sacramento. Hey, Brett, what's going on? Hey, uh, quick question. Do you have an update on the Atari Casino Hotel coming to Vegas? Uh, any news or updates on that? Or did they cancel it? Or what do you know? I haven't checked on it since I reported it on the show. Uh, it's It's been pretty recent that I reported it on here. I haven't gone to look again. I have to imagine we're not going to get an update on that for a little time. Usually when these projects are announced, then they take some time to actually become reality, and then sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Okay. Also, have you uh, checked out the new Hard Rock Casino in Sacramento? I'm a local here, and I haven't gone there yet. Do you have any uh, updates or opinions on that yet? I have not gone there yet. Uh, if you go, you can let me know what you see there. But I have not been to any Sacramento casinos. Uh, the only Sacramento area gambling establishment at all that I've been to has been Stones. And the rest of them I have never set yeah. foot in. Yeah, I, I, I've been to a couple of them. Uh, 
Okay, I'll go check it out, Hard Rock, and I'll report back to you. Okay, thank you. That'll be interesting. Thanks. Take care. All right. Good night. All right. So, Brian Voitek, he is an ACR scammer, and people always ask me, who is he on ACR? What's what's his screen name on America's Card Room? And I always have to tell them, I don't know. In fact, he may not be on America's Card Room at all. I'm sure he has an account there, but he may not be playing at all there. He uses America's Card Room as a pretense to scam people. He scans Twitter. He constantly makes new Twitter accounts. He scans Twitter for anyone who is asking to trade money to get money on ACR. He messages them and asks them to send them either PayPal or Cash App in exchange for ACR funds. The people send him the PayPal or Cash App funds, and then he just blocks them. Usually, actually, he'll mock them first and then block them. So he never sends them the ACR. So not only does he likely not have any ACR money, he may not even have an account on ACR that he actively uses. That's just what he claims he's going to send them and then never does. So I still call him an ACR scammer because he's using ACR as the premise to steal from people. And he's doing this over and over and over. By far, he is the most prolific ACR money trade scammer in the world. In fact, he's probably the most prolific money trade scammer in the world right now as far as any poker site goes. I I can't think of anyone who is scamming more involving poker money trades in 2019 and 2020 than Brian Wojtek, and he's been doing it a lot longer than that. I mean, this, this guy is a career scammer, and this guy is 45 years old. This is not a kid. This is someone who's a middle-aged man who's just doing this probably to support himself. A few things I want to tell you that are going on here with Brian Wojtek. I'll give you some updates. First of all, would you believe that Brian Wojtek actually has a GoFundMe account? Brian Wojtek has started a GoFundMe to pay his rent. And if you click on it, it has a weird picture of like these uh, cartoon characters. One is like with a knife and one was like a bat. And it says he's looking for $500 for rent because I'm poor, bruh. You're supposed to donate that $500 to him. What do you think, guys? Do you think that's where we should send the Kevin Racks 500? See Brian Wojtek, maybe, for his rent because he's poor. I mean, I'm hearing that he's scamming more than ever and for a greater amount. Someone contacted me that he had scammed them for fifteen hundred. So you think he could afford five hundred dollars for rent? But Wojtek, I I don't know if the GoFundMe is even a joke. It might be. It it may just be to it, it may just be to troll people. But nevertheless, he has a GoFundMe for five hundred dollars. Last I looked. The $500, you might wonder, how much has he raised? He's actually raised... 0.0. So, maybe it's not much to worry about that he's on GoFundMe trying to raise money for rent. It really may just be a joke, but of all things to have up there. Uh, Let's see if it's still there. Yeah, it's still there, but it doesn't have any... It's a yeah, poor bra. Created February 4th, and it's actually under the category of weddings and honeymoons. Even though I believe... I don't know. He may not be married. I think he's just got a girlfriend. He might be married. I'm not sure. I know he has kids. I think he has kids. I'm not even sure about that anymore. He lives in Vegas, though. And... uh 
I don't know who he's expecting to donate to this. Nobody has so far. But I want to give you another update here of what's going on, and that somebody has shown up on Poker Fraud Alert and claims that they're going to go after him. And by the way, whenever I get contacted by people who got ripped off by Brian Wojtek, I always tell them, get to Vegas as soon as you can, if you're not in Vegas already, and go down to the police department and report him. Also, tell PayPal and try to encourage PayPal to take action because I was told that PayPal knows him. He's committed so many PayPal scams that the fraud department of PayPal actually knows him by name. They know very well of Brian Wojtek. And if they are pushed enough, they might go to the police in Las Vegas. So if you're ripped off on PayPal, they won't give you your money back. But you can at least try to push them to report him to the police there. It's it's a matter of organization. Like if, if the victims get organized, they can get this guy. He lives in Las Vegas. His address is right there on Poker Fraud Alert under the scammer Brian Wojtek latest info thread. I don't know if he still lives there, but he's still in Vegas. And there's a guy who registered on Poker Fraud Alert named Tankazoo. T-A-N-K-A-Z-O-O. And he started a thread saying, Hi, I'm here to offer a service. I will try to explain. If you have questions, ask me anything. I learned how to do this from someone who was previously here, although I go about this a slightly different way. There are many people in the poker community and in life that borrow and steal from others and never pay the money back and have no intention to pay it back. My goal is to use methods taught to me that I've come up with to get that money back from the scammers. I will not go into detail about my methods, but for the most part, they work quite well. Now, the one major difference between myself and my mentor is that he would charge a percentage of the debt collected as a fee. I charge nothing. This is your money, and it belongs to you, and nobody else has a right to it. If I get your money back and you want to PayPal me something as thanks, awesome. If you don't, again, awesome. I get more satisfaction from collecting from scammers and thieves than a monetary reward could give me. Enough is enough of people stealing and then laughing when they get away with it, which Brian Foytek does, by the way. I also don't hide who I am. I don't hide my IP. You can have my email, Facebook, whatever. Again, if you have questions or thoughts on this, ask away. Now, Brian Wojtek, I hope you're reading this. You're an utterly atrocious piece of trash. I'm coming and I'm going to go to all my skills and capabilities to absolutely destroy your life. I will accomplish it. I'm not even saying any more than that as actions speak louder than words. Then someone asked him, okay, who are you? And he said, and then he posted a Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Trent, Trent period right period 10297. Facebook.com slash Trent period right, W-R-I-G-H-T, period 10297. If you message me there, I'll message you back. Uh, I'll even give you my phone number if you want to call. I had a chat, a text chat with Brian. He is playing the tough guy route. I've had someone try that. Didn't turn out well. This guy's not saying what he's going to do. It doesn't sound like he's threatening any kind of violence. It just sounds like he's going to harass him uh, to no end until Brian coughs up the money. I don't think Brian has the money. My guess is Brian has a gambling problem. I think he may play on ACR for all I know. I, I think I think what Brian is doing is number one, he probably doesn't want to work, so he probably just uh, subsists on scams, and then whatever money he doesn't use on paying the rent and food and whatever, he probably tries to gamble and it doesn't work out well. I know he was once a poker player. I briefly knew him in 2009. He even tried to ask me to stake him, which I wouldn't do. We were never friends, but we were kind of like friendly acquaintances who talked occasionally. I actually didn't know him through poker, of all things. I happened to know him through uh, an internet show, which had nothing to do with poker or gambling. And he mentioned being a poker player, 
and he mentioned being like near my age. So I'm like, oh, I wonder if I know you, and I didn't know who he was. At the time, he went by the name Floppy Bob online, he even tried to do a video podcast named uh, The Floppy Bob Show, which went nowhere. And I knew him as Floppy Bob for a long time, and I didn't realize, I didn't even know his real name was Brian Wojtek. I only realized it was the same guy when I saw a picture of Brian Wojtek. I'm like, wait a minute, I know who that guy is. That's that Floppy Bob guy who tried to do that stupid show back in 2009. So I, I don't know what this Tank is going to do to him, but there you go. If you were a victim of his, you might want to contact Tankazoo and I, Brian is very, he's very defiant, as Tankazoo has already found. He, he laughs at his victims. He challenges people to uh, come over and deal with them if they want. Now, I've had people message me recently that they may actually do that when they come to Vegas. Like, I've had people who are so pissed, and I, I'm not telling them to do this, by the way. I'm not, I have not encouraged anyone to commit acts of violence. I've told people what you need to do is go to the police. You need to go to Vegas as soon as you can because the closer to when the crime was committed, the better, and tell them that Brian Wojtek, who lives in Las Vegas, is committing uh, electronic scams against you. He's uh, committing uh, PayPal or Cash App money trade scams and, and show them. And it doesn't matter if it was for America's card room money. They're not going to care. They're just going to care that he was that Brian Wojtek was trying was doing a money trade scam through PayPal and, and Cash App, and you, you start a case against him, and enough people come and keep saying, Brian Wojtek's scamming me and provide the evidence... The police will do something. The more they come in, there. Believe me, if tons of different people come to the police there in Vegas and keep reporting Voitech for running these scams, they're going to come arrest them. Hundred percent. They just get. We have to have enough people doing it. That's what I mean by get organized. So that's my advice. Now, I, as I said, I have had people messaging me recently that were recent victims, not even ones I've dealt with before, that are telling me they're so pissed that that when, next time they're in Vegas, they're going to pay him a visit. And, and beat him up. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> you do what you want. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not instructing anyone to do this, but, uh, obviously if, uh, if Brian Wojtek uh, rips you off and laughs at you about it, then, uh, when you come see him in Vegas, you're not going to be very happy with him. So, uh, I, I still think the, the police is the best route here because that, I mean, he's committed so many of these scams and keeps committing them it really will not take that many people going to the police in Vegas to have him put away. And that will stop us for good. So uh, that, that's where that stands right now. And I'll give you any updates on this as they occur. He's currently on Twitter, last I saw, as Happy Sunday Bro, at Happy Sunday Bro, but he's constantly changing accounts because the second he's called out as a scammer, he either abandons or deletes the account. Every account he makes, he blocks me and blocks Poker Fraud Alert on Twitter before he does anything. He pre-blocks me and Poker Fraud Alert, which is it's kind of flattering. It's kind of flattering that I've reached the point that scammers are pre-blocking me. And he knows I'm always calling him out, and he knows that I'm always uh, telling people to watch out for him and telling people to report him to the police. And he wants me to see as little as possible. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's a big scammer. Under some of his accounts, he's claimed that he does this because he's been scammed a number of times and he's tired of it, so he's just going to scam also. But that's BS. I, I have no knowledge of him actually being scammed, even if, even if that's true. That Just because you're a victim of crime, that doesn't mean you go commit crimes yourself after that. I mean, that's insane reasoning anyway. Moving on to our next subject, 
Let's talk about the Lucky Dragon Casino. Now, that was a casino that was a very bad idea from the start. And I could have predicted this one of what was going to happen to it. It was obvious. It was very obvious what was going to really happen with the Lucky Dragon. And I always wonder, like, who actually is consulted on these types of things? When they, when they try to see, is this a good business plan? Is this a good idea? Should we do this? Do they ever consult anyone meaningful? Anyone who has real knowledge of the industry? Because if they did, I think they would have been told with Lucky Dragons that it was not going to work out. Lucky Dragons was in an area that was unlikely to have much foot traffic. It was not on the strip. It was aimed at the uh, Asian market. But, like, who's going to go there is the truth. Who's going to go there? There's there's plenty of casinos that Asians already like visiting. It's not like uh, Asians come to Las Vegas and go, oh, if, if only we were more accepted here. If only we had a place to go. If, if only casinos would try to cater to the Asian market. If, if only casinos in Vegas had Asian employees. No, I mean, all casinos have this. In fact, a lot of casinos will have Asian themes, such as uh, they'll celebrate Chinese New Year. They do this on purpose because they, they, they want to make sure that they are very welcoming to the Asian gamblers because there's a lot of them. A lot of them that come from Asia, a lot of American Asians, they want the Asian gambler. They want the Asian gambler to feel welcome. They want the Asian gambler to feel comfortable. So there is not a shortage of casinos that cater to the Asian gambler. Now, if they wanted to create one that was appealing to the Asian gambler and also was in a good location and was likely to draw other clientele, then that's great. They can do that. That isn't a bad idea. But... You don't start a fail casino, a, a relatively small property off strip that is supposed to cater to the high-end Asian gambler because people are not going to come there. Why would they? So after the Lucky Dragon predictably failed, it wasn't even, even in a very good area, by the way. It's kind of like down the street from the Sahara. After it failed, it was bought for $36 million to a developer that claimed they wanted to turn the hotel into non-gaming space, similar to what's going to be happening to Harris Reno. That's This was back in uh, April 2019 that uh, Don Ahern, who is the chairman of C- and CEO of Ahern Rentals, that uh, is actually based out of Las Vegas and hires out heavy construction equipment. They bought the Lucky Dragon. Don Ahern said that uh, it's not going to be called the Lucky Dragon. And in fact, it's not going to be a casino. Lucky Dragon is going to be turned into the Ahern Hotel. They said there will be a full grand opening on July 4th. And uh, he says that the hotel business is really nothing more than the rental business. Whether you're renting a piece of construction equipment or a hotel room, it's just a rental. I wouldn't go that far. 
he's confident that uh, even though it's got uh, only nine stories and 203 rooms, that uh, it will still do fine. That he's going to transform it into a hotel for small and middle-sized conventions and meetings. And that uh, they, uh, they're they spending less than $10 million in room renovations. And also part of that less than $10 million is going towards uh, converting the casino into convention space. And they're also building new restaurants. What is not resolved right now is that uh, about 180 investors bought into the Lucky Dragon in exchange for a visa that allows uh, permanent citizenship in the U.S. And uh, there's a lawsuit involving that. And, in fact, some of these people may not even be getting their visas. So there's a the whole mess about this matter. Lawyers representing those investors, mostly Chinese nationals, say they were defrauded. That... Uh, Basically, there's a program called the EB-5 visa program, which gives foreigners permanent citizenship in the U.S. if they invest at least 550000 into a business that employs a certain number of people in an area with high unemployment. So at the time, Vegas had high unemployment, and this was an area that qualified. And uh, that's how a lot of the money was raised to build the Lucky Dragon. There's, uh, there's some belief now that... Uh, this whole thing was almost like a scam. That it was, uh, in fact, that they were getting people to invest in this, believing that uh, it was a viable business when it was already a failed business, and they didn't disclose it to people. So we will see where that goes. That's been going on for a while, that lawsuit, and that's still not resolved yet. Anyway, the Ahern Hotel is going forward. Now, how do I feel about the Ahern Hotel? Do I think it's going to succeed? No. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. It is possible to have a hotel that succeeds in Vegas without a casino. And I'm not just talking about like little motels that people stay in just because they want somewhere cheap to stay. Uh, The former Mandarin Oriental, the Mandarin Oriental became the Waldorf. That has no casino, and that's doing well. But that's a different situation. That's that's a big property, and it also has condos in it, by the way. But even ignoring the condos, it's a big property – and the Waldorf, and before that, the Mandarin Oriental, these were high-end hotel brands that people would come to because they want to stay in luxury in Las Vegas and not have the loud casino environment. They want a quiet, peaceful place to stay in Vegas because not everybody comes to Vegas to gamble, especially because of Vegas pushing away from gambling being its main focus. So the Waldorf success makes sense. But will the same clientele come to stay in a small boutique hotel that's not even a very good area? Keep in mind the Waldorf is right next to the Aria. You can walk right to the Aria from the Waldorf. So if you do want to gamble, one of the biggest and nicest casinos in Vegas is right next door. That's right there on the Strip. But do you really want to just come and pay a good deal of money to stay in a nine-story boutique hotel with no gambling – and with nowhere in walking distance that you can gamble. It just doesn't seem like something that would be appealing 
I really don't believe that any off-strip non-gambling property can succeed in Vegas unless it's just very cheap and it's just something people resort to because they can't afford the casino properties. I don't think it's a good idea. But I see maybe why this guy wants to go that way because it's simpler and cheaper to run. But at the same time, if you run a casino properly, it, it should be like printing money. It really should. If you've already got the hotel, you've already got the restaurants, you've already got the whole support system around it, you just you need the casino there. It really should be like printing money because it's not that expensive to run. Once you've got the space, you've got the building, you've got the the hotel, you've got the restaurants, it, it should be something which can make money if it's run intelligently. So while I think the Lucky Dragon being built was a mistake, I think once it's there, you should be able to turn a profit in the casino portion. I don't, I'm not saying the whole thing can turn a profit, but if you're going to make any money at all, it should be uh, – some of it should be through the casino. Like you shouldn't be running without the casino. That should be a segment that does make you money. I think by taking the casino away, they're not making more money. They're making less money if there's money to be made at all. But we'll see. I think this guy just took a shot at it. He has a bunch of money from his other business. He's taking a shot at it. All right, moving on. I want to talk about the live slots at the Hard Rock Atlantic City. This is an interesting story, and it's it's not that far from the live games you could play online that some casinos have been doing. But these are live slots, and this is the first of its kind. And to me, it's, it's kind of an interesting story of what's uh, going on there. So the Atlantic City Hard Rock Hotel and Casino has now on their online casino, which is hardrockcasino.com, what they call live slots, which is an option to spin slot machines from their own home. And no, I'm not talking about online slots. I'm saying a real slot machine, a physical slot machine sitting in a room in the Hard Rock Atlantic City, you can spin the reels now without leaving your home. And this is the first of its kind ever offered. So what they do is they, as people activate the slot games via hardrockcasino.com, and they also are wagering money they've deposited through there, and then the machines play. Now you may wonder, how's this working? Like, are slot machines just sitting through the casino going to just start spinning on their own? Are you going to walk up to a machine and it's just spinning with no one there as if a ghost is operating it? That would be kind of weird. Think about walking through a casino and it's just, it's just spinning on its own with nobody there. Wouldn't that be really weird to see? You're not going to see that, though, because that, that's not what's happening. Though it would be cool if it was. It would be cool if, if you've walked by, by, like, video poker machines and it's just playing on its own and slot machines are spinning on their own. And you're like, what the fuck's going on in this place? Uh, you think of the Hard Rock is haunted. But no, the Hard Rock actually has a small room on the gambling floor. And by the way, it can be seen, but you cannot approach it. You can see the games by, I guess, peering into a window. But you cannot uh, walk in there. But it's got a small room, and it has 12 slot machines inside. And there's cameras. 
So the cameras are focused on the machine. And then when players spin them, the uh, they see on the cameras what's happening with the machine, and it reports back to HardRockCasino.com, which uh, credits or debits their money as appropriate according to how the slots are going. People who are walking through the Hard Rock can peer in there, but as I said, they cannot get in there. Now, there are only 12 machines. What if more than 12 people want to play? Well, what happens is that they have to wait their turn in line, an online line, to access any of those slot machines in that room. When any machine is grayed out, or when, when they're, sorry, when the machine is in use, the play button on the site will be grayed out. And once it's ready to play, then they're alerted. They get on like a waiting list and then they can start spinning the game. It's, it's kind of similar to, I don't know if you've ever used an online webcam where something has a webcam that you can actually sometimes control, move it up and down, move it side to side, zoom in and out. I know Mammoth Mountain has some of these. If you go to mammothmountain.com, you can look at the ski slopes on their webcam. But of course, only one person can control it at a time. So when someone's controlling it, it grays out the controls. And you have to wait till someone stops using it to control it yourself. So it's kind of like this too, except this also has a waiting list where the others usually don't. And that's how you get access if all 12 machines are being used. This is being done through software created by Softweave Limited to create this new technology. Otherwise, how could it work? You know, the, there has to be a way to connect the online site to the live slot machines. So this software by Softweave is, is basically linking them and sending the information back and forth to where the players can do this from their own home. This is being considered a natural extension of the live dealer games. Live dealer games are just like this, except these are table games. Like you can play blackjack with a live dealer where cards are being dealt physically on a table and then you're actually directing everything online. Again, these are done at special live dealer tables and not done at uh, regular tables on the casino floor. But that those already existed, and now they are adding live slots. The purpose of this, aside from just making extra money, is to create a transition to where players are starting to get used to playing online, even if they don't really like normal online gaming or don't trust online gaming. If people say, well, I want to play live slots, but uh, I don't really have to go down to the casino. I wish there were a way I could play live slots like sitting in my own house. I don't want to play online slots. I don't like those. But if I could only play live slots sitting in my own house, that would be cool. Well, this is the answer to that. This is people who would like to play these live slots without leaving the home but don't really like online slots. This is for them. This is to kind of get used to people to being online customers. This is a new offering online for people who don't necessarily like online. I do have to wonder if this is going to be the start of something bigger. I wonder when we will first see live video poker you can play from your computer at home. Where again, you're playing video poker on your screen, but it's actually a physical machine in the casino. 
it sounds kind of stupid. Like, why not just play the video poker on the screen? But maybe people don't trust that. They should. I mean, you should trust the machine that's there in the casino floor just as much as you trust the online site if it's the same company offering it. We just had that same conversation with, with John Audie, the uh, the hacker of these uh, these online uh, poker programs that, he, that he's been uh, messing around with. And he said, hey, look, you, you've either got to trust the operator or you don't. And that's really what you have to think about. And that's the same case here. That if the casino wants to cheat you, they could cheat you online or through the live games or through the games you play right in the casino. If they want to cheat you, they will cheat you. So it's a matter of do you trust them or not. But regardless, I, I wonder if we will start seeing more and more of this. And I wonder if it will get to the point that, yes, you will be walking through casinos and things, seeing things just spinning on their own or seeing video poker playing on its own that people are directly connecting to it. In fact, uh, this is a little bit of a low-tech version of it, if you think about it, because it isn't really a direct connection. It's actually on a camera, and there's just some kind of link to spin it. But uh, what if you could actually just bring the machine directly up on your screen without a camera? And you could just spin it. So yes, the physical machine will be spinning, and people who walk by it will see the machine spinning, but on your screen, it'll look like an online game. Maybe people, people won't want that. Maybe people like the camera to, be able to see it. But as long as you know it's really spinning, you could even send your buddy down there to take a look and see your own the, the machine spinning that you're playing. But maybe people will start enjoying that where they can play their favorite casino games without setting foot in the casino. And this also might reduce some overhead for the casino. Now, at the same time, the casinos will lose out on some money-making prospects. For example... People won't be going to their restaurants or going to their gift shop or staying in their hotels. But if this is something they can do cheaply, if, the, if people can just log on their computer at any time and spin slot machines or play video poker without having to leave their home, that's very, very little operational cost for the casinos, and they're going to make money on it. So we'll see where this goes. We'll see if this is just a weird gimmick or if people start to enjoy them. The New Jersey gaming regulators already tested these and claim that uh, they have integrity. So the games have already been vetted by the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. In order to do this, you also need an account on the Hard Rock Online Casino. That's hardrockcasino.com. So you have to create that account and you have to fund it in order to be able to play. Uh, now, what kind of machines are being offered right now? Right now, uh, Buffalo, Hotter Than Blaze, and uh, Spitfire Multipliers are the ones being offered. Buffalo is a very popular series that you'll find in every casino these days. So that's uh, those are the titles I know of at the time. There might be more, but those are the three I know that they're offering. Now, another problem is that slots just have a very very bad return. If you're if you're playing slots, you're going to get killed. Aside from the few that win the mass, massive jackpots, you're going to get killed. The return rate on slots is very poor. It's often under 90%, which is much worse than you think because you're you're constantly spinning. So, if every spin on average you're going to be returning 
90% of your money. That means 10% of your money is gone every time. So just multiply that by all the spins you're making, and that's how much you're going to lose on average. So I would not recommend doing this unless you happen to find some of these slots that might be in an advantaged state. And then there might be a play involved there. Uh, I don't think it's that likely there will be plays involved with these because these probably get more scrutiny, but who knows? You, you never know with casinos. They do stupid things. Okay, well, we're going to talk about Jim Murin, the CEO and chairman of MGM, who is stepping down after a long run with MGM. And apparently, I guess there's some mixed feelings about him. I was saying that he actually was very successful there and was influential in modern Vegas. And then I got that text from someone who had some very bad things to say about him. So is was Jim Murin a success story in Vegas or was he someone who was very bad for MGM and the city? We will discuss this next on A Current Affair. Okay, so let, let's talk about what happened with Jim Murin. And I, I can see both sides of this, to be honest. Jim Murin was the CEO and chairman. Actually, he still is currently, but he won't be soon. And he's going to step down from both roles before his contract expires. Basically, they're looking for a successor now, and then that's it. He has been the CEO of MGM since 2008. He's been with the company since 1998. He said, leading MGM Resorts has been the most rewarding and fulfilling experience in my professional career. He said, there's a great team in place still at the company, and uh, I'm confident the successor can drive on continuing expansion and success. And this is these are some of the things he did as head of MGM. Remember, this is, this is since 2008. Now, let's think about 2008 for a second. What was 2008? Well, that was a very bad economic year. That is when the real estate bubble burst and there is a major crash of both real estate and banks failed and the economy just went in the toilet. That's when the prosperity of the 2000s, the bubble burst and everything fell apart, mainly fueled by the real estate market crash. Las Vegas was hit very, very hard with this. They were one of the hardest hit cities by the 2008 crash. There was tremendous construction there that uh, some of it was just left standing. In fact, some of it has still not been completed that was left uh, standing after 2008 when the money ran out. Uh, people had bought condos in 2008 where the value depreciated by like 90%, which is crazy. And Las Vegas itself struggled badly. Casinos were making much less money. People stopped taking vacations there. People didn't have the disposable income to gamble anymore. And city center was in the process of being built with the expectation of the 2000s boom continuing. And then it found itself in a big mess as it was in the process of being built during that crash. Well, uh, he did get MGM out of that. And as you know, MGM is a a successful company 
at the moment. Uh, now, keep in mind, Mirren was actually company president dating back to 1999, and he was actually the uh, number two in MGM Mirage, which is the name of that company at the time, in 2007. And then uh, the next year, he became chairman and CEO. But uh, he had influence in a lot of ways. So he was the one who came up with the idea for City Center. City Center, I remember when this was proposed. And at the time, some people thought, I don't know about this. This doesn't seem like a good idea. But City Center was this development right in the middle of the Strip that he saw as being like a a major destination for Vegas. And some people thought maybe it was too much and maybe it was uh, something unnecessary and too expensive. Murin actually has a degree in urban studies and art history. And he kind of uh, combined that in his idea for city center. As I said, city center had some problems because of the fact that it was being built during the crash. But it, it ultimately was completed. And Aria is a very successful property. It's a very nice property. Uh, there's also Vidara, which is uh, no casino there, but it's uh, basically right there next to Aria, and uh, it's condos and people, but you can stay in them in, in a hotel format. And uh, City Center has uh, ultimately been a success. There's other properties there as well that are not owned by MGM, like Cosmopolitan and uh, the former Mandarin Oriental, which is now uh, the Waldorf. So City Center, looking through it at the 2020 lens, was not a failure, but it, it had its challenges back in 2008. He was also very instrumental in uh, bringing the... Vegas Golden Knights, the hockey club, to Las Vegas, and uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, who are going about to play their first season in the next NFL season that will begin later in 2020. He also had a big part in the building of the T-Mobile Arena. I think it's safe to say that if Murin was not in charge of MGM, Vegas would look very different. They may not have the sports teams they do. And also he oversaw MGM's expansion into Asia, which, as you may have noticed, Caesars did not do. Caesars has no presence there. But MGM does have uh, two properties in Macau. And they're also currently building a resort in Osaka, Japan, which is the second biggest city in Japan. Actually, a very large city. A lot of people don't know how large Osaka is, but it's a very large city, which is usually very much overshadowed by Tokyo in people's minds who don't know Japan very well. Caesars has no presence in Macau, and that's really cost them. Now, speaking of costing them, the coronavirus has been very expensive for MGM in recent times because of the money they're losing every day with the casinos closed. But uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show that things are going to reopen. 
Now, why is Murin stepping down? Was there a scandal? Not that I know of. Is MGM in trouble? Not that I know of. It just appears he's done. Maybe there's something we're not hearing about. But it just kind of appears that he's he's just finished. I don't know why he's not completing his contract. That Maybe his contract's going to go a few more years. I, I'm not sure how long his contract is running until. If it's going to be ending soon, like let's say his contract is ending in September, it wouldn't make sense for him to be stepping down right now unless something did happen. And maybe it's something we'll never find out. Now, going back to the text I got from this person, 619, called him Jim Urin, and said he got richer from corporate greed. Well, first of all, all corporations have greed. That's the way corporations run. Corporations, they have, they have one purpose, it's to make money. Now, yes, there's more ethical corporations and there's less less ethical corporations. I'm not, I'm not saying all corporations are the same. But at the same time, uh, corporate greed is very common among all big corporations. So I, I won't bash him for that. But let's let's talk about the other criticisms, some of which are more fair. This person wrote, Mr. Urin's legacy, one, first in Las Vegas on parking fees. Okay. I agree that's annoying. I agree that's something that is frustrating for the visitor, even for people like me who have that free MGM Pearl card that I get through the MGM credit card, which I suggest you get, by the way, if you visit MGM properties and don't have a Pearl status already. You can get that free credit card and you just just spend like a dollar on it every six months and you keep your Pearl status. That's what I've been doing. I literally spend a dollar. And uh, it's not a very good credit card otherwise, but you keep your Pearl status and you can park for free at all MGM properties. But it's still a pain in the ass to whip out my card and put it in there. Or if I forget my card, I get to get a new one printed. And I've complained about other things on the show that have happened to me re- regarding MGM properties parking. So do I think the parking thing sucks? Yes. Um, I also think, it's not necessarily a smart idea, and some casinos agree. Like, like Wynn did away with the uh, parking charges. Venetian never had parking charges. You know how much Sheldon Adelson loves money. Even, even he wouldn't do it. So there, there's some belief in Vegas that this was a mistake. There's some belief that parking, yes, it made some money, but at the same time it drove people away. It, it made people not want to just go down there and browse. It made some people not have the desire to come down to the Strip, knowing they're going to have to pay to park. People who would have otherwise spent money. Uh, And then, of course, other companies uh, copied them, most notably Caesars. So now Caesars has uh, parking charges. So there's a belief, and and I think a valid belief, that if Jim Murin was not the CEO of MGM, that there would be no parking fees in Vegas right now, at least not on the Strip. That parking would still be free as it had been. And that this was a Jim Murin idea that... Other companies copied once they saw MGM basically got away with it. So I admit that kind of sucks. Now, I don't know whether it was profitable or not for MGM, but I do know that uh, it's a pain in the ass for the visitors. So for that, I agree that this is something not to think positively of regarding Jim Murin. Resort fees. He says, number two, first in Las Vegas regarding resort fees. Well, I've got to disagree with you there. You're right. You're factually correct. But look at resort fees right now. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. It's not just casino properties. It's not just resort properties. 
It's not just Las Vegas. It's everywhere. And in fact, resort fees were in many, many places before they ever arrived in Vegas. So, look, even if Jim Murin were never born, I think it's very likely that all Vegas properties or most, I shouldn't say all, most major Vegas properties would have resort fees at this point anyway. It's not like Jim Murin invented resort fees or uh, that resort fees are not that common to where they probably wouldn't be in Vegas if not for him. Like I, I agree the parking probably wouldn't be there because it had already always been no parking fees and a lot of uh, hotels still have no parking fees. So I, I think he was responsible for the parking thing, but for the resort fees, that would have come anyway. And if you look at that honestly, you'd probably believe that too. Okay, so then number three, almost bankrupted company with his city center brainchild. You know, that was bad luck, though. It wasn't the city center was ill-conceived. As you see, it's doing well now. The problem was it happened to run right into the housing bubble bursting and the financial crashes of 2008 that followed as a result. So that's that was really what happened. It was more bad timing than a bad idea. If it was a bad idea, a city center would have turned into a long-term disaster. And it did not. So, uh, if you look back, you can say, hey, you know, the city center, it actually seems to be working out pretty well at this point. It just had a lot of trouble at the beginning. Now, it did run way over budget. It was originally estimated to be $4 billion. And it cost a lot more than $4 billion to build. It turned out that the cost of building city center was $100 billion. No, but it was $9.2 billion, And that uh, did come up higher than expected. City center, which was, the project was announced in November 2004. It was supposed to have uh, 2,400 condo units, 4,800 hotel rooms, and uh, a high-end retail mall called The Crystals. And it was supposed to have uh, the Aria, two boutique hotels being the Mandarin Oriental and the Harmon Hotel, and then uh, a condo hotel, the Vidara, and the Veer Towers, which was supposed to be just for uh, residential. So all the, and some of these you may have heard of, some of you may have not heard of. And they were also using uh, extensive green technologies, such as a reclaimed water and an on-site power plant. Yes, they actually have an on-site power plant at City Center. And that was also Jim Uren's idea, by the way, the on-site power plant and the, the green ideas, such as the water reclamation. Now, there were six deaths that occurred during construction. This wasn't his fault, but... There were six people that died during the construction, and uh, there were some concerns that there was a, a lot of drinking right before work that uh, made it less safe there. There also was a walk-off in 2008 regarding the safety conditions of city center. So there, there were some problems. Uh, the Harmon Hotel ended up uh, being demolished. So that never opened. That's why you haven't heard of the Harmon Hotel. It was supposed to be a non-gaming hotel. supposed to be a boutique hotel. First 49 stories, then cut to 25 stories. And then uh, in late 2010, they just decided they're 
not going to finish it. They're going to do away with it. It also had some defects. That was kind of a mess. But everything else ended up okay there. The uh, Waldorf operated as uh, Mandarin Oriental for a long time, which was a popular brand that uh, and it was a very, very nice place. I've stayed there before. And there were condos there as well. It's now currently uh, operated by, by Hilton. The uh, the Ari, of course, has been very successful. Uh, Crystals is still going. I'm not sure how well it's doing, but it is uh, still running. That's that mall there. And Vidara, Fear Towers, they're, they're still around. Everything's fine with them. So, uh, look, I don't think that the city center could be deemed a failure in any way, aside from its uh, tough beginning and those unfortunate deaths. Going back to this guy's concerns, uh, ordered mass layoffs despite business thriving. Well, look, um, a company does not owe jobs to people if the jobs can be eliminated and the company could still f- function okay, that's actually what it needs to do. Now, they can make it easier on these employees. They can help, they can help them with uh, finding new jobs. They can give them better severance pay. I'm not saying MGM was necessarily uh, employee-friendly with this. But at the same time, even if the company is doing really well, that doesn't mean that they should not still be cutting waste. And if some jobs were considered extraneous, then it makes sense why they would uh, eliminate them. Now, he's talking about the suing of the victims of the largest mass shooting in history, of course, being the Stephen Paddock shooting from the Mandalay Bay onto that country music concert below, which killed uh, 57 people and injured hundreds of others. And obviously a very, very tragic event. And that happened in October 2017. And yes, the MGM... Did sue, not the MGM, MGM sued them, the, the victims, in a procedural legal move to make it tougher to sue them. Something like that. We had Eric Benzamokin who explained it on here one time. I, I forgot what he said now. But uh, they weren't actually suing them for, for money to collect damages. It was it was more of like a defensive move that they did first to pre- prevent themselves from being sued. And optics were terrible. I, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, I don't know about enough about the legal matters surrounding it, even though we had Eric Benzamok, and I don't remember exactly what he said. It's been a while since he talked about this on here. But if it was necessary to do to protect themselves, then they may not have had a choice. Obviously, the optics, again, were terrible. But... I I don't think MGM was at fault for this. There was one person who was at fault for this, and that was Stephen Paddock. And that's about it. As far as we could tell, he didn't have any accomplices. He was a crazy guy who decided he wanted to murder a mass number of people, and he chose that venue to do it after scouting several others, in fact, even booking a room somewhere, and then canceling it, I think it was in Chicago, and then canceling it because it uh, it didn't have the right angle to shoot at people. 
So this could have happened many other places, including uh, one other place in Vegas he was going to attempt to do this and backed out. This is just where he ended up finally doing it, because he felt that's the one that gave him the best chance of killing the most people. But when a psycho decides to do something like this, you want to blame someone, but you really can't blame anyone but the psycho unless there really, really was negligence on the part of someone else or something else that had that negligence not occurred could have stopped this. So I've heard the arguments as to why MGM should be sued. They let him use this back elevator that that wasn't open to the public because he was a big gambler there and they allowed him to sneak guns up there without being detected. But I, I think that's very weak. The truth is, in a big hotel like Mandalay Bay, it is not difficult over a period of four days, which is what he took before he ended up uh, shooting that concert. It is not difficult over a period of four days, whether you're using the back hidden elevators or the elevators open to the public, to get suitcases full of guns to shoot at people. I mean, remember, he had four and a half days to do it. It's a big hotel. It's... Very easy to do that. In fact, you could still do that. If you, if you wanted to sneak guns up to the Mandalay Bay, you could still sneak that same number of guns. They, they check the rooms now more often than once every uh, four and a half days, but you could do it in one or two days, easily. So the illusion of increased security is just an illusion. It's no more secure against something like this than it was back in 2017 when Stephen Paddock did this. And therefore, MGM was not at fault. Just because they let him use that elevator doesn't mean that without that elevator, he couldn't have done it. Now, it would be one thing if they came to his room, found guns there, and then for whatever reason chose not to call the police, and then a short time later he shot the people. That would be the negligence that you could sue them for, and and I would support a a massive uh, judgment against them in such a case. But... Not just because they allowed him to use a different elevator. He, he was going to get those guns up there at a period, over a period of four days either way. I, I just think that because he was at the Mandalay Bay and shot from the Mandalay Bay window, that people feel, oh, we've got to sue MGM for this. And I just don't think they're liable. So while it's kind of bad taste to sue the victims of it, and... I've wondered, you know, maybe there was a better way to do this to prevent uh, their own legal liability. But the problem is a lot of times lawyers will come up with these tactics and not really think about from a PR standpoint how it's going to look. Lawyers, their job is just how do we reduce liability for our client? And they come up with this and then someone signs off on it. So it looked bad, but keep in mind the lawsuit wasn't what you think. They weren't trying to get any money out of any of these people or or their families who were victims of it. So so what do I feel about Jim Muring? Do do I think he was uh, a saint? No. Do I feel he's a great man who needs to be revered? No. Do I think he was a good businessman? Yes. Do I feel that he had some positive influence on Las Vegas? Yes. Do I feel he's brought some good things to Las Vegas? Yes. Such as the sports teams, which weren't entirely his doing, but he had a hand in it, definitely. 
such as City Center, which I feel has uh, it, it. Let me tell you about City Center, and this is just my opinion, but I feel the City Center was already a good step towards the modernization of Vegas. And you might say, wait a minute, Vegas is always modern. Well, yes, but not really. Vegas was always glitzy and they had a lot of lights and uh, they, they'd have a, lo- a lot of interesting shows and stuff like that. But if you take a look at the way Vegas currently looks, it looks like a city of the future. It looks like the way you pictured the way cities would look deep into the future. Like, I think if back in 1980, you, you say, someone says, what do you think a city's going to look like in 2020? And beyond stupid things like flying cars or whatever that, of course, didn't come to pass, uh, as far as the way the buildings look and the general look of the city, Las Vegas has a lot of it. They've got these super tall, uh, very modern-looking buildings with cool lights on it and giant screens, uh, sometimes taking up the entire building that constantly have something on it. The whole city is just its just so lit up and so many screens everywhere. And it really has that futuristic look that I, at least I know I picture. Like, I'll, I'll look outside the strip and I'll see Vegas and I'll go, this is kind of like the city of the future I used to picture when I was 10 years old. And city center was the start of this. City center was the start of kind of the modern upscale Vegas past what had already been developed in the 90s of things like Bellagio or things in the early 2000s like the Wynn. This was like a step past that. And now we're seeing more of that come up. Now, the north area of Vegas is being developed with Resorts World and everything else over there that's popping up very soon. And City Center was the beginning of that. And that's kind of the way it was conceived by Jim Murin in 2004, which at that time, that was that was pretty groundbreaking. And who would have thought that in 2020 Vegas was going to have two of the major sports with teams there? They have the NHL. They're about to have the NFL later this year. Who knows? They may even have the NBA at some point. I think baseball may be the last one to come there and maybe never come there just because the market's not big enough to support that many home games. But look, they already have two of the four major U.S. sports there. And I I had thought for a long time Vegas would never see any major sports there. Not even hockey. And he had a hand in that. So Vegas, is it's become more and more of a, a functional city than it ever has been before. And he had a hand in this. And MGM has done very well under his guidance. And he brought them into Asia, which wasn't trivial. Caesars didn't do it. You can't just say it's automatic. It's not unique, but it wasn't automatic. So for, for all of that, yeah. 
I say Vegas has gained in some ways. MGM has definitely gained. Uh, he brought some bad things like the parking. I agree there. I agree if you were someone working there and got laid off. It could be frustrating. And perhaps that wasn't handled as well as it could have been for the employees. I'll tell you this, though. And I had this discussion. I had this discussion with a dying relative in the late 90s. I had a relative who uh, died relatively early of cancer. And I, I visited this relative in uh, in the hospital as they were in their uh, last few months. And this person had worked for a big corporation, not a casino, but uh, a big corporation, and had worked her to the bone. And she thought, well, at least the corporation will be loyal to me. At least they will see all the work I'm putting in all the effort I'm putting, all the hours I'm putting in, and they will reward me later. Well, that's not what happened. She got laid off. Corporations don't care about you. And if you work tons of unpaid overtime to try to impress the corporation, they're not going to care. They won't notice. The people you think will notice won't. And in fact, they sometimes will rationalize it that Maybe you want to work that much. Maybe you have nothing else going on. Maybe you're enjoying it. Or maybe you're just a workhorse they can take advantage of and not hire as many people. Corporations don't care about you, especially in this day and age. But look, this story I'm telling you is from the 90s. It was staying back then. But a long time ago, many decades ago, the corporations did take kind of a parental role with you. You were kind of expected to be with them your entire life, and in return, they took care of you. You had a great retirement plan. You had a great health care plan you didn't have to pay into. You had a great pension. These things don't happen anymore. Everybody's expected to switch jobs. People are expected to only be at one job for, what, an average of eight years. I forgot what the stat is, but it's now very unusual for someone to spend their entire life at one company or most of their entire life at one company. Just isn't happening anymore and corporations know that so they they get out of you what they can while you're there and they know that at any moment you can move on and screw them and they can move on and screw you and when you work for a corporation the best attitude to take is I'm going to get what I can out of them and if I find something better elsewhere I will move on and not even consider for a second that I should have any loyalty because they will have no loyalty to me, and if I become extraneous to them, they will kick me to the curb and not care how that affects me. And that's just a reality of corporate America. It's not even evil. It's just the reality. It's just how it works. And if you have too much loyalty to a corporation, you're doing yourself a disservice. And if you are getting really angry at a corporation for laying you off, then you're also not seeing it correctly. Basically, they don't care about you and you shouldn't care about them. You should almost be treated like uh, if you're going to have a one-night stand with someone and you say, you know, if I approach this that I'm just going for sex 
I'm not going to care about them, and they're not going to care about me, and that I may never see them again, or if I do, it's just going to be for sex. There's never going to be any emotional attachment. And at any time, they can drop me and say they're done with me, and I may do that to them too. And if you can do that, then you won't get emotionally hurt no matter what happens. And if they can do that, same thing. But if you start expecting something to come of it, and then it doesn't, you can end up feeling pissed off and hurt and betrayed. So if you're going to do that, you've got to come in with the right approach. And same thing with a big corporation. Now, smaller companies, especially very small companies, that's a different story. There you, there you get to know the owners. There actually a connection can form between the ownership and the employees and where each has an expectation of the other and where just abruptly dropping out on either side can be seen as somewhat of a betrayal. It's legal, but it's it's you can see where this can be insulting to either side. If you're working for a small company and just abruptly you just give them two weeks' notice without ever complaining about anything or warning them this might happen, or you just abruptly get up and leave and leave them in the lurch, uh, I, I can see how the owner could be pissed. And if the owner just lays you off out of nowhere when everything seemed great, that could be insulting to you as well if you've put in a lot of yourself to that company. So that's a different story. But large corporations, you got you got to understand there's the good and the bad for, with them. You get benefits from being part of a large corporation in many ways, not just financial. There's, there's certain po- big positives to that and certain negatives. And the layoff thing is one of the negatives. But actually a positive is that you can just leave them without any guilt. And uh, that's that's the way to see it. And, and I'm not even stating this from any kind of uh, political standpoint. I'm not saying that this is the Republican view of corporations. I'm just saying, be realistic. Just be realistic. And that relative of mine, when she was on her deathbed, she was actually literally on her deathbed, and she told me. She told me that exact thing, and that stayed with me. Because I was, I was in my 20s at the time. I, I kind of thought that to some degree. But hearing it from her, who actually went through it, and was on her deathbed and regretting the hours that she put in for years just to get laid off. And I thought, you know what? She's right. Corporations, they just don't give a shit about you. And you shouldn't give a shit about them. And then you can go work for one and be fine because you, you know what kind of relationship it is. And, you know, there's people out there that are anti-corporate and I think that's misguided. The country would be much worse without corporations. It would be. But you just have to see them for what they are. And the larger a corporation gets, the less efficient it becomes and the less customer-friendly it becomes and 
it begins to operate more like a machine and less like something that is operated by human beings. And there's good and bad from that. But there's also accountability sometimes too, where uh, as a customer, for example, if you go into a mom and pop sandwich shop and the owner treats you like crap and is rude to you, what, uh, what recourse do you have? None. You can write a bad review on Yelp, but that's about it. You can never come back and tell your friends not to come back. That's about it. If you're at a sandwich shop that is owned by a large corporation and you get mistreated, well, then you can complain to the store manager. If you don't get satisfaction from him, you can complain to the district manager. If you don't get satisfaction from him, you can complain to uh, the, the, the corporate office. You can go way up the chain, and they they have certain standards they have to adhere to, and if those standards are not adhered to, then people get in trouble. All right, uh, moving on. The state of Virginia does not have any casinos, and they do have forms of gambling there, but not actual real casinos. And... Uh, what they have at the moment there are these little kind of uh, informal machines that exist in like gas stations and other small businesses that are only existing because they aren't specifically outlawed. But there's been efforts to get rid of them. These are called, quote, games of skill machines. And they're in bars, they're in convenience stores, they're unregulated, and uh, there's been legislation to try to get rid of them. But there are currently some proposals to bring real casinos to Virginia in the Virginia General Assembly. And they're also looking at online casinos, sports betting, and the sports betting they're looking at would be both uh, at casinos and online. There were uh, 20 different gambling bills that were being considered and uh, they rolled several of them into what's called SB 36 and it's been sent to the finance committee in Virginia. It will probably be approved by the finance committee and will go to the Virginia state Senate where at the moment it does have support from both parties. This bill would allow one casino gaming license in five different cities. So there will be five casinos in the state of Virginia. These five cities would be Bristol, Danville, Norfolk, Portsmouth, and Richmond. Uh, however, there actually uh, might be two casinos in Richmond because there's uh, two groups that want a casino there. So Bristol there might be a hard rock. They've already proposed a casino there and uh, local politicians want it. Uh, there's also a proposal from uh, Eastern Cherokee, but it looks like the hard rock will probably be the one that appears if the gaming is legalized there. Danville, there's uh, no proposed operators yet, but there will be one eventually. Portsmouth has been long pushing for a casino. Their economy is not doing that well. They'd love to have a casino in Portsmouth. And uh, they've already partnered with Rush Street Gaming 
and they have plans to construct an entertainment district and a casino. Norfolk would probably have a casino run by an Indian tribe called the Pamunkey tribe. Tribe. Uh, the, they want a casino resort in Norfolk, and there's already some land that's being purchased for this near the Elizabeth River. In Richmond, that same tribe, the Pamunkey tribe, has announced plans for a $350 million resort, which will also be a casino in South Richmond. And they already purchased the land. The city council has already voted in support of a casino. It's not officially uh, approved yet, and of course the state would have to allow it. So uh, there's also some uh, talk that Richmond might have a second casino, as I said, because there's a group called a Colonial Down Group that has uh, what they call historic horse racing revenue. And uh, they claim they're going to lose a lot of that if uh, this casino opens in Richmond. So they're trying to get a gaming license, and they may actually allow a second gaming license in Richmond for there to end up being six gaming licenses in the state. So two in Richmond and uh, one in those other four cities. Governor Northam, who's had his share of controversy both in his uh, support of uh, late-term abortion for any reason and for his uh, pictures from the 80s wearing blackface, he supports keeping these uh, shady machines that currently exist in these bars and convenience stores, these games of skill, except he wants to see them regulated rather than just abolished completely. So I'm not sure where that's going to go. And uh, as far as the tax on this, it was being uh, it proposed it to be a 27% on profits made there. So uh, that was uh, – now, the report I was reading there was from February 6th. I have an update since then that on uh, February 11th, the Virginia House of Delegates passed a bill legalizing casinos, and the Senate was discussing their version, and they're planning to uh, pass it. The Games of Skill that Gov- Governor Northam wanted to see – retained are likely going to be banned the way it's currently sta- uh, standing. Uh, now on Vegas Casino Talk, this is being discussed. That's where I found the story. VegasCasinoTalk.com is my other forum. Uh, one of the posters there named Half Smoke said, I live very close to Northern Virginia. For years, I greatly respected their decision not to allow casino gambling despite the, con- the competitive pressures to do so. Yes, I've been and am a gambler, but I believe increasing the media availability of casinos to almost every American is overkill. Lots of people are going to get hurt by this. I'm aware of all the pros and cons and the various arguments. I'm very sorry to see Virginia go this route. Some people feel this way, including people who do gamble, saying – I like gambling, but I, I don't want it to be that easy for everyone right in their backyard. That's how this guy's saying. My attitude about this is people are going to find a way to gamble in 2020. I mean, look at all the online gambling you can do. There's just How many people are compulsive gamblers that are only not gambling because it's not right where they are? The truth is, nowadays, people can find ways to gamble. 
So you might as well just legalize and regulate it. I can see not wanting a casino in your neighborhood or in your city for the bad element it sometimes brings, but that's up to each individual city and each individual state. So I I am pro states allowing gambling and leaving it up to the localities if they want it. I don't think it should necessarily be in every city because every city uh, wouldn't gain from having gambling. Some cities that want to remain nice, quiet areas that are good for kids and good for families, it's not good to have casinos there. I'm not saying casinos should be everywhere, but uh, on the other hand, I think if a city wants it, then a city should be able to have it. And it should be, of course, uh, licensed and regulated and all that. So we'll see where this goes with Virginia. If you live in the Virginia area, then you may have some real casinos to gamble in fairly soon. By the way, I see a Listener I haven't heard of before that's currently in the chat. They're from Australia, and their name is uh, Blissy6969. That sounds like a name you'd see on AOL like 20 years ago. (laughs) Blissy6969. That almost sounds like a female name. I have a feeling it's not a female, but I, I could picture being like in an AOL chat room in the year 2000. And there'd be a girl named Blissy 6969. And then Blissy ends up being a dude. And you find that out only when it's too late. Only after you've sent uh, naked pictures of yourself. And it turns out it's a gay dude who's been screwing with you. This guy is admitting he's male though. So there's there's no there's no, no deception in the poker fraud alert chat room. Blissy is a dude. <laughs> he's, cha- he's responding to me right now. Well, welcome Blissy. And I'm glad you're listening. By the way, how long have you been listening to this show? How long have you known about how long you've been listening? I've never heard of you before. There's somebody else in the chat room named uh, Sate. I don't know either. They, they even Sate even gave some useful information. They said, Possible update. The case is set for Possible to appear with or without an attorney on February 26th. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. February 26th will remain in my mind... <clears throat> As the day I broke my first bone, February 26, 1989, I broke my arm while skiing. I was almost 17, and it was very, very painful. Not the way I expected. I expected a broken bone would be tremendous, sharp pain right when the break happens. I imagined that would be like the worst pain in my life. The truth was, the break of the bone felt like I just kind of slammed it against the ground, but... It wasn't excruciating. It kind of just felt like I banged my wrist on something. And it was only as time passed that the pain set in and got worse and worse and worse and worse. So listener for over a year, loved the show. Yeah, I don't know much about the Aussie Millions. He's asking in chat, can I ask, did you see the negotiations about the Aussie Millions? No, I have not. I was not aware of that. I, I know. I don't know if it was you. Someone tried to call in from Australia and wanted to talk about the Aussie Millions, I, I did not know. If you want to call in, you can call in now. 775-372-8355. We only have one more topic. We're done with the Virginia thing. Uh, or if you want, you can send it to me, and I'll cover it next week. You can do that too. I'm kind of running out of energy, and I still have to go through the show and do the timestamps and put in the archives. And Okay, let me get to the last topic here. And that is about Macau. 
Macau is going to be opening again. Macau is closed right now as I speak. Right now, February 18th. No? Okay, whatever. We'll, we'll take an Australia call first. It's going to be opening again. Blissey, is that you? It's closed right now as I speak. Yeah, it is, Mike. Okay, mate. Can you turn down the uh, radio in the background or turn yeah, it off? Done. Okay, very good. Okay. Well, I, I can hear you're not a girl. That's that's good. So, uh, what's... No, definitely not a girl. Definitely not it a was girl. me I tried to call a couple of weeks ago. Okay, okay. So, uh, so what's going on with the Aussie Millions? Oh, um, the negotiations for the main event, they, they were shown live on the stream. I thought it was very interesting. And then, uh, one, the winner, the eventual winner got very rude to the other players. There was three involved. Um, I'd love to, I, I might tweet you about it. It might be a topic for you in the, in the coming weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, I, I can. So you're saying that the negotiations as far as the deal they were making at the final table? Yeah, it was negotiated by the casino, um, um, but it got yeah quite heated and um, it was very interesting with a bit of abuse from one of the players towards someone else, one of the other players, and but it really showed the insight of how intense these negotiations can get. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, you can send me a link to it so I can read about it and I can talk about it in next week's show. Uh, I once had a, a negotiation issue. This is a small tournament, but I was at the Hustler playing a small tournament just to prepare for uh, no limit event at the World Series. At the time, this is much more than 10 years ago, I had not played that many no limit events, and I I wanted to get some more practice. So I was, I was playing, this is probably in 05 or 06 or something. So I was playing this uh, no limit tournament there, and I got to the final table. And people wanted to do a seven-way chop, and I six of them wanted to, and I said no, and everybody said no. Why don't you want this? Come on, the structure's so bad; it's so much of a luck fest. I said no, I understand, but two things: number one, I'm a high-limit player, so I'm not really worried about locking up uh, the, you know, the guaranteed money here. And, and number two, I am really here just for the experience, and uh, I'm trying to prepare for the World Series. I don't want to bail out with the seven people left. Uh, the, the experience I want to try to get is playing with the final table. And you know, I know that I know the structure is not very good. I know that it's a lot of it's going to be shove fest, but I, I I still want it, so I refused. And uh, uh, so what was funny was that there was this guy who was really really upset about this, and he's saying, "Come on, I got to go to work tomorrow. You know, it's getting late. I, I'm not a professional player. I can't stay late like this." I go, "Well, come on, it's not going to be that much longer." As you said, it's like a shove fest. So let's let's just play through. And he's like, "No, no, no. Look, I just I just want to cash this out and leave." So people were begging me to accept it, and people just like they just didn't want to let it go. They they couldn't do the deal unless I agreed, and I was the only holdout. So finally, I said, "Okay, fine. Under one condition, if you guys give me more than the other people." And I felt like kind of an asshole saying that, but I also thought, "Well, it's a negotiation, and they don't have to accept it." So I, they said, "What? Why do you deserve more than other people?" Like we, they were going to do it based on stacks, but I wanted like some extra bonus for everybody if we're going to do this. And they said, "Why do you deserve this?" And I said, "I don't, but I want to play it through, and you guys don't." So, I, I since I don't have to give in to this, if you'll do something extra for me, I'll give in. If you don't, then we'll just play it through. So they sat there; they were kind of pissed off, but they finally said, "Okay, fine," and they gave me the extra. They weren't happy about it, but uh, they were so 
big on ending it there that it gave it to me. And uh, it, the, the truth was I wasn't just trying to be a cheap Jew and extract extra money out of them. I, I Even though I could do that and there's nothing against the rules to that, I, I wasn't going to be that big of an asshole. But I honestly, truly wanted to play it out. And so at first I was just going to say an absolute no. Then I thought to myself, well, okay, let's say – I know they weren't going to do this, but let's say they offered to give me first place money. Would I then? Well, yeah, I'd be an idiot not to, to not take first place money without actually having to get first place. So I thought, well, okay, obviously there's some price I could be bought for with this. So I thought to myself, okay, well, if they give me some extra, I'll do it, and I, and I did it. I don't think I've ever told that story before, but uh, but anyway, I, I know from experience how these can get heated. What have you? Have you won the tournament? No, no, we just ended it. We 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 ended the tournament after uh, with seven people left, and we got paid based on chip stacks, and I got paid some extra out of everybody's uh, payout. Oh, but we do. Have you won? Were you here to play the Norway? No, no, nobody, nobody won because we ended the tournament with seven left. It just stopped. No, oh, okay. I okay. forgot why. I, I didn't get well, the, I, you... I didn't have the biggest stack. I had like a middle stack from what I remember. Okay. Okay. Um, there is a podcast also, I'll just bring in, with um, uh, Rob Campbell. who started a podcast. I don't know if you, you've heard about that. No, um, I, I don't know. It's actually really good. I don't know who Rob Campbell is, actually. Uh, the player of the year who took it off Daniel Grant when they had that mix up. Oh yeah, they're Rob Campbell. Okay, yeah, 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 that's right. Okay, I do know who Rob Campbell is. Yep. Okay, so so he started a yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah, an Australian podcast, and he's actually it's quite good. He's actually doing a few lessons and stuff like. But it's only it's not like your show, but your show is much better. But um, he's a uh, yeah, just doing some lessons to some amateurs and trying to get uh, mixed games up a bit more at, in Australia. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you like this show. And, uh, you know, the truth is I don't listen to other poker podcasts just because the time I put into this one between doing it and preparing for it and and, uh, and the, the, the after production I'm doing now, like I, I just kind of feel burnt out on the whole thing where I don't I don't want to hear any more about poker. Uh, unless it's like, if it's about some specific story where I'm trying to prepare for the next week's show, then, uh, then I will watch something or listen to something. But other than that, there's really, there's, I don't listen to any other poker podcast. I probably would if I wasn't doing this show, but because I do my show, I feel like I've talked enough. I don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> That's it. Totally understandable. But, uh, so how, how did you find Poker oh. Fraudler? You said you found it about a year ago. How, how did you find it? Oh no! It's probably a bit more. I actually saw you walking through the halls of the world. Oh, you're okay. You're the guy who saw me With walking your... through the halls. That's right. You told me about that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. I rang up a couple of times. And, um, yeah, I saw you walking through, and I went, "What's that?" And, yeah, I've been listening ever since. You know, I have to. That reminds me. I should get some more hats made and more shirts made. Uh, I was always skeptical, like, oh, I bet nobody even cares about this. They they see me wearing it, but they never end up listening. And here I'm talking to someone right now who saw me walking through the Rio with Poker Fraud Alert on, and they, here they're listening now. So I, I've i meant to the, – the hats I got made, was, it was back in 2012. 12 or 13. I forgot if it was 12 or 13. It was either 12 or 13. The site started in 2012. And we never got any shirts made. But at the very least, I'll get some more hats made and give them away uh, because there's a lot of people who've started listening to the show 
since then that don't have a hat that would like one. And I only have like three left that I keep for myself. In fact, uh, I I lost one of my hats recently. I I've gone through like three poker fraud alert hats. I had one that uh, I used for years and years and years and got really dirty and beat up. So I switched to a new one that's been sitting in the closet forever and looks like new, even though it wasn't new. And then uh, one of my son's friends accidentally knocked it out of the car when he got in the car, and I didn't realize it till I was long gone from where I was. So that was the end of that hat pretty quickly. So fortunately, I, I dug in my closet, and I actually still have a few more hats left. But these are all for me, for when I lose them or they get in bad shape. So I've got to make some more for the public, and I think I'm going to do that. Uh, I'll try to remember to do that before the World Series of Poker. And I will be giving them away. I won't be selling them. So it'll go to people who either uh, post on the forum actively or uh, active listeners of the show. And I'll, I'll mail them to people or give them away at the World Series or whatever. Oh, that'd be great. I'll, I'll definitely meet you at the World Series and um, grab one if, if I can. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, if, provided I get this done, I will bring a lot of them to the World Series to, to hand out to listeners. I'm not going to just like hand them out to randoms in the hallway, but like people who identify they listen to the show, uh, even if I don't know them, I'll, I'll give them a hat and uh, definitely give one to you. And uh, so how long are you going to be at the World Series? Um, well, um, I, I, I've just sort of just started tuning in um, for tonight's show, so I'll catch up on the show later. But I, obviously the full schedule isn't out totally yet. I don't think. Not that I'm aware of, anyway. No, it's um, not. It's, it's, it's almost um, it's almost full, but it's it's is there still a few things missing? Yeah, yeah. So I'll just wait until the full thing comes out, and then I'll sort of decide what I'm going to play. I'm not a not a high stakes player. I just uh, love the experience of the World Series, and um, I like those deep stack tournaments at the Rio. They're, they're good, I reckon. And um, I've cashed in a few of those. Um, good structure and. My first ever actual experience playing in a bracelet event, I stupidly late regged for. It was the, the, I remember a couple of years ago they did that uh, event called the Solitaire, or the, the, it had the same structure as the main event, but it was a $1,500 buy in. Well, there, there was, there was, a, um, there was a mini main event, I remember that. Was that it? Yeah, well, this one had the same. This had the same structure as a main. It was, but it was only a fifteen hundred dollar buy-in. But I late regged for that, and I ended up sitting on the table two away from Phil Helmuth. <laughs> and and yeah, he uh, just uh, didn't like me too much at all. So, well, but um, but see, he acts that way to everybody. See, you know, the, the thing with Phil Helmuth, as I've said before, is you've got to just like talk back to him as much, as much as it feels weird and like, oh, he's the big star here, and uh, like I don't want to piss him off. Like if you actually talk back to him, then he actually he will actually kind of back down somewhat, and even like he he kind of he wants everybody to like him, yet he acts the way he does, and he just kind of we lost we lost uh, our friend from Australia here, he just fell off somehow. But yeah, I, my my advice to anybody who if Phil talks trash, you give it back to him. He's like he he's not going to beat you up or anything. Like uh, he's just going to nothing will happen to you. Just. Talk back to him. I do it all the time. Uh, anyway, um, since he brought up the World Series before I move on to our last topic, I've come up with a tentative schedule for myself, and it's going to be similar to last year. 
where I'm going to have two trips to the World Series, one starting from the very beginning, and I'll be there for probably a little more than a week, week and a half. And then I'm going to take a break for about uh, two and a half weeks, and then I'll come back and stay all the way through the end, or almost through the end. So I, as he said, there's no full schedule up yet. We're still waiting for that. Uh, it was announced it'll be sometime before the end of the month. But uh, I've, I've seen enough to where I can figure out, in general, my schedule is. I even posted I, – I made a new World Series of Poker 2020 forum on Poker Fraud Alert you can find. There's only one thread there right now. But you'll find in the only thread in that World Series 2020 forum, you'll see my tentative schedule. And uh, if you're going to be at the World Series from uh, the beginning through about June 7th, June 8th, I should be there. And if you're there from June 23rd or after, I should be there. If you're going to be there from like the 8th to the 22nd, uh, you probably won't see me. So uh, that's that's my tentative schedule so far this year. And the events I'm choosing to play are going to be pretty similar to last year, though I plan to play uh, seven-card stud, not high-low, but just seven-card stud. I, I want to play high-low also. It just doesn't fit in with what I can do. And... Uh, so I'm going to play that on June 2nd, and uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to play 10K08. I may skip 10K08. I'm still deciding whether I want to play that or not, just for variance reasons. Other than that, it's, it's pretty similar to other years, just uh, a mixture of limit hold'em, no limit hold'em, uh, and Omaha. In fact, uh, Omaha high-low in various forms. So I'll play the uh, 1500 08, the 1500 PL08, the 1500 mixed Omaha, maybe the 10K08, all the limit hold'ems, one stud event, and uh, some no limit events, and of course the main event. And uh, that's it. Hopefully I can win a bracelet. Hopefully I can run deep in the main event again. I won't say hopefully I can win the main event. I'm not going to be that ambitious. Hopefully I can final table the main event. How about that? How about that for a goal? I'll be happy with a Mark Newhouse ninth finish. It's a million bucks. I'll take it. Like, I wasn't unhappy with last year's 59000 I got from the 128th place finish, but it'd be nice to do better. But I, I had fun last year. The, the World Series is something... You should experience, if you haven't yet, if you like playing poker, even if you're not a big tournament person. It's uh, different than other tournaments. It's just It's got an environment there that's just different from anything else, and it's fun. I, and I, I look forward to it every year. And even though I get burnt out on it by the end and I'm happy to leave, uh, I, I look forward to it again every year. And there's a certain excitement that comes over me as I sit down to my first World Series event of the year. And a certain excitement that comes over me as I get deep in an event and think about maybe making another final table or winning another bracelet. And yeah, there's frustrating moments, as there are in all tournaments. And there's a lot of fail. And it can be crowded. And there can be lines. But it's a time I really enjoy. It's a time I look forward to every year. And I really try to not miss it. I try to make uh, vacation plans around it so I don't miss parts of the World Series. 
and uh, when people come into town and want to hang out with me, even family, I say, here's my schedule. Try not to run into these dates here. So, if you haven't been there, uh, give it a shot one year, even if you just play a $500 event or a $1,000 event. It's an interesting place to be, for sure. And that's why I still do it every year. I, I don't love the fact that I have to miss my family for some weeks there, and that's that's the toughest part to me. Some some people like getting away from their family. Some some guys are like, oh, I get away from my wife for three weeks. <laughs> I don't feel that way. I I feel like I, I really get to miss them. And I, I'll leave and I'll kiss Benjamin goodbye and I'll think, oh my gosh, I'm not going to see him for two and a half weeks? That's crazy. And, you know, but I I get used to it and then soon enough it's coming towards the end and I know I'm going to come home and everything will be back to normal. I still enjoy it. I still come back every year. And when I was having my problems in 2018, I thought, Wow, is this the end for me in the World Series? Am I done? Because I, at the time, I couldn't even think of being in a hotel again. So when I started to get better, I thought, oh, good, I can play the World Series in 2019. That was one of, one of my first thoughts is, yes, I can play the World Series. Okay, final topic, Macau. Macau is, of course, uh, the premier gambling destination for Asians. And it's technically part of China and it has been closed down due to the coronavirus and uh, the casinos were shut down they were losing a lot of money there was a lot of concern about what's going to happen to the casinos there can they survive with a long period of time being closed and losing money every single day Well, they've been given the green light to reopen on February 20th after a 15-day shutdown that began on February 5th. That is because they have not confirmed any new cases of the coronavirus in Macau since that time. So when they closed the casinos, there has not been a single new case of the coronavirus. So they said, okay. If we get to February 20th and there's no further coronavirus cases, you guys can open everything up again. The problem in Macau is that 60% of the local economy has to do with the casino sector. So the nightclubs, the cinemas, the gyms, the beauty salons, the game rooms, the internet cafes, uh, those are all part of the uh, casino sector. And those are actually going to remain closed. So it's not a complete reopening. But the casinos will open and the hotels will reopen. And I believe the restaurants will reopen as well. The closure only came from 10 confirmed cases in Macau. But they still were concerned enough, and given how quickly it can spread in a casino environment, they chose to be safe rather than sorry. And they said that the lack of new cases is a good sign that they've gone this long without anything new being diagnosed. There are 41 casinos in Macau. Now, what about the... uh, 
What about the uh, casinos that aren't ready to reopen, ones that may have shut down and just can't reopen just because they're allowed to? Well, the casinos that are not ready to reopen can actually apply for a 30-day delay to get things back in place again. And uh, they also outlined some measures that the casinos can take to protect people going forward. They suggested that they spread a larger distance between the gambling tables and that they install a system to check the body temperatures of patrons who enter the premises. I don't know how they're going to do that. Can you really check the body temperatures of someone just walking through? I don't know how accurate that could be. Keep in mind, uh, body temperatures are, are not that different between being super sick and healthy. So let's say you have an outrageously high fever like 105. That sounds high, but uh, is it really that much different from 98.6? It's not. And a machine trying to read your body temperature may have a hard time. Because these machines aren't directly touching you. I don't know how they're expecting to be able to do that. Uh, also, they're urging customers to wear masks while they're there, but there are big mask shortages, so I don't know what they'll do if people don't have them. Uh, apparently, fever is one of the main symptoms of a coronavirus. So if you don't have a fever, you probably don't have it. Now, you can be asymptomatic for some time, but if you're showing symptoms and you're afraid you have the coronavirus, if you don't have a fever, you probably don't have the coronavirus. And uh, it is true that uh, someone walking into the casino with a fever should be probably escorted out, but I don't know how they're going to be able to check the body temperatures of people just strolling in. I've never heard of that before. I've never heard of being able to take someone's temperature from a distance. Maybe such technology exists now. I just don't know about it. By the way, speaking of fevers, did you know that fevers as an adult are much more serious on the higher end of the fever spectrum than when you were a kid. If you have a kid who has a 104 or even 105 temperature, it is not a big deal. Even though it feels like it is, it is not. Now, it is advisable to try to bring the fever down at that point because if it gets much higher, then it can be dangerous. But the fever itself at 104 or 105 is not dangerous for kids. Kids' bodies are different and are actually meant to withstand such high temperatures. In fact, there is some belief in the medical community that even temperatures as high as 107 will not cause brain damage in kids. There's some disagreement about that, but it's it's generally agreed that uh, 105 is safe for kids, and maybe even 106. Adults, it's a different matter. Adults, uh, once you pass 103, you need to be concerned. You should... Immediately get yourself checked out if you're over 103 as an adult. As a kid, no. If your your kid, even a, an older kid, even a, like a 14 year old, gets a, a temperature of over 103, uh, don't worry about it. That's that's not a big deal. But uh, an adult with a temperature above 103, and especially 104, or 105, you've really got to get yourself checked because that could be uh, a sign of uh, a major problem, and uh, your life could be in danger. So that's something you should know, both for not panicking about your kid having a high fever and to not dismiss fevers that you had as a kid that were no big deal.
So I've had fevers well over 104 as a kid, and everything was fine. Benjamin has had a fever of 105 and was fine. And if I had a fever of 104 today, I would be very concerned, and I would uh, go to the emergency room. And I'm not a big emergency room guy. I'm usually very anti-emergency room. I avoid the emergency room, but I would go if I had a fever of 104. The last fever I had over 103 was when I was 17 years old. That shows you how unusual it is. I had a lot of them prior to that. Not like all the time, but I mean, there were, it was not super unusual for my fever to be over 103 when I was a kid, even a teenager. So your body just changes. Uh, most things as you get older are actually less serious than when you were a kid. Your body can actually handle things better as an adult than when you were a kid, just because it's larger and more developed, but uh, not fevers. I'm not sure of the reason why, but uh, kids and babies can handle fever much better than adults. So if you get that fever over 104, watch out. Also be aware of the fact that uh, the most accurate thermometers are the old-fashioned mercury thermometers, or uh, even the manual thermometers that are not mercury. I know they've done away with a lot of the mercury ones because they are dangerous, but... uh, in fact, I, I broke a glass thermometer, and I was really panicky that I got mercury in my house, which is very dangerous. And then I learned that this thermometer, even though it appeared to be mercury, was a mercury-free thermometer. And it was not easy to find this out at first, but I because the thermometer was all broken into pieces, so I couldn't see any labeling on it. But uh, I found the exact model of the thermometer it was, and it turned out it was a mercury-free thermometer, and there was no... Uh, danger in the fact that it had spilled on the floor. It wasn't my fault either. I was trying to shake it down so it gets below uh, 98 so I could take my temperature. And while shaking it, it just it just broke out of the little holder, which it's not supposed to do. It just wasn't well made. It just broke out and flew out and smashed into the floor. And I see what looked like mercury everywhere. I said, oh no, what did I do about this? I never spilled mercury before. I knew it wasn't good, but it was not mercury, thankfully. But those manual thermometers are by far the most accurate. Those ones you stick in your ear, the electronic ones, they're cool, they're fast, they're easy. They're also not as accurate, and you're going to get wildly different readings every time you try it. And you can try If you have one of those, try it in both ears and do it like several times and take an average of what you get. So I, I just... I like the manual ones. They're accurate for the most part. and It's it's hard to use on kids sometimes, but uh, for adults, it's a good thing to use. See, look at this. It's almost 3 a.m. and I get to talk about fevers. This show's been going here for, what, like uh, five and a half hours? And I'm wasting time here talking about fevers? Before I close the show, I will tell you a little story about fevers. Um, I, this is so annoying, too. So when Ben was a baby, he had something called the roseola, which first starts out as a very high fever that's scary, and then turns into a rash, a very specific-looking rash. The problem is the fever usually comes first, and there's no other signs, no other symptoms. 
So you, and it happens to babies. So the baby can't even tell you how they're feeling. The baby just seems very upset. And uh, then you, you feel the baby. Of course, the baby's very warm. You, you take the baby's temperature. The fever's very high. And the scariest part is the fever does not respond to anything. You can try to give the baby medication. It does not help. You can try to put the baby in a cold bath. It does not help. The fever just sits high and nothing can touch it. And it's, you feel helpless. And you also start to get scared. What if the baby, what if the fever goes up to 106, 107? You know, is it going to damage my baby's brain or is it going to kill my baby? And you feel helpless. And you, you, you at first think, I'm going to go run to the emergency room. So I had to make this decision. And of course, his mom was involved in this as well. And we didn't know what this was. But uh, th- that's what Rosiola, that, that, that's the way it goes, is that it's a very high fever that doesn't respond to medication, followed by a rash like two or three days later. It's actually harmless. The whole thing's harmless. It resolves itself. You don't need any medication for it. And the high fever is actually harmless too. It never gets so high to dangerous levels. So if you know that's what the baby has, you just have the baby get through it and there will be no permanent damage of any kind. But you don't know this at first, especially if you don't know what to look for. So Ben's fever went up to 105. And yes, I was concerned some, but I just didn't want to take him to the emergency room and I didn't want to get all these like painful tests done on him. I just... I felt like that might be jumping the gun. And I don't want to put this baby through that if not necessary. And I remember calling into uh, like a nursing service that that came with a health plan or something that we had Benjamin on. And I called up and a nurse answered. And I said, yeah, I'd like to know... At what point should I be concerned with a fever for my child? And she says, well, if you have a concern, bring your child to the emergency room. And I said, that's not what I'm asking. Again, what fever, at what point should I be concerned? And she says, again, if you feel that the fever is a concern, bring the kid into the emergency room. (laughs) So I said, let me be more specific. What number on the thermometer should, at what point should I be alarmed? Is it 104? Is it 104.5? Is it 105? Is it 105.5? Is it 106? What point should I be alarmed to where I say, I should bring my kid to the emergency room because this fever is very high? And she says, well, whatever number concerns you. (laughs) I said, I'm calling here to find out from you when I should. If I knew what it was, what concerned me, I wouldn't have to call you. I would just go. But I want to know from you, the medical professional, with a baby of this age, whatever it was, one or whatever he was at the time, at what point should I be concerned enough about a high fever that I should take him to the emergency room? And she says, um, uh, 104. I said, wait. What do you mean 104? You mean I should start watching carefully at 104? Or should take him into the emergency room at 104? Um, yeah, 104. Take him to the emergency room at 104. I said, wait a minute. I was a kid, and I, of course, and I had 104 a lot of times, and nothing happened to me. And 
I saw that happening to my brothers and sisters. They never had anything bad happen to them for 104. And I've known many of my friends. They've had 104 growing up and nothing happened to them. I've never known of anybody that had a fever of 104 where they had any kind of permanent damage. So why are you telling me 104? She's like, well, um, you know, it can go higher than 104. You need to be safe. I go, okay, but... Is 104 itself dangerous? If it just goes to 104, it doesn't go above 104? Well, not usually, but, uh, you know, better safe than sorry. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. I'm asking you, when does it actually become dangerous? Like if I called you, should I bring my kid into the emergency room if he has a 101 degree fever? I'm sure you'd say no, right? She said, yes. I said, okay. So... What is the point then? You're telling me 104, but then you're also admitting 104 isn't a problem. Wouldn't you say that it would be okay if I just watch it at 104, which it's already passed, but uh, like, that, wouldn't you be okay if I watch it and then watch to see if it gets up to a certain level, at which point it is concerning and should take him in? And she says, yes. I say, okay, what point would that be? She says, that's up to you. <laughs> So I just hung up on her. And so Ben's mom asked me, well, what did she say? And I said, you don't even want to know. And I said, we're just going to watch. If it gets past 105, we'll do it. If it stays at 105, then we won't. And it was fine. It didn't get past 105. And then like two days later, the rash started to appear and it was actually my sister. She, my sister happened to be coming over that day. My sister saw that and she said, wait a minute. And my sister didn't have any kids at the time, but she said, wait a minute. I was looking this up for you when you mentioned about Benjamin having this high fever. And I remember a rash that looked just like this mentioning mentioned for uh, Roseola. And so we Googled it and sure enough, it looked just like his rash. I'm like, okay, well, nothing to do. We know what this is. And that was that. And then I actually advised somebody else on Facebook, like had that, like years later, had a little baby, and like, oh my God, my my kid has a fever of 105 and has this rash. And I was like, no, that's roseola. Don't worry, just stay home. It's fine. Because I, I I would have felt really bad if it was something else and the kid died, but I I knew it was. But I I figured out the reason that nurse was acting so idiotic with me it it wasn't necessarily that she was stupid she also may have been stupid but uh it may not have been her being stupid it's that they're so they're so afraid on these hotlines to tell you not to go to the doctor because if they tell you not to and then something bad happens they're legally liable so they just default always telling you go to the doctor go to the er so they're pretty useless i really wish that there was a way to just like release them from legal liability and just like get their honest opinion. Cause that's, that's really what I want to know. I'm not looking to hold them responsible if they're wrong. I just, I'd like to hear an opinion from someone in the medical field who would probably have more knowledge than I would in the situation, whether it's worth going to the ER and whether this can wait. And I hate when I get these BS answers. Yeah, just go. Well, yeah, it's easy for you to say. You don't have to spend the money. You don't have to spend the time. You don't have to put your kid through possible painful tests. So 
I would just like to know, is he in danger with this type of fever? And she's telling me 104 and going, there's no chance. And I even went, I even went and showed Benjamin's mom. I like Googled it and I'm showing her like that the, the 104 thing is not a danger at all to kids. I, I knew that. But yeah, it can be tough. You know, you, you love your kid. You see that happening. You feel powerless. You just, you want to take them to the doctor, but sometimes it's not the right thing to do. And it's, I actually just had this, I forgot why, I had this discussion with Benjamin the other day about high fevers and about how a high fever for him and for me would be two different things at this point. What does kind of suck for kids is there's a lot of medication they can't take. Like if a kid gets diarrhea, they just, like all the diarrhea medications like Imodium, they can't take. It's actually very dangerous for them until they're like 12. And then aspirin, you can't take that because of Rye syndrome, even though I did because it wasn't known back then. But there's like a lot of medications you can't take as a kid, which kind of sucks. So at least I'm past that. Okay, we're done here. We're just rambling with a lot of nonsense here. Some of you would probably like this show to go on for like nine hours and have me just like talk about random stuff on and on and on and on. I, I don't know why you guys would want to hear that, but some people here do. Some people actually enjoy it. There's there's some aspects of the show. Like I'll go back and listen to old shows or just hear whatever's on the call to listen line. And I, I don't ever listen to like full length shows. I never just like turn on an episode and listen to all six hours. But I, I will just call the call to listen line and hear what's on it or just go to the radio tab and hear what's playing at the moment. And then if I hear something interesting, I'll, I'll stick and listen especially if it's a story I forgot, so I hear it again for the, kind of for the first time. But, like, I'll get to certain segments and I go, why, why would anyone care about this? Why, why would people enjoy listening to this? And, and I'm shocked sometimes at what, what some of you enjoy listening to on this show. Other segments, I go, yeah, this is interesting. Like, uh, I'll listen to some segments on this show after I've done them, and I'll go, yeah, this came out well, this is interesting, and yeah, I can see why people would like this. And other things I listen to, and I go, no, this sucks. I... I can't believe anyone enjoys this. But for whatever reason you enjoy the show, that's good. And I know some of you want more prank calls and stuff, and I was going to do one tonight if I could just get the damn IRS person, fake IRS person on the phone. Maybe I'll try to do some of these in advance. I don't like pre-recorded prank calls, but I'll do them if I have to, if there's no other way. Well, I got through the show without even taking a break. You notice that? No break. We'll be back next week. Wait, no, we won't. Hold on. Hold on a second. We won't be back next week. We will be back this week. Friday feels like too soon. Friday the 22nd just seems like too soon. Maybe Saturday the 23rd. Or maybe Sunday the 24th. But, uh... Wait, I'm getting the date wrong. Right now, it's technically Tuesday the 18th right now. So yeah, Saturday the 22nd or Sunday the 23rd are the target dates here. I can pretty much tell you I don't think I'm going to do a show on Friday. It just It's just too soon. Unless, like, if a lot of stuff happens in the next few days... Maybe I will, but otherwise I'd probably wait till Saturday or Sunday night 
Check twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for information on the next show date. I'm kind of thinking Sunday the 23rd is more likely, and then I'll do Saturday the 29th, and then probably uh, Friday the 6th. We'll probably move it back to Friday. But then, you know, I can't make Friday the 13th. Which is probably good. For, it's probably good I'm missing Friday the 13th. But I can't make Friday the 13th. I can tell you that already. Yeah, we'll figure it out. But we'll, we'll do a show every week. We really will. And look, we even had a free roll tonight. I don't know who won, but somebody won. Somebody lost. A lot of somebody's lost. Even though the show was kind of short notice, we had a free roll. I thank the donors, the anonymous donor, Gordman. Thank you. Thank you, Trader Ruski, again for being here. Thank you to our callers tonight. We had a few callers. I always pre- appreciate phone calls to the show. Even when Skype is working like shit. Well, at least one more show in February, maybe two. See you Saturday or Sunday, most likely. Shalom.